Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, welcome to the Yattlesford Extraordinary Planning Meeting uh, for the application from MAG. Um, some general points before we start. Uh, there are no fire alarms planned for today, so if the alarms do go off, please gather on the grass at the front of the building and officers will assist you from there. Um, can everybody please ensure their mobile phones are turned off? Please check now because I'll remove you if you've got your phone on and it goes off. Okay. Uh, I'd remind everybody that today's sessions are being recorded. Um, both for sound and we have the TV cameras here as well. So please bear that in mind on your statements. I have uh, no apologies for absence, but I note that Councillor Gerard is standing in for Councillor Lodge due to timing and the way the papers have developed as such. Um, declarations of interest, gentlemen. Any? Yes, Councillor Freeman. Southern Walden Town Council, member yep. of. Southern Walden Town Council. Thank you, Paul. Okay, no others? No? Okay. Um, there's no previous minutes to consider. So with that, I'm going to hand over to Mr Brown, Head of Planning, to do the opening statement. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, before we move on to the, on to the day, um, uh, there's a few things I would need to clarify. There, has been, there appears to have been some misunderstanding regarding the role of the Council's planning team with respect to its engagement with the applicant for a planning, policy, planning performance agreement. PPAs are a well-trodden and an established planning tool that are encouraged through the MPPF. They allow a project-managed approach to the handling of significant planning applications such as this. They allow a dedicated single officer, backed by a team of consultants and experts, some of which you see here today, with, back, with some backfilling of the gap left by the dedicated officer's involvement. There have been suggestions that this is a cash for favours tool. This is incorrect and offensive to the professional officers concerned. To suggest that the application is fast-tracked is also ill-informed. The application has been considered since its submission in February, and here we are in November. Nine months is, I would suggest, not fast-tracking. The application has been submitted with the Environmental Impact Assessment, EIA, with a full range of topic-based submissions. The scope of these submissions have been agreed with the applicant. The scope in the EIA in consultation with an applicant prior to submission is actively encouraged within the regs, and this is what happened in late 2017 and early 2018. These submissions have been fully assessed by the team of experts and consultants in a fully independent way. This consideration has also been in compliance with other parallel regulations outside of planning as is required. It has not been down to the planning officer and UDC alone. This is a collaborative process, just as has been for the applicant and its team, and I would suggest the key objectors, groups and their teams. No individual officer has all the answers, hence the heavy loaded table today. I will be disappointed if the continued question of the integrity and capabilities of officers continues today. With respect to the Planning Committee, I will leave it there and allow it to consider the public speaking sessions this morning and the consideration this afternoon. And to comfort the Committee, we have a wealth of experience within UDC's team to address any specific questions as we go on. Uh, thank you, Mr Brown. Um, just a point of clarification here. The normal planning fee for this would have been about £2,000. Uh, I'm not sure that the public would have been happy if we only accepted £2,000 and then spent £100,000 plus on consultants and everything else that we need. So I can see the use for PPAs. 
Um, in fact, recently we're cast, we were castigated by the peer review because we don't use PPAs enough. Uh, in other words, specific developers weren't paying their weight and a lot of that burden was coming on the taxpayer. So uh, I think that's clarified some points. Um, I'd like to hand over to Elizabeth Smith, our legal officer, for some clarification on the position regarding the Secretary of State's letter. I know Mr Gerard wrote something about this, so uh, it's relevant. Uh, Elizabeth. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. The position of the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government is as follows. A number of requests have been received by the Department of communities and local government for the calling in of this application. We have been requested that if the members are minded to approve this application today, then the Secretary of State has requested that we do not issue a decision notice, but instead hold fire while he considers the applications for a call in on their merits. This is an additional measure of comfort for members and I hope this clarification of the position of the government is of assistance to you today. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth. Um, I just want to run through an agenda for today, roughly, so that people have got some sort of time scale. Uh, we're going to have a presentation from Karen Denmark, the case officer, to start with, um, and then we will hear from various speakers, of which we have about 20, uh, representatives from parish councils, objectors, supporters, uh, and that should take us through to about lunchtime, um, at which time I'm going to call a 45 minutes break, and then we'll put it to the members after that time. Um, so with that bearing in mind, I will hand over to... Uh, Karen Denmark for the opening statement. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chairman. Um, as has already been said, this has been a collaborative approach. I've had a team that I've been working with. Um, this is some of the team. So I'd like to introduce you to Peter Henson, who deals with noise issues, Nigel Mann, air quality, Mary Young, David Sprunt and Catherine Wilkinson who have been dealing with the highways issues, Gordon Glenday you most of you know and Marcus Watts our environmental health officer, Jeremy Pine who is um, a policy of um, well, sorry, a policy yeah, um, and has had a wealth of experience in dealing with the um, Stansted Airport planning applications having dealt with them previously and Roger Harbour who's the director. This application, as we are all aware, relates to Stansted Airport and the application has been accompanied by an environmental statement that has been independently reviewed and found to be satisfactory. As has already been said, officers have worked in conjunction with a team of people, including officers from Essex County Council, Hertfordshire County Council, East Hearts District Council, Place Services, Network Rail, Highways England, Natural England and other officers within the council. Further expertise has also been provided by Jacobs and ACOM to Essex Highways and Highways England respectively. In addition, we've been advised by WYG on air quality issues, Bickerdike-Allen Partners LLP on noise, who specialise in aircraft noise. 
So the planning application relates to an uplift in passenger numbers from the currently consented 35 million passengers per annum to 43 million. This is proposed to be within the current consented number of air transport movements of 247,000. These are currently conditioned to be no more than 243,500 passenger movements, 20,500 20, cargo movements and 10,000 general aviation movements. The proposals seek to limit cargo movements to a lower cap of 16,000 and passenger and other movements, including general aviation, to 258,000 per annum. The application also relates to the construction of some physical infrastructure. So we have a um, rapid access taxiway, a rapid, which is, oh, sorry, which is here, a rapid exit taxiway. Excuse me, could you speak up, please? Yes. Yeah. Some stands, so six additional stands, known as Yankee stands here, and three additional echo stands. So this gives you some better indication of the access taxiway and the uh, exit taxiway, the six stands and the three additional stands. The application is assessed on the basis of predicted airport growth, seeing the current cap of 35 million being reached by 2022 and continued growth to 43 million passengers per annum by 2028. It must be remembered that the growth to 35 million is consented and this growth can and will happen regardless of the outcome of this application. The application sets out the baseline of the current situation environmentally as of 2016, the year where data sets are available for all topics. The impacts of growth are considered against the baseline and compared between the, between the predicted impacts at 35 million passengers per annum. The issues are set out in the officer's report and no significant adverse impacts have been identified subject to mitigation measures being secured by condition or section 106. Highway impacts are to be required to be mitigated in respect of Junction 8 of the M11. A mitigation scheme has been prepared and found to be acceptable. This involves the winding of carriageway on key approach and exit arms and a series of amendments to lane allocations and the proposed signalisation of Priory Wood roundabout. This, um, you can't see it very well, so, but this is the scheme. So I've broken it down into smaller sections. So um, we've got the reassignment of the hard shoulder. Um, we've got um, an on-demand signalisation from exit from the depot. We've got the carriageway to be widened um, at the exit to uh, the motorway services. Designation lines markings to be amended. Um, and redesignation of um, lines, uh, areas within the uh, roundabout, and um, reassignment over here where you're, um, and the carriageway to be widened as you're going round the roundabout, and and then some um, additional in, um, changes here, changes here on the uh, northbound off slip. Um, I'm rushing over this. There will be a, a more in-depth presentation about this later on. 
and this um, the Priory Wood Roundabout it's proposed to do some um, traffic lights on that particular slip of the roundabout this is um, sometimes referred to as the interim plus scheme so if you hear that term during the day this is the scheme that we're referring to the interim scheme is the scheme that Essex um, County Council have got funding for and um, hope to get underway but like I said that will be discussed in more uh, detail later on um, <clears throat> Because this scheme needs to um, mitigate impacts arising from the growth from 35 million to 43 million, um, this may be some time in the future. So Highways England have actually requested that at 35 million, um, the scheme be reviewed to see whether it is still the most appropriate scheme. Because it could be that whilst we're agreeing this today, sometime down the line this may not be the most appropriate scheme and could actually end up causing harm so they want it to be reviewed um, and Highways England are also hoping to um, get some funding for strategic improvements to the M11 and so if that is the case if they have managed to secure funding for a major scheme then the cost of this scheme will be a financial contribution towards the large, larger scheme so either way there will be um, a mitigation scheme either it will be a physical mitigation scheme on the ground or it will be an equivalent financial contribution towards a larger scheme in terms of um, other highways mitigation um, we've got levies that will be collected and um, the sums will go towards sustainable transport uh, measures. So you, there's a transport levy that's currently collected which is 25 pence per car parking transaction and £10 per annum for staff car parking. Kiss and Fly is currently not um, subject to the levy because that wasn't in place at the time. Um, at the time the previous unilateral undertaking was drawn up. The current levy currently raises around £550,000 per annum and this is predicted to grow to around £1.6 million per annum um, and part of that growth would come as a result of an additional 10p per transaction being applied to the kiss and fly transactions. So this levy would be used for improvements to public transport, road schemes, cycling and walking schemes um, and uh, the umbrella of the Transport Forum and its working groups. Um, it can also include upgrading buses, installation of vehicle electric charging points, including rapid charging points for taxis. Um, and there's, in addition, there will be a ring fence sum of £1 million for improvements to bus and coach network. Um, that's in, in addition to the levy money and there will be a ring fence sum of £800,000 for highway improvements within five miles of the airport for Essex roads. Moving on to noise, noise mitigation um, it's considered to be one of the most contentious issues and um, the 
Airport currently runs a sand insulation grant scheme. So they're proposing to uh, revise this and um, in, uh, have a new scheme. So this will now have three tiers of funding. So those properties within the red area will be entitled to £10,000 for um, noise insulation, uh, noise work, uh, noise insulation works, including double glazing. Um, and the properties in the yellow areas will be entitled up to 8,000, and the properties in the green area up to 5,000. Um, previously, um, the applications for grants needed to be match funded. Now, um, the scheme will pay um, 100% up to these caps. Um, the noise contour is currently conditioned to be no more than um, 39, so 33.9 square kilometres. The airport currently operates well within inside that limit and the noise contour will increase from where it currently is whilst the airport expands up to 33, so 35 million passengers per annum, but it's not expected to um, breach the 33.9 square kilometres that it currently covers. When the um, throughput reaches 35 million passengers per annum or the 31st of December 2024, the application will be required to submit a strategy to set out the measures required to reduce the area of the noise contour by the end of 2028 to an area of 28.7 square kilometres and this area may not breach, be breached thereafter. This proposed, pro proposed reduction in the noise contour is based on the assessment as set out in the environmental statement. This is underpinned by the assumptions in relation to aircraft fleet mix, which take into account the replacement of existing aircraft types by newer variants, including the aircraft anticipated to operate emerging long-haul routes. A community trust fund is also um, being prepared, um, community and uh, wellbeing, no, sorry, community and health trust fund, um, which will have £150,000 per annum. And this is for um, communities which are impacted by noise and disturbance, which could impact on health and wellbeing. This would cover the parishes within a 10-mile radius of the centre point of the runway and includes areas in East Hertfordshire, Harlow, Chelmsford and Epping Forest. The trust would be open for applications for projects aimed at protecting or enhancing the social, economic health and environmental well-being of the community. Parish councils have previously been prevented from applying for grants under the old trust fund um, and that restriction is now lifted in the new proposals. Um, a few housekeeping bits. There's a revised, um, following negotiations with um, East Hearts District Council um, who felt that issues hadn't been addressed satisfactorily. We've had various meetings with them 
and um, we've now reached an agreement. It was more about tweaking some words in the section 106 requirements. So in the supplementary list of representations in front of members, um, there's a revised schedule for the transport section. Um, we have had confirmation now, a letter from them, that they now lift their objection. Um, you should have a copy of that in front of you. We've had um, two more representations plus a um, letter from a parish council. Um, they don't raise any new issues. It's all um, things that have been covered in the reports. Um, members have had a series of briefing notes from SSE and um, the applicant has done a response document which was sent out late yesterday. Um, you also have a copy of that in front of you. Um, I'm not going to comment on the particular um, issues that have been raised in those documents. Um, the subject to the mitigation packages and the conditions set out in the report, the application is therefore recommended for refusal. Oh, sorry, approval. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, everybody. That's that done. <laughs> right. Thank you, Karen. <clears throat> right. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Councillor Lemon. I'm a member of Hatfield Heath Parish Council. No, that's okay. okay. Thank you very much. Um, okay. Uh, having completed uh, her report, uh, we'll now move on to the speakers. Uh, and I'm going to start with uh, the non-committee councillors uh, who have five minutes each. And Councillor Alan Dean? I have four of these, so I'm going to break these up into groups. When you're ready, Alan. I'd like to check, Mr Chairman, whether people behind me can hear, because I know last time I came to one of your meetings, uh, the speaker system wasn't working at the back, and people couldn't hear. You've had, a, you've, you've, had a, you've had a thumbs up. Right, well, good morning, Chairman and, and colleagues and members of the public. My name is um, Alan Dean. I represent Stansted Mount Fitchett on the District Council. I'm here today to speak on behalf of my constituents and people throughout the district. Stansted Airport is a mixed blessing. It brings employment and pleasure to many. People are proud to work there. Others suffer from airport noise, disturbed sleep and congestion on their roads and railways. So where is the balance between these conflicts? For you to make a judgment on that balance, you have to have all of the evidence. Unfortunately, I believe the committee hasn't been given all the evidence described, describing what best use of Stansted's runway would be, look like. The airport owner hasn't even owned up to how many passengers could fit through a best use Stansted, and I quote there the, the government's terminology for best use. I was dismayed to read yesterday, um, maybe I'd forgotten the past, that the 2006 permission for 35 million passengers was described by the former 
owner BAA as best use. Today's airport owner is performing the same smoke and mirrors magical act of creeping expansion by stealth. Please do not fall for this trick. It's worse than stealth. It's certainly not frank and honest in my opinion. On the 27th of April 2014, I wrote to a local newspaper about another big local issue, the infamous Helsinham Newtown and Uttlesford's local plan at the time. I wrote as follows, Uttlesford's local plan contains no credible answer to how road traffic will get in and out of Helsinham. That's the place between, or might have been a place between Helsinham and Henham. Essex admits that it hasn't yet worked out the scale of the problem, never mind a proper solution. That local plan hit the dust the following December because the homework this council should have done was shown to be just like the smoke and mirrors to, before you today. It was deficient and undeliverable. Doubling the throughput at Stansted Airport for doubling is round about what real best use is, or would be, will have a far greater impact on this and neighbouring districts, especially East Hertfordshire, than even two or more Helsinghams. The Highways Agency in Essex are currently proposing a few tactical improvements at Junction 8 on the M11. They will happen regardless of this airport's expansion proposals. So why do some people say the airport must expand to get motorway improvements paid for? What are the solutions to existing road congestion and air pollution in Stansted Mount Fitchett? Where is the plan for roads through Stansted Mount Fitchett, Takeley, Bishop's Torford and many more places? There isn't one. Why? Because we're being told it will all come right on the night. Just as we were told Helsingham would all come right on the night when someone had got round to thinking up solutions. On that occasion, it was obvious to a skilled planning inspector that a deliverable solution did not exist. He threw out the local plan. The current promise by Stansted Airport Limited of a pot of money for local road improvements is of no value unless there are practical solutions available. If there is a practical solution to Church Road Stansted, its Bendy Railway Bridge and its traffic calming obstacle race, please demand to see it. There is no plan to fix local roads and much more. Mr Chairman, major planning for airport growth is a strategic national matter. The input of a local planning authority, in this case Uttlesford District Council, is crucial to ensuring matters such as low road congestion is addressed. Meanwhile, the Secretary of State, as we've just heard, is sitting back and watching what Uttlesford decides before intervening. Why? Because the applicant has pulled a fast one and locked off a year or two at most from his former projections of expansion pretend to pretend that best use at Stansted stops at 43 million passengers. Mr Chairman, committee members, this will be the fifth slice of expansion in the past 30 plus years. There will be more to come. Please force the planning system to do the job properly and comprehensively this time by not approving this application today. It is not fit for approval. Thank you. 
May I just add that um, there's um, a gentleman here called Michael Belcher who said to me that uh, a little while ago that the first paragraph of your supplementary report which talks about the, um, the, the taxiways and so on, that there are incorrect statements there. He believes that this implies that permissions already exist. Uh, he says that it's not, I'm not here to defend that because I haven't gone into it myself, but I want, I want to give the opportunity or take the opportunity just to raise this and ask that it is addressed at some time during the meeting, please. Okay, I'll take that on board, Alan. All right. Thank you very much. If you've got anything specific relating to that, if you could pass that to Karen at some time. Uh, we, and then we can deal with a specific point, okay? Okay, uh, can I have uh, Councillor Martin Foley? Mr Foley, you also have five minutes. District Councillor Martin Foley from Thaxted and the Eastons. All my parish councils and many of my residents, including myself, have read and have been listening <coughs> excuse me, to deliberations regarding this application. I have to say not many, met, money, not many I've met wants to see you approve this application. In fact, a poll I have just seen from Thaxted Online which has thousands of people that, that follow it. Only 88% are, 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 uh, are against further expansion. If we allow these extra flights a day, these hundreds of extra flights a day, it will bring absolute misery for thousands of our residents, risk the health and well-being of our family and friends. For what? As one airport worker who lives in my, uh, in my constituency said, uh, not one job will be lost by refusing this application. Not one. This application, if accepted, will, be a significant environment, will have significant environmental impact in this wonderful district. It will, if, if accepted, be an act of environmental vandalism and will degrade the quality of life for thousands of people. An absence of a proper quality of life assessment means that effects on our local communities are to a large extent being ignored. I beg you not to underestimate the effect of noise from planes, particularly at night, on the health and well-being of our residents. I implore you to take the health and well-being of our residents as first in your mind when you're making your decision. As you know, in November 2006, our planning committee, taking into account all that laid before them, took the decision to refuse. By a unanimous verdict to oppose the last major Stansted Airport application, in doing so, they, divide, they defied the clear recommendation of their officers. Please do so again. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr Foley. Uh, Councillor John Lodge.
Thank you, Chair, and uh, members of the committee. I'm, I'm speaking now to give the position of R4U and thus a resident's view of this application. Firstly, I'm acutely aware of the economic value of Stansted Airport uh, to the local community, and its contribution to our local community is already large and growing rapidly, even without any new consent. However, Many passengers actually feel that MAG have rather created a massive shopping centre whilst leaving far too little space for passengers to wait for their flights and just this year have suffered numerous operational delays with massive inconvenience to passengers. Now, during the application process, we would have listened to about 11 hours of scheduled speaking from supporters and uh, objectors. Uh, we heard last week of the personal journeys of many airport workers and the associated commercial benefits for its airport-related objectors. Um, these histories have been very interesting, and, and I welcome them from looking at, uh, at the aspect of growing businesses here. Um, however, uh, on the whole, they really contained little planning merit. There are also speakers uh, uh, and, uh, who look concentrated on economic and environmental problems, and on the whole, they did, they, they did look at uh, genuine future issues and, uh, and, and uh, planning concerns. I feel that an even-handed view of this application is that in principle it could, it could bring a high benefit to the local community and to strategic capacity of uh, travel in, the, in, in our region in the southeast of the country. However, it can only be considered acceptable if all the environmental and infrastructure requirements were to be fully implemented by the applicant. Unfortunately, MAG have rather failed to address the bulk of these issues, let alone produce viable solutions. Also, a further basic issue that we need to consider is whether this forum is actually the appropriate one to consider this application, as opposed to one where national infrastructure considerations can be considered. And that's a very, very, very real issue to me and a lot of people. And it sadly does appear that MAG has worked to pitch the increase in passenger numbers at a level which is just below where an automatic referral to the Infrastructure Commission would be triggered. There is, no, there is in reality no way in which this cannot be viewed as strategic for runway capacity in the southeast of England. And hence, with a government white paper due early next year, this application can only be described as opportunistic and premature. It can be very specific, we're going to hear about a lot of infrastructure issues today, I'm sure, but I do not believe that noise levels have been adequately addressed. Surface access has had little credible analysis, let alone mitigation. Karen's view on what we're doing to the Junction 8 of the M11 is a tiny sticking plaster on the problems that we have. The overall capacity of the M11 is a major issue. Rail capacity, as we know, carbon emissions cannot comply with DFT guidance and forward planning. And we all know about the fly parking issues in local areas, and these haven't been adequately addressed. Overall, this proposal will make Stansted the size of Gatwick today. So I want to look at some of those issues. For example, Gatwick has 194 trains from London daily. Stansted today has 76. 
our railways at capacity through the Lee Valley and so the track needs doubling to add those required trains. An estimated cost of this would be between 600 million and 1 billion pounds. Everyone is aware of the M11's problems and the, the, the airport to the M25 is at capacity. Similar -ish capacity issues uh, uh, are already being fixed on the M23 at Gapwick. I'm doing this comparison. And that's through a £164 million smart motorway upgrade. None of this is proposed for the M11, and this is already busier than the M23. So, overall, any expansion needs to have solid proposals to address all of these issues. Our 4Use policy is to demand that the airport pay for these major mitigating upgrades should any expansion be approved. Finally, I'd like to look at another comparison, and that is with expansion plans at Heathrow. Earlier this year, the Secretary of State for Transport announced that a third runway would be constructed at Heathway, and we know the issues of bridging the M25, of probably destroying a whole village there, but that's another issue. Significantly, both the Secretary of State and the head of Heathrow Airport were at pains to explain that the cost of this expansion, which was estimated at around £14 billion, would be met by the airport itself and in full. I was prompted by this to write to Chris Grayling when that was announced, um, and my question was, would these same conditions apply to the expansion at Stansted? Um, sorry that you may not all have got this, but I put this out to a number of people and to members of the planning committee. The Secretary of State explains very carefully that that constraint would and must apply to Stansted Airport. So the airport has to make sure that all of that infrastructure is provided. From this application I can see no such plans and I could only ask very strongly that it is not fit for purpose at the moment and I ask you to turn it down today. Thank you. Uh, thank you Councillor Lodge. Um, and lastly, from the councillors, Mr. Neil Hargreaves. Mr. Hargreaves? No? Not here. Okay. Uh, in that case, then, we will move on to the parish councils. And I'm going to take Mr. Andy Bennett first. If you're ready, Andy. I know, I'm, I'm taking the parish councils next. Sorry, didn't mean to catch you unawares. When you're ready, Andy, you've got three minutes. Thank you, Chairman. Um, so my name is Councillor Andy Bennett from Felsted Parish Council. We strongly object to the application. On the subject of noise and environmental impact, emerging government regulations, CAP 1498 and 1521, recognise a significant noise impact up to 7,000 feet rather than the previous 4,000. Incoming flights from Stansted Runway 4 and some departing flights overfly the area designated for the west of Braintree Garden community at 3,000 to 7,000 feet. Under these new regulations, either you can have the garden community or you can add planes to the flight paths over the garden community area. You cannot have both. Experts employed by Stansted, Cole Jarman, 
agreed with the airport's press statements that this application would cause no significant adverse environmental impacts. But in the supplementary documents of July 2018, under clarifications, their figure of more than 80% of quieter aircraft suddenly became 50%. What else might be wrong in their calculations? Why are UDC trusting Stansted's paid consultants to deliver such critical assessments with no more than a peer review of their findings? If you enter 5 plus 5 into a calculator and it gives you the answer 6, do you believe it or do you just know that the answer cannot be right? This is exactly the situation we have here. Stansted's noise impact and complaint levels are already increasing at a rate beyond that of all other airports. Stansted have not helped mitigate the noise nuisance caused by the now approved 2016 flight path changes. It's clear that Stansted cares little about the communities it impacts. We need a fully independent national environmental impact assessment against the latest DFT regulations and WHO guidance, which reduces acceptable noise levels by 10 decibels. On the subject of timing, the DFT says that the airport will not reach 35 million passengers until 2033, 15 years from now. Approving this further expansion years before it's needed only ensures that it is considered on inaccurate information and conveniently before tighter new regulations currently in the pipeline are introduced. This is wrong. Regarding the impact on community well-being and health, the recognised impact on communities around the airport has been dismissed as worth the jobs it will create. How can this be in an area that has one of the lowest unemployment levels in the country? Approval of this application will also cause Stansted to fail against its contribution to targets under the Climate, Control Act, Climate Change Act. Sorry. In summary, councillors, I urge you to represent the people of Uttlesford rather than succumbing to big business who have already tried and failed to manipulate you by getting employees to submit auto-generated messages of support. You have already voted to approve the rest of Braintree Garden community. Under new government reg regulations, you cannot increase flights over an area of high housing density, and so you cannot approve this application. Please don't take the instruction to, for review by the Secretary of State as an easy way out through giving approval without taking the ultimate responsibility for the decision. For the well-being of local community and for the integrity of the local plan, you must refuse this application. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Andy. Um, I have Mr Graham Mott, Dr Mott, for Elsenham Parish Council. You have three minutes. Uh, Mr Chairman, I will start with a quotation uh, with the permission of the author. Dear Sir, I strongly object to the planning application to expand the airport from 35 million to 43 million passengers, and here is why. I am 83 years old and have seen many things happen about here. I have lived here all my life. But the pollution that comes off that place is now nearly unbearable. I walked down my garden, which is about 30 yards long, and the stench of aviation fuel was so strong I had to cover my face with a hanky to stop me coughing and go back indoors. 
We cannot open a window at night or daytime. The noise would burst your eardrums and the stench would drift all through the house. That, sir, is the start of a handwritten application, a representation now on the website. It is one of nearly 900 objections to this application. I have not discerned any attempt at a standard letter by way of objection. When it comes to support, however, the picture is very different. Apart from the worthless brief standard letters which have been generated through clicking on an airport website and inputting merely a name and a postcode without even an address, there are fewer than 20 representations in support from individuals. There are about 80 others in support, mostly from employers at the airport, and many of those include the same four standard paragraphs. I heard all the speakers last week, sir, and it was good to learn from them that the airport is a congenial place to work. But there was a certain sameness in their accounts, and I was puzzled, as Councillor Lodge was, as to how they relate to the application before you. Aircraft, sir, are no respecters of boundaries. 47 parish councils have made written representations and all of them object to the proposals on behalf of their residents. 15 of that 47 are from outside Ottersford, some to the east, some to the west. It's not a reason, incidentally, why this application should not be determined at district level. Mr Chairman, Elston Parish stretches to the south as far as the airport. We have considered how matters would differ if the airport was not there. In summary then, the first issues are noise, smell and CO2 emissions. Improvements at Junction 8 of the M11 will be made anyway and they amount to no more than tinkering with the problem. Local roads are subject to congestion and deterioration for use for airport related journeys. Litter is a problem from airport traffic and from those individuals who gather at favoured spots to watch the aircraft overhead. Parking on local roads is bothersome on account of passengers who leave their cars, whistle up a taxi and go on holiday. Mr Chairman, I will conclude briefly, sir. No one seriously doubts that more flights mean more misery. Many residents in Elsenham, in Ottlesford and beyond are looking to the members of this committee to represent them by rejecting this unnecessary proposal. I start to serve with a long quotation and I will end with a very much shorter one which is very different. In 1984, Inspector Graham Eyre gave expression to the vision of Stansted as an airport in the countryside. Increasingly, it would be more accurate to describe Stansted as an airport with impact on the countryside. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Dr Mott. Um, Ken Wheatley? Birchhanger? No? OK. Neil? Mr Reeve? You have three minutes, Mr Reeve. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Uh, Highest to Parish Council, along with the majority of its residents, 
object to this application, which will see a significant increase in aircraft overflowing our village on departure route Clacton 22. We are a quiet rural village where ambient background noise levels are low. Aircraft overfly at an average of 5,000 feet. They are loud, continual, and at peak times less than two minutes apart. They are visually intrusive also. We feel severely let down by the decision makers following changes to departure routes in February 2016 and the introduction of performance-based navigation which adversely impacted us. There has been no attempt made by MAG to discuss our issues or to find ways to mitigate their impact. MAG states, no significant adverse environmental effects from this application. Irrespective of the complex technical statistics and arguments, there is simple disbelief in the community that an airport can increase its capacity silently. By ignoring emerging government guidance, CAP 1498, and not adequately considering noise impacts between 4,000 and 7,000 feet, MAG has disregarded the impact on High Easter and similar communities. The environmental impact analysis has used average noise contours to measure aircraft noise. Averages don't work. Each discrete flight is a nuisance. Night flights between 2300 hours and 700 hours are a serious disturbance. Our early morning rush hour starts at quarter past six. Night flights should be stopped. MAG claim noise levels will fall from 2023 due to quieter aircraft. How can larger aircraft be quieter? This is patent nonsense. Policy SP11 of the Emerging Local Plan states any development must include proposals which will over time result in proportionate diminution and betterment of the effect of aircraft operations. We fail to see how increasing passenger numbers will meet this new policy. Gentlemen and ladies, as elected UDC Planning Committee members, you have the responsibility to consider the views of all your residents. In High Easter, the recent noise increases are already a serious nuisance and this application will not improve things. Should you, however, as a committee decide to approve this application, we ask that conditions to alleviate noise levels over our village are included. We suggest alterations to the performance-based navigation flight path, respite, elimination of night flights and the use of quieter aircraft, all with no time limits and clear implementation responsibilities. Can you please work with relevant authorities to achieve this in that event? To conclude, we respectfully urge you to refuse this application, which, if approved, will have such an adverse impact on those who live and work in High Easter and those of future generations. Thank you very much. Thank you, Neil. Uh, Mr. Peter Jones, Stansted Parish Council. Mr Chairman, members of the committee, I speak on behalf of Stansted, Mount Fitchett Parish Council. <clears throat> the Parish Council supports Stansted Airport. Its current planning approval not only safeguards existing employment, but allows for growth in employment in an area where unemployment is minimal. 
The current planning application, however, is unwelcome and unsound. First, the application has implications far beyond this district. It preempts government policy on national aviation and compliance with emerging environmental policies. Why should you support this rushed application given 30% or more headroom to the existing 35 million? Second, the application does not comply with UDC's own emerging local plan. It is not in accord with the latest 35 million passenger per annum permission and it would adversely affect the amenities of surrounding occupiers. SP11 requires refusal or is your emerging local plan already heading for the bin? Third, the apparent modest infrastructure investment would bring Stansted runway to a capacity equal to that proposed at Gatwick. Potentially, potentially, 61 million passengers per annum. Approve this application and you will leave the district defenceless as the next modest increase is sought by the owners. Do you want or do you intend this? But the core of our objection appeals to your common sense. Is there any member of this committee that believes that those who live and work in and around this district will not be adversely affected by increased and obtrusive noise, more flights, more noise, unless you have developed ears which only hear average noise levels, worsening air quality leading to worsening health, Already in our parish, safe levels are exceeded. It will be remarkable if significant increases of air and road activity leave this position unchanged or for the better. Increasing congestion on an inadequate road network. Amazingly, millions of additional vehicle movements with a wave of Mag's Harry Potter wand lead only to 2 to 3% increase in movements on our local roads. Perhaps you do believe it. You were all elected to represent the interests of those who live and work in this district. Will your vote reflect this responsibility to your people? Or will you succumb to the pressure of a business, understandably, seeking to maximise its returns. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Uh, thank you, Mr Jones. Um, Councillor Alex Armstrong, Dunmo Town Council. No? No, Mr Armstrong. Oh, he is here. Sorry. You have three minutes, Mr. Armstrong. Can you can you just ensure a copy goes to the relevant yeah. officer and and to the applicant and to the applicant? 
Okay, good morning. Yeah, we'll, don't Sorry. start yet. We'll just deal with the paperwork. Sorry, Mr Chairman, I think we already had this in our bundle yesterday. Uh, it's very possible, but I it, don't know what it is yet. There's a letter with anyway, it. Anyway, let's, okay. let's... Apologies. Deal with it. When you're ready, Mr Armstrong. Okay, thank you. Uh, my name's Alex Armstrong and I'm representing Great Dunmo Town Council. Uh, the Town Council correspondence was left out of your uh, document pack and particularly our transport correspondence consultant's letter. So that's what I've just handed round, but let's get on to the business. Uh, the Town Council strongly objects to the lack of scrutiny for a national significant infrastructure project that would see Stansted grow to the size of Gatwick. Unsustainable harm through aircraft noise, air pollution and road congestion. The threat that Stansted will become the main south-east airport for night flights and freight. And a failure to consider the combined road impacts of major airport expansion and local planned housing growth. The Council has absolutely no idea what will happen to our road network and what it would cost to prevent such congestion. MAG's letter of the 30th of October discusses the possibility that network hotspots may occur that would require some mitigation as airport and background traffic grows. Essex County Council has agreed that a local road fund of £800,000 was a practical way of providing proportional future mitigation should it be required. Well, where's the evidence to show that £800,000 would cover the costs? We received no feedback on our transport consultant's letter dated the 22nd of March, which expressly asked for a proper transport model before we could comment constructively on the impact on our local roads. The Jacobs report, including sensitivity testing, appeared on your website on the 18th of October, and it refers to the officer's report already written and put on your website three working days later. Well, where was the open and transparent process that we were promised? Given no time for our consultant to review and respond to the new information, we thank SSE for Bruce Bamber's technical note 2, dated the 5th of November, where he explains that the proposed development worsens the situation of severe congestion, even with the proposed additional mitigation. Mr Bamber says that you must take into account local plan development within the time frame of the Stansted proposals. It is not credible to ignore the specific impact of that development. His compelling TN2 highlights inaccuracy in the officer's recommendation. The sensitivity of the modelling to a very small changes in assumptions shows that the proposed junction improvements are very likely to fail to mitigate the impact of the proposed development. This critical distinction is not communicated in the recommendation and its conclusion is therefore based on a, not therefore based on a reasoned and balanced review of the evidence. We urge the planning committee to carefully consider our points and refuse this application. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, Mr Armstrong. Um, Councillor Jackie Kingdom from Stebbing.
when you're ready, Jackie. Thank you. Mr Chairman and Councillors, the Chief Executive of Stansted Airport claims he is overwhelmed by the support he has received for plans to raise the number of passengers Stansted can handle to 43 million per annum. Your planning officers recommend this committee approves the planning application today, but I am asking you all to take a few moments to reflect, to give some thought to the people who gave you the opportunity to serve your community and to make the right decisions on their behalf. The only tier of government which is not politically biased now is the Parish Council. And I can assure you all that Stebbing Parish Council works with its residents. How sad then that many of you as district councillors look only to serve party politics with so little thought for those you committed to represent. This council has just a few months to run. Many of you will retire. Smugly satisfied you have done a good job despite adversities and delivered what was expected of you. Stebbing residents are asking you to think again, to think of your own spatial vision commitment for Uttlesford to be a desirable place to live. Well, actually, that means not having planes thundering directly over our heads, literally every minute, night and day. So, Uttlesford will be a place where residents choose to live, where communities thrive, are healthy and safe. I quote you again. Not with the current levels of pollution from aircraft, certainly not with almost double the CO2 emissions causing health problems, and certainly not with noise pollution increasing loss of sleep, stress, heart attacks and stroke, as put by Professor Banatvala. Nor will places have character and communities create and feel a pride of place. No, just inadequate traffic-clogged roads, chaos and a rising sense of desperation from families who have lived in our villages and market towns for generations and from those who move to Uttlesford to enjoy its open countryside and charm. Not one parish council in Uttlesford has registered support for this application and I ask you to remember that. Councillors, your duty is clear. And I quote from Peter Sanders' open letter to you from Stop Stansted Expansion. Do not be swayed by party political or electoral considerations. Judge this application on the evidence and with due regard for your obligations to the local community. Be courageous and independently minded and make the right decision for this and future generations. It is the highest importance that this very special local environment can be appreciated by generations yet to be born. Thank you very much, Mr Chairman. Uh, thank you, Mrs Kingdom. Um, and finally, from the Parish Councils, Councillor Tricia Barber. 
Stakeley Parish Council. Uh, yes, my name is Patricia Barber. I'm speaking as a member of Takeley Parish Council. Takeley objects very strongly to this application from Manchester Airport Group and urges that it be dismissed. Sorry. Is that better? Can you hear? Like that? Is that better? Sorry. Um, right. Take, start again. Um, my name is Patricia Barber. I'm speaking as a member of Takeley Parish Council. Takeley objects very strongly to this application from Manchester Airport Group and urges that it be dismissed. Takeley is very close to the airport. A large part of it is in the parish and we are concerned about the effect an increase in passenger numbers would have on the amenity of local residents. Our objections to this application are as follows. Surface access, the infrastructure will not cope with an increase in passengers coming to the airport and we can see nothing in the application which demonstrates how the surface access problems will be solved. Junction 8 of the M11 is already at capacity at peak times. The M11 is busy and accidents are, on it are unfortunately becoming a frequent occurrence. Residents of Takeley have to cross Junction 8 every time they go to or from Bishop's Stortford and have to contend with congestion and often near gridlock. More passengers coming to the airport by coach and car will add to this congestion. The large amount of development in Bishop's Stortford and planned and proposed development in Uttlesford and East Hearts will impact on Junction 8. Changes to the junction recently announced may help traffic flow in the short term but will not cope with any airport expansion. Independent traffic expert Bruce Bamber of Rails and TPC says that it is likely that the impact of this development on Junction 8 and the surrounding road network will be severe. The close proximity of Takeley to the airport means that the local roads are used as rat runs. Airport express coaches use the route through the village as shortcut to the airport. <coughs> airport related parking is a problem in the village. Much of the traffic is airport workers, the numbers of which will increase with an increase in passengers. The roads through Hatfield Heath, Hatfield Broadoak and Takeley are not suitable for this amount of traffic. Cars going to Junction 8 from the east in the morning rush hour are coming through Takeley to avoid the long queues on the A120 up to Junction 8. The railway line into London Liverpool Street has for years been a busy commuter line which is already under pressure from local housing development and a further increase in airport passengers will exacerbate this. This line has a finite capacity. Stansted Airport should give consideration to the local residents who need to use the railway to get to work. <coughs> the environment, Hatfield Forest, an ancient royal hunting forest and a site of special scientific interest, is under the flight path and only a mile from the end of the runway. An increase in aircraft movements will mean an increase in pollution from emissions from overflying aircraft and visitors will suffer more noise. Government policy to, is to reduce emissions from greenhouse gases. This application goes against this. We are concerned about the air quality in parts of Takeley. More aircraft, taxiing and in-flight will increase the air pollution. We hear ground noise and noise from departing and arriving aircraft. This was particularly intrusive on the hot summer nights we had earlier this year. The extra taxiways and aircraft stands proposed will increase the noise nuisance. In view of all of the above, I strongly urge you to turn down this application. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Councillor Barber. Um, that completes the statements from the Parish Council, so I'm going to move on to um, objectors. 
to the application as such, and uh, I have five of those, and I have five supporters. So I'll start with uh, Mr. Robert Beer, Easters and the Roadings. Good morning. I am Robert Beer, representing the Easters and Roadings Action Group. We object to this planning application. MAG consistently misrepresent the facts used to support their case. Every parameter they use use points in their favour with no real-world risks presented. They omit key sensitivities relating to Brexit, reduced passenger growth, bankruptcy of low-cost carriers and exposure to Ryanair. They do not present a real world. For example, MAG make no profit from operating flights from Stansted. Their profits come from car parking. They will never work to reduce car use at the airport. Do you really believe the claim Stansted will increase passengers by 66% and flights by 44% but with no significant adverse environmental effects? This is not a credible statement. The UDC officers report parrots Mag's words with no effective challenge to their many implausible assumptions. This is an uninformed effort by officers and it is difficult to understand how they arrived at their conclusion. The recommendation is fundamentally flawed. It neither gives adequate weight to nor serves the interests of Uttlesford residents. You have heard 47 parish and town councils have objected with reasoned arguments why this application should be refused. This is the true voice of the residents of Uttlesford, not this officer's report. None of the great number of objecting comments have been taken on board by officers, so it is difficult to understand how their conclusion can be unbiased. Finally, there is no substantive reason given as to why this application is coming forward so prematurely. A decision in favour of MAG will create significant value for MAG and their shareholders. They will take any UDC approval to their bankers, and refinance the balance sheet for their whole business, not just Stansted, enabling them to maintain their large dividend flows to their shareholders, mainly Manchester councils and Australian pension funds. (coughs) If approved, MAG will also avoid implementing the benefits associated with new environmentally friendly aviation legislation coming soon from government. Officers seem to believe that value for MAG equates to value for UDC and its residents. It is not. In fact, it is the opposite. Approving this application will destroy value for Uttlesford. Officers have ignored and not considered the option value that will be lost by making a favourable decision now. Put simply, unless absolutely necessary, it is always better to defer a decision. You do not close your options off, and that will have intrinsic value. Decisions made later under great uncertainty are better and always create more value. This is why companies are currently deferring decisions until after Brexit. Rejecting this application is the only way to produce real value for Uttlesford. Please dismiss this application. You will be applauded by your residents. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Mr Beer. Can I take Ray Woodcock?
Mr Woodcock, you have three minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr Chairman. Can everybody hear me? Yes. I'm Ray Woodcock, a resident of Stansted Malfitchet for 44 years. For my community activities, I received a UDC Community Award, of which I'm extremely proud. The application proposes rat, ret and night and stands, increasing the airfield capacity well above the approved 274,000 flights. With these, it would be comparable with Gatwick's capability of 60 million passengers and 325,000 flights per annum. This clearly is an expansion plan. Surface access, airports are magnets for cars. Our narrow local roads cannot cope. There are over 5 million car passenger journeys into and out of Stansted passenger car parks, plus millions of kiss and fly, staff, taxis, coaches and hire cars. In total, there were over 12 million vehicle movements last year. Fly parking is a problem for us. This application will cause millions more vehicles to use our already congested roads, generating even more pollution. Airports are polluters and noise generators, that there is no doubt. Evidence shows that Stansted Airport is a major polluter. A UDC survey a UDC, a UDC survey yet to be calibrated shows that Burton End has a pollution level of over 43 micrograms of NO2 um, per cubic metres during the first six months of this year. Few vehicles use this road that go through um, Burton End. It can only be airport related. Airport, um, air pollution damages the health of the unborn, young and older people. It's an unseen killer. Many years ago, in about 1963, um, I lived in East London. I'm an East Londoner. I saw the smog. It killed thousands and thousands. You could see the smog. You can't see this killer. The World Health Organization report, October 2018, provides you with noise policy guidelines. Noise harms children's cognitive development and people's sleep and health. Last week's public statements, 74 were made, of which 47 represented style employees and businesses in various forms supporting the application. The remainder um, uh, objected. Not a single supporter mentioned noise, air pollution or climate change, but those opposing voiced their real concerns. Will those who don't seem to care ask, why didn't you do something about this when things get worse? To conclude, the legacy I wish to leave my grandsons is that their granddad passionately passionately campaigned for the environment to remain clean and healthy for future generations. That's being responsible. Defy the officer's recommendations. Your responsibility is to refuse or recommend that this application is determined as a project of national significance. 
By the way, last week, when many of our uh, committee members heard the various reports from people, not, there, there's no job losses if you don't approve this planning application. I heard, I go to stack meetings. Um, about six months ago-ish, um, one of the committee members who works at the airport and is a responsible person at that airport stated very clearly that the meandering and multiple shops that there are now in the, um, in the departure lounge, that's causing problems. Um, and there are numerous report errors. For example, can I, can I ask you to wrap up, Mr. Woodcock? In these reports, there are many errors. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Woodcock. Um, can I have Sid Brand? I'm Sidney Brand. I live in High Easter. Uh, good morning to you all. Um, I'm a voter. I'm one of these people that goes into a booth, looks at a piece of paper and puts a cross next to somebody who I hope is going to protect the environment for us. I fail to see how this application is going to protect the environment for the people who live in those areas. I'm opposed to the 43 million, pound, uh, 43 million passengers per year. As there is presently a level at 35 million passengers a year, there's 30% room there for expansion. I do not see why there is a hurry. If 43 million passengers a year is granted, then we are very, very close to Gatwick levels. We will end up with a Gatwick at Stansted. It will not be avoidable. Business will take over, and that's the type of place we're going to find at Stansted. Once we reach 43 million, <clears throat> arguably... There's a case there for Stansted to request a second runway. A lot of people dismiss that as never going to happen. But we have a situation at Heathrow at the moment where the new runway is going to be between the airport and the M4. <coughs> uh, estimates say that 100,000 people will be affected by pollution and noise. They're going to need to tunnel the M25 at its largest section, which is eight lanes, it's a hot potato, one which I think London would like to get itself out of. Once we have 43 million granted to Stansted, Stansted will be in a position to request that London runway with all the problems that we'll see with that. So the way I see it is the worst case, the best scenario is we end up with a Gatwick if you improve this. Worst case scenario, we end up with Heathrow Mark II. They're my comments. I'm not going to go into any other comments. Lots have been said by Councillor Lloyd and other people, but thank you for listening to what I've got to say. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr Brand. Um, Michael Young. I will be speaking in a personal capacity. Last month, the IPCC announced that the safe limit for a global temperature increase was now 1.5 rather than 2 degrees, and this could be reached by 2030. 
the UK government is committed to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 80%. And for aviation, it's set a target of keeping emissions in 2050 to the same level as in 2005. Reducing aviation emissions is especially difficult. The scope for efficiencies is limited and savings are overshadowed by industry growth. Carbon trading and offsetting schemes have proved ineffective. At present, the Department for Transport, the DFT, is forecasting that aviation emissions in 2050 will be 3 million tonnes above target. Clearly, there is no capacity for any further increase. The DFT forecasts are based on their projections that incorporate a third Heathrow runway and best use of other airports, with Stansted not exceeding 35 million passengers. Looking at the period to 2050, the DFT calculates that Stansted will emit a total of 39 million tonnes of carbon dioxide. But if approval is granted, then the airport's predictions would result in 68 million tonnes, an additional 29 million tonnes, an average of 1 million extra tonnes a year. At altitude, planes have other global warming effects. The science is uncertain, but the general view is that this doubles the effect of carbon dioxide alone. Climate change is a valid reason for refusal. Earlier this year, the Secretary of State refused permission for an open-cast coal mine because it would have, and I quote, an adverse effect on climate change of very substantial significance. The total emissions involved over its lifespan were 7 million tonnes, rather less than the 68 million tonnes for Stansted in the period up to 2050 if the application is approved. And remember that CO2 stays in the atmosphere for at least 50 years. Our children and grandchildren will pay the price. The officer's report simply reproduces the forecast by MAG, whereas the figures I have used are from the DFT. These show that approval of the application will result in an extra 29 million tonnes of CO2. I cannot accept the officer's view that this is of minor significance. I believe that it would have a material impact on the need to meet our carbon reduction targets and is therefore a very valid reason for refusal. As one IPCC chair commented, every extra bit of warming matters. Thank you, Mr Young. And finally, from the objectors, Brian Ross. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, when you're ready. Right. Thank, thank you, Chairman. I'm Brian Ross, and I'm Deputy Chairman of SSE. And I led the SSE team, which provided you with what is now 300 pages of detailed analysis and evidence on this application. Now, following legal clearance, I want to place on record that there is some significant evidence that I cannot share with you. As part of SSE's High Court case, the Government Legal Department, at the behest of MAG, insisted on a confidentiality undertaking which I signed on September the 25th. 
That was before they would release certain important disclosures to SSE as part of our case. And no one else in SSE is allowed to see these documents except me. I can't even share them with colleagues. The most galling thing is I can't even use them to rebut disingenuous claims in this application. Now these, pub these documents will come into the public domain sooner or later. I hope sooner. As you know, SSE never wanted this committee to be put in this position. This is a large and complex application. 2,350 docu documents at the last count, some 12,000 pages. It's completely unfair to put this committee in that position. Especially, the devil is in the detail. SSE has always believed that this application is of national significance and needs to be dealt with as such. But we are where we are, and I just want to make one further point. If you refuse this application, the applicant has a right to appeal. If you approve the application, we do not have a right to appeal. The local community has no right to appeal. Of course, I realise we could take a legal challenge. We could file a judicial review application against Uttlesford District Council. We have absolutely no appetite to do that. Our members would end up paying twice, first through SSE and secondly as council taxpayers. Whoever won would pay both sides of the costs. More fundamentally, it's not the council. It's not the council who we want to challenge here. It's not our own council we want to challenge. It's the applicant. It's MAG we want to challenge. Because its plans would inflict enormous damage upon this local community. So I say to you, give us a chance. This MAG application is riddled with misrepresentations. Its plans would damage the community. Give us a chance to challenge them in a public inquiry. The same opportunity you would give MAG. Let's put the facts, the evidence before a public inquiry so that we can challenge it in detail and in depth and in front of an independent inspector. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Ross. Um, I'm going to let... Um Councillor Lodge read a statement from Neil Hargreaves because he's uh, unfortunately been taken sick. He was on the list of speakers, so uh, John, if you'd like to present that from Neil. Thank you very much, Chair. As, as, as you said, I will, I will read it as, as it's written without interpreting it myself, though. Um, he starts by saying I, uh, his topic is air pollution. He has a degree in chemistry and is a chartered accountant. So um, I can't claim the latter, but I'll now read it as though it's from him. Uh, he says, I do know about science and the numbers. In my village, just up the B1383 from the airport, we have an air pollution problem. So for our neighbourhood plan, I've done a lot of detailed work on how the pollution is recorded. I've been through the air quality statement for this application and the first thing that strikes me is they use a computer model called ADMS Airport which is correct for an airport but not for the surrounding settlements or the M11. 
so they have failed to model outside the immediate vicinity of the airport. Their report says that airport-related NO2 pollution will increase by 58%, and that particulates, which are the microscopic particles of carbon, will increase by 56%. But this is mostly from vehicles, not aircraft. And where will these vehicles be? Just on the airport, or will they venture out? The centre of Bishop Stortford has pollution far worse than anywhere else in Uttlesford. Readings of 70 micrograms compared with the lethal maximum of 40. It has an air quality management area, but the application claims no extra airport traffic will be in Stortford. So they ignored it. This is not plausible. The report claims that current pollution elsewhere is well known, is, sorry, is well below the air quality standard. It quotes a monitor tube above the M11 at Burton End, for which I have the figures from UDC back to 2013, and every year the figure just slightly under the legal maximum. The latest figure has only escaped being reported as illegal because UDC failed to maintain their calibration equipment and a much weaker national standard had to be applied. If they had used the average adjustment over the last five years as approved by DEFRA, it would have been reported as illegal, 42 micrograms. Even worse, this tube is near the bridge over the M11 on the back route out of Stansted Village to the airport. Because it is 27 metres from the motorway, they have reduced the reported figure. This assumption, the pollution is created on the lane and not on the M11. Bonkers, this is the wrong way around. The reported figure should actually be increased. The pollution on the M11, which everyone is driving through, must be on these figures be way over the legal limit. None of the modelling considers the risk to drivers, and again the application says the traffic on the M11 is nothing to do with the airport. It is clear, therefore, that in Stortford and the M11, this application will directly result in more pollution in an already polluted area. The MPPPF paragraph 181 says that we must consider cumulative impact. It was therefore not an excuse to say we are only making an illegal position slightly more illegal. The assessment says it has put into the model committed development elsewhere. That means the big new settlement now at Reg 19 are ignored. Two on the A120, one on the M11. Even Essex Education accept that Reg 19 plans must be included in forecasts. And there is no list of these committed developments. And my experience from other planning applications is that only the very large ones are put in the model and dozens of medium-sized sites are ignored. On aircraft emissions, the International Civil Aviation Authority says uh, to model emissions up to 3,000 feet, but the application only did to 1,500 feet. NO2 is heavier than air. Yes, it disperses, but some still comes to the ground. The protocol to consider 3,000 feet is there for a purpose. What about mitigation? The section on mitigation is waffle. One of the stated measures is to improve air quality. It doesn't say how. It's padding to fill up the space. There are other issues on air quality. I've been through the SSE documents on this, and I think their criticisms are valid. My conclusion is that the modelling is materially incomplete, and the application doesn't comply with EMV 13 or the MPPF. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, John. John, could you give a copy of that to uh, Nigel Mann?
and I'll just let Nigel go through some of the points there. Not at the moment, but for this afternoon, if that's okay. Councillor Chambers. Five minute break, Mr Chairman. Uh, a three minute break, <laughs> Councillor Chambers. Yeah? As quick as you can. <laughs> Just going to take a short recess. He's getting on a bit.
Can everybody just take their seats, please? All back? Okay. Um, I'd like to move on now, if possible, um, to supporters of the application and start with Mr Steve Heapy. Sorry, Mr Chairman, we have... We have oh, well, sorry. Was there? Yes. Just bear with us a second. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yes, I got it. that Mr Councillors Chambers and Freeman have availed themselves of the coffee machine. <coughs> okay. Is Paul in the committee room? Okay. No, we're just waiting for Anthony, can you do me a favour and have a chase, just see where he is, if you can. Apologies, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, we're all present. Thank you. You're doing well this week. <laughs> I can hardly wait. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Heapy, have I pronounced that right? I hope. You have three minutes when you're ready, Mr. Heapy. Thanks. Uh, Steve Heapy. Uh, Chief Executive Officer, Jet2.com, Jet2 Holidays. Um, Jet2.com started operations at Stansted last year and we're quickly growing and establishing ourselves as a major player, offering a huge range of flights and holidays to the people of the area. 
Other airlines have also started and increased operations and as a result the airport is now considered as a first choice for many travellers in this area and beyond. Demand for flights and holidays from the population to an ever-increasing range of destinations grows every year. This extra capacity brings huge benefits to the local economy with, for example, Jet2.com and Jet2 Holidays employing over 500 people over the last 18 months and also sustaining and creating jobs in support industries. Additionally, many of the Jet2.com jobs created are highly skilled and require significant investment and training from us in our colleagues. The increase in demand has led to the need to invest significant amounts of money at Stansted Airport to facilitate future passenger growth over the next few years and give a better passenger experience in order to serve the needs of the local community and beyond. Operating an airline and an airport is a hugely expensive and risky business and Jet2.com and Jet2 Holidays would like to expand further at Stansted but in order to do this and to justify huge capital investment projects we need certainty over the future size, scale and timing of the expansion plans of the airport. Next year we'll have 11 aircraft based at Stansted and each one has a list price of over $90 million. It's very difficult to plan operations of this size and scale without certainty. We're very sensitive to the concerns of the local community and our fleet here consists of all new aircraft which are more environmentally friendly and quieter than older aircraft. Additionally, there are constant developments in the airline industry and every opportunity to increase efficiency, reduce noise and reduce emissions is being taken. Modern aircraft are much more environmentally friendly. The South of England needs more airline capacity to meet an ever-increasing demand and of course every additional aircraft results in a benefit to the local economy and more employment for local people, not only directly employed by the airport but also other businesses in the local area. The news nowadays is littered with stories of companies struggling. Stansted is a success story and its future and the future of the local economy could be very bright indeed if the plans are approved. We have the chance to secure a positive economic legacy for future generations and if we do not grasp this chance now, we may regret it for years to come. Consequently, we at Jet2.com and Jet2 Holidays are strongly in favour of the Stansted Airport Capital Investment Plan and Transformation Programme. Please take this opportunity to approve the scheme and allow this programme to go ahead to improve connections for the local community and beyond, to create jobs, both direct and indirect, and to secure an economic legacy that future generations will thank you for. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr Heapy. Um, David Rook. Chairman, members of the Planning Committee. Um, my name is David Rook and I'm the Location Services Director for Invest Essex. Invest Essex is the publicly funded inward investment agency for the County of Essex. We are tasked with supporting the growth of the Essex business economy, both through existing operations and the attractions of new business investment from elsewhere in the UK and overseas. We are also the formal delivery partner for the Department of International Trade for Foreign Direct Investment Inquiries and projects that are received through the Foreign and Commonwealth Office's overseas network. 
Invest Essex works with many, many businesses across the county to understand directly what impacts on their success and indeed what prevents or hinders their growth. One very clear message we constantly receive is infrastructure and access to markets. High quality connected infrastructure is fundamental to a successful economy, whether it be transport, energy or digital, and the provision of a modern infrastructure that meets the expectations of both the business and the community alike is absolutely key to an area's success and future prosperity. For an area, region or indeed a country to be competitive in today's very global business world, it must have the infrastructure that connects to global markets. And a very key element of trade and investment across the world is the ease and speed at which those markets physically connect, whether that connection be for goods, services or talent. As an example, there is little doubting the importance of business and of Cambridge, one of the world's top knowledge locations on the economy of Uttlesford and the east of England. However, the continued success of, of Cambridge and the surrounding business community, both established and as yet entirely undiscovered, will be built on its ability to operate and compete in a global market. This is the very same global market that businesses in the likes of Singapore, Mumbai, Boston, Melbourne or Shanghai also operate. And it's absolutely essential that businesses not just in Cambridge but across Uttlesford and the east of England are provided with the infrastructure that enables them to compete on the world stage. A crucial piece of that infrastructure being a competitive and prosperous London Stansted Airport. Without doubt, London Stansted Airport will power the future growth of the Uttlesford, Essex, Essex and East of England economies. As business markets and opportunities develop around the world, both through organic growth and the new and emerging trade agreements that are agreed beyond Europe, the planned investment and growth of London Stansted Airport will be the key economic catalyst that will enable Uttlesford, Essex and the East of England to truly benefit from these new opportunities. Invest Essex works with a huge number of businesses across the county and beyond. We engage at very senior level and the support and advice provided often gives us unique insight into business growth and investment strategies. Many businesses are increasingly looking to overseas markets for future growth. The UK government's target is to increase UK, the UK's exports of goods and services from 30 to 35% of gross domestic product and one key enabler to deliver this target is the ability to access both existing and new markets alike. The introduction by Emirates in June of this year of a direct daily flight from Stansted to Dubai with over 140 onward destinations in 79 countries provides a wealth of connectivity and market opportunity for businesses across the east of England. Such long-haul fl flights are far more efficient at transporting passengers due to the capacity effectively reducing the flight per passenger ratio. We are aware of a number of businesses that now utilise this direct connectivity with Dubai and onward routes. One manufacturing company in Essex has utilised the new Emirates route from Stansted via Dubai on over 60 occasions since its launch, a provision which has greatly improved the company's ability to efficiently access both established and new market opportunities. Another, a tech company that provides and manages the software behind the entire electric vehicle charging network throughout Dubai, also now benefits from the efficiencies of a direct flight from close to their Essex head office. This business is growing and creating jobs. As the formal recipient of foreign direct investment inquiries via the Department of, Trade, uh, Department of International Trade, Invest Essex has the site of the key locational drivers of many overseas companies seeking to establish a UK operation. And very regularly, the proximity to an international airport is of key focus. 
The prevention of London Stansted Airport to grow on a competitive basis will place the east of England at a significant disadvantage compared to other parts of the UK that are investing in and expanding their airport infrastructure. The provision and strengthening of both European and international flight connections from London Stansted Airport will place the area in a strong position for future business investment, particularly with the introduction of long-haul routes that in turn will provide further employment opportunities and hence strengthen the the economy in and around Uttlesford. A prosperous London Stansted Airport will play a pivotal role in the continued success and growth of, of current and future businesses in the area that directly employ not only today's residents, but those of future generations. One that will be the catalyst for aspiration, ambition, wealth and satisfaction for many thousands of people for years to come. Can I ask you to wrap up now? Yeah, one point. Invest Essex would like to express its full support for the application submitted, the approval of which will provide long-term prosperity throughout the district, and I would urge the committee to approve this application. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Rook. Uh, Cassius Blanchard. Mr. Blanchard, you have three minutes when you're ready. Good morning. I have lived in Saffron Walden for approximately eight years, having left the armed forces in 2011. When I left the forces, I was looking for a job that was only not only close to home and paid a decent wage so that I could support my family, but also one that offered me the kind of environment that would help me adjust best to civilian life. I came across an ad online where Stansted Airport was recruiting security officers, so I applied and eventually acquired a position within the airport for that role. I have now worked at the airport for seven years and have been promoted three times, working my way up from security officer to team leader to security duty manager to security manager. How many other businesses are there in Uttlesford that could guarantee career progression like this? I have enjoyed working at the airport considerably because there are such a wide range of roles, companies and people who come from many different cultural backgrounds and it still amazes me seven years later that I pretty much meet someone new every day. When Mag acquired Stansted Airport, they had a vision and a plan to achieve that vision. And based on my background, this gave me stability and focus within my role. They have invested in me as an employee by enrolling me on different courses and giving me sufficient training to be able to complete my various roles effectively and efficiently. This has helped me to develop as an individual, which has enabled me to build a career at Stansted Airport, and in doing that, give my family and I a better quality of life and stay living in Uttlesford. I know many people who live in Saffron Walden and in all the surrounding villages and towns who work at Stansted Airport in one capacity or another. With Stansted Airport being right on our doorstep, it has also enabled my family and I to have the versatility of going away on holiday a lot easier and due to the new routes that Stansted has implemented over the recent years and the new airlines that have started flying out of Stansted has also given us more options and better deals on flights. It also enables family family and friends to fly in a lot closer to us when coming over to visit. I am also really proud of the fact that I work for an employer who supports the armed forces. London Stansted has become the first airport in England to sign up to the armed forces covenant outlining how it will support both serving and retired military personnel and reservists. The armed forces covenant is a promise by the airport to ensure those who serve or who have served in the armed forces and their families are treated fairly 
And to me, this means a lot to see Stansted Airport back in the armed forces as an ex-serving soldier. It is so important that more businesses in Othersford are encouraged to do their bit to support those who have served this country in combat. Also, the on-site college is the first of its kind at any major UK airport and is a fantastic example of the commitment that Stansted Airport makes to investing in the people in my local community and the long-term prosperity of, of, of my region. My family and I enjoy living in this region and the future growth of Stansted Airport will enable mine and thousands of other families in the region to stay here in Uttlesford and also provide greater stability for local businesses by employing local pe people who in turn will spend at local businesses. With all the investment into Stansted Airport and in turn the, in turn the local communities surrounding Stansted Airport, life in this part of Essex would be completely different and not as full of vitality and prosperity which the growth of the airport in the recent years have brought with it. With Stansted continue to invest in the airport and the local economy, this means that there will be jobs for future generations and good livelihoods for those who currently work at the airport. Why would anyone want to travel all the way to Heathrow or Gatwick when you have an airport right on your doorstep which could take you to the very same destinations as those other airports? It is vitally important that this application to increase the number of passengers that can travel through the airport is approved. Otherwise, you would be limiting the potential and possibilities for the region in terms of the local businesses thriving, local economy booming, jobs for local people, apprenticeships for our young people, and the list could go on. Also, this would allow those of us who do work at the airport to continue to build our careers and support our families, which could be threatened if this approval does not go ahead. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you, Mr. Blanchard. Uh, Keith Perry. Good morning. My name is Keith Perry. I'm the founder and creative director of No Nonsense Design. I run a small local design company that has worked for and with Stansted Airport since 2008. My company provides a myriad of services to the airport from graphics to web, strategic, environmental reporting, safety, internal comms, exhibitions and wayfinding. I've always considered Stansted to be my local airport. I was born in Whitton, went to Chelmsford School and College in Colchester. In 2006, after 20 years of grind of commuting and stress working at London agencies, I decided to set up for myself. And I was very impressed with the amount of local talent I could actually use and employ. Through my own choice, I haven't wanted to expand my business very large, um, we've managed to keep a small permanent staff. Um, we call those the inner ring. And there's enough to keep them nicely busy. Nobody travels more than 20 minutes to work. And most of the time, people work from home. We use Skype. We use as much modern technology as possible. The outer ring comprises copywriters, 3D, CAD designers, retail, point-of-sale specialists, set designers, fabricators, accessibility and wayfinding auditors, video and filmmakers with editing suites and translation services. All of these I get within the three counties around Stansted. We start working with Stansted way back, um, we started when they were still part of the BAA. From that they've grown, we've helped them secure um, some flights in for the Olympics um, and then we dressed the airport for the Olympic Games. We've been working on all things transport, we've been looking after the travel card and carnet products, how to get those promoted outside to all the local communities. Um, we've 
been part of the rebranding. We helped them celebrate 25 years. We've worked on Vision Zero and, as I say, a number of strategic reports and the job fairs that we've now taken into North London into Tottenham Job Centre Plus. Most recently, we launched Aerozone Education Centre and we run the Stansted Community Network website for them. Since 2009, we've billed just short of £1.5 million to Stansted for a small consultancy. That's quite a lot. Um, on top of that, installations of the Olympics and the rebranding added probably about a million pounds to that budget. We didn't invoice that. As we work on 50% in-house costs and 50% external costs, this has generated £750,000 worth of revenue that No Nonsense Design has given to local businesses on behalf of Stansted and the extra million pounds for the fit-outs for Olympics and the rebranding. We've used 41 different suppliers to deliver these design solutions. 37 of them are local. There's just a restriction on some of the other businesses. As an owner of the company whose job it is to promote Stansted to the outside world, you'd expect me to be proud of our achievements irrespective of the consequences. That isn't and will never be my position. No nonsense chooses who it wants to work for and what, it wants, what the work is. If we don't believe in it, we don't do it. I genuinely believe the people at Stansted, including the executive team, feel the same and actually do care about the responsibilities to their passengers, their suppliers and their local community. This just happens to be a really difficult consideration. Growth opens up choice and new routes for passengers, like me, and in addition to new business opportunities for local businesses, like me. With the rapid growth of technology and pharma-based companies that I've seen within Uttlesford and the wider catchment area, new routes must become viable options to keep pace. We're all not only promoting our services locally and nationally, but with the internet and social media, we're now all competing on the international stage. So offering mid- and long-haul options would offer some serious choices for anyone who lived north of London. Why do I want to spend two hours or more going around the M25 to Heathrow? In the last few years, we have consulted on projects in Kuwait, Oman, Malaysia and China. All have involved that dreaded M25 journey. <coughs> Personally, my family and I currently use Stansted quite a lot. My wife's half German, so we visit family over there about five times a year. We also go skiing as a large group of local people, and Stansted's our preferred choice, mainly to keep the kids happy. We do have the option of Luton, but that fills us with as much dread as the M25. In summary, when the airport does well, my business does well, which means dozens of other businesses also benefit. It's as simple as that, and I encourage the committee to support this application. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Mr Perry. Um, and finally, for the supporters, Karen Spencer. Karen, you have three minutes. I'm delighted to be able to say good afternoon, everybody. Um, I'm Karen Spencer, and I'm Principal and Chief Executive of Harlow College and also Stansted Airport College. I'm also an Uttlesford resident, and I also live directly on the Stansted flight path. However, I'm here to, you, to talk to you about the young people that I work with. I currently work with over 3,000 young people, across West Essex and East Hertfordshire 
a number of whom are Uttlesford residents. It's worth reflecting that young people currently have little or no presence in our democracy and little or no voice. In September 2018, a new college opened in Uttlesford, and we were delighted that this was a partnership between Harlow College and also Stansted Airport. This has provided opportunities for 300 young people. Those young people would have travelled outside of Uttlesford to study. There are currently, according to the Essex-based area review, over 700 young people a year travelling to places like Cambridge and into London to study. We found our work with the airport and the opening of a new college is a real tangible commitment to skills and to education. It provides a clear line of sight to the workplace for many young people. I've heard unemployment being low mentioned as a reason for not expanding the airport. However, without our new college, without the airport, the young people of Uttlesford, those 700 young people, are travelling outside of Uttlesford and they're not coming back. That's a huge brain drain and a huge impact in terms of both travel and opportunity for young people. When I speak to the young people I work with, and that's over 3,000 across West Essex, and also 4,000 adults that I work with in Essex, they say to me they see Uttlesford as a place for old people. I want you to look around this room and really reflect on that. I also want you to think about the opportunities that our young people need. They need a real career opportunity. Excuse me, please. Please, could I not be heckled? Nobody yeah, else right. has you been heckled. On. Thank Aaron, you. you. carry on at your own pace. Um, it's the old people. We have, yeah, we, have a part, we have a real partnership here that helps young people. It gives them a step on the ladder. It gives them a career opportunity. They are not travelling out of our area and they are our future. I personally have two young children living in Uttlesford and I see the airport as a fantastic opportunity. I'm going to leave you with two statements from my students. This is from a young man who lives in Great Stamford. I would like a career in aircraft maintenance. Stansted Airport expansion is important as I believe it gives me a better chance of getting a job in the future and brings more local opportunities for young people. Being close to the industry is already providing me with better opportunities for work experience and giving me access to the profession. This is a young lady from Stansted Mount Fitchett. I chose to study aviation services at Stansted Airport College because I would like to work for the border force at the airport. Until the college opened, my only other option was to go to Cambridge Regional College to study travel and tourism, which was much less focused and less convenient for travel or the course I wanted. The link with the airport and the opportunities provided by its expansion provide me with a much brighter future and the opportunity to live and to work locally. Thank you.
Karen, thank you very much. Um, well, we have the final speaker now, the applicant, uh, Mr Ken O'Toole, as I managed to get your name wrong last time, much to my embarrassment. Um, Ken, you have technically up to about an hour and a half as we give you equal speaking, but I know you're only going to be 15 minutes. And then we'll break for lunch, so no pressure. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, uh, I firstly want to start by thanking uh, UDC members um, and officers for the time and effort that they have devoted to carefully uh, and professionally considering our application over the, the last nine months. Um, I'd also like to, to place on record uh, my thanks to the dozens of people uh, who appeared at last week's public sessions to speak about the application. Uh, we've always supported a healthy and accurate debate uh, about the Sanset's future and how to ensure our growth is aligned to the best interests of the community in which we operate. Since the application was made several months ago, uh, much has been said and written, uh, and you've heard a lot of comments and opinions. Um, today I would like to provide a succinct appraisal of the main points of the application and reiterate the benefits for the local area of permitting Stadsa to grow from 35 to 43 million passengers per annum. I also want to ensure that the committee is left with no doubt as to the validity, accuracy, integrity and appropriateness of the content of our application and supporting documentation. As an airport, our mission is to balance meeting the needs of those using the airport and the associated trade, employment and foreign direct investment direct, directly linked to our activity with the impact our operation has on our local neighbours and other stakeholders. That, as this process has demonstrated, is not always an easy task, uh, but in the case of this application is one where we're confident that characteristic of balance or responsible growth is clear and unequivocal. Our planning application is founded on our confidence in both the future of the region and the airport. The combination of the strong economic health of our catchment, the growing success of world leading sectors in the region, our available runway capacity and the opportunity that provides to airlines, the £600 million MAG wants to invest in making our facilities uh, better and the continuing desire of local residents to travel by air whilst avoiding the time-consuming, unproductive and expensive journey to either Heathrow or Gatwick. These factors combine to ensure that we are an attractive proposition for leisure and business passengers and airlines alike. Why do we need this permission today? Um, firstly, we've had over the last six years and continue to do today to grow rapidly. At nearly 29 million passengers, we are currently the fastest growing major airport in the UK and we will hit our existing restriction of 35 million passengers in the early 2020s. Secondly, both ourselves and our airline partners lead long-term clarity to support critical investment decisions in infrastructure and route development at the airport. This permission will also provide the local community with confidence and clarity that our future growth can be delivered in a measured and sustainable way. I'm a firm believer that a successful airport and a successful region go hand in hand. Our region is hugely ambitious and as we look to the future, a vibrant airport is needed so that your constituents and those companies that employ them have access to a growing number of route destinations 
and that local tourist attractions such as Audley End House, for example, can keep encouraging tourists to the county. Stansett will be critical to achieving all of those objectives. I'm very proud of the airport's growth since 2013 and especially in what has been a very competitive aviation market. But I'm also proud of the way in which we have delivered that growth in a phased and managed way that has seen us remain committed to our core principles with an enduring responsibility to our local environment and our neighbours to operate, develop and grow in a sustainable and balanced manner. Since MAG's acquisition of Stansted in 2013, observers will have seen the airport forge a much closer relationship with the local community. We have always seen this as not a have-to-do, but an intrinsic part of Stansted and MAG's DNA. I could not have been any prouder of my team's efforts in this regard than recently when a local MP told stakeholders publicly just how much he loved the airport because of the depth of its involvement in the community. You will have heard last week from many of our colleagues, our Stansted family, local businesses and other stakeholders who passionately describe their views of Stansted and how they see us as a vital part of not only their lives, but also of the local community, economy, and are thankful of the service we provide. Turning now to our application, which is a continuation of what has been a sustainable and transparent approach to growth that began with the publication of our Sustainable Development Plan back in 2015. Our aim is to make best use of our existing runway, not maximise use, best use, and we are pleased that government has formally endorsed the benefits of airports across the country doing this. To achieve best use, we need permission, as part of this application, for nine new aircraft stands and two new sections of taxiway, and to raise the cap on passengers from 35 to 43 million passengers per annum. As our application has made clear, there will be no increase in the permitted number of aircraft movements above the level that UDC already enforces. This will remain capped at 274,000 movements per annum. There will be no increase in the approved noise counter limit above existing permitted levels, again monitored and controlled by UDC. In fact, a reduction in Stance's noise footprint is a core part of our proposal. And we are not proposing an increase in night flights above existing permitted levels, and we are not seeking to relax the condition that stops us lobbying government to relax existing night flying controls. That's what our application is about. In return, 5,000 new local jobs will be created at the airport, and our economic contribution to the region will double to £2 billion per annum. That is the balance that we are trying to find here. I now want to take this opportunity to address those parts of the application which have created most discussion, starting with overall environmental impact. We have assessed the impacts of the airport's growth from 35 to 43 million passengers per annum across a wide range of issues, including noise, air quality, surface access, carbon and climate. As the committee will be aware, our application has been subject to a comprehensive environmental impact assessment, which your officers and expert advisers have carefully scrutinised. The verdict from this assessment is categoric 
in concluding that our proposal to grow from 35 to 43 million passengers per annum creates no significant harm, whether that be with regards to air quality, carbon, noise or transport. As a business, we are subject to and set ourselves challenging targets and high standards, and we have been clear in saying that this commitment will continue as part of any new permission. Within the EIA, significant emphasis and focus is placed on noise, and rightly so. In appraising our impact and producing our proposals, we have used current recommended best practice from bodies such as ICAO and the latest government and CAA policies. Our current permission is subject to a condition that limits 57 LEQ noise contour to an area of 33.9 square kilometres. Within our application, we forecast that same contour will be 28.7 square kilometres at 43 million passengers per annum. So not only a significant reduction of 5.2 square kilometres from the existing permission, but also a smaller contour than when the airport experienced its last peak back in 2007, when we had 24 million passengers per annum. This lower contour of 28.7 square kilometres, as you'll have heard, is included as a revised condition threshold in our application. This is the product of two things. Firstly, that we will maintain the existing overall cap on aircraft movements, and secondly, each aircraft movement will be quieter on average today with lower emissions, delivering improved performance, better track keeping and a cleaner, quieter fleet. To address community concerns about further growth, we have committed to immediately introducing a significant enhanced sound insulation grant scheme boundary that, we will make the scheme of, that will make the scheme available to more houses in a lower noise contour. It will be tiered up to £10,000 in value and require no contribution from the householder. We will also allocate funding to help 18 noise-sensitive community facilities, including five schools and two healthcare facilities. Turning to transport, at 51%, Stansted is the leading major airport in the UK in terms of the percentage of passengers and staff travelling to and from the airport by public transport and we are committed to maintaining this high level of performance. Our services by rail, coach and bus not only serve our passengers and staff, but also many local people using the airport as a transport interchange, supported by schemes such as discounted commuter parking passes for local residents. The local bus services we support give benefits to those towns and villages they serve, as well as giving access to employment at Stansted. Our growth has supported major investment by Abellio, our train operator, in brand new 12-car trains, and National Express has already rolled out similarly new environmentally friendly coaches. The Transport Forum at Stansted and its track record in exceeding targets is the envy of many airports. Its success is down to the collaborative partnership with local councils and flexible approach that is fundamental to the way we do business. It offers a guaranteed and rising stream of funding year after year that enables investment in a truly sustainable network of services. Future investment will continue to be a partnership between the airport and councils, with the councils retaining control of how those funds are spent. That funding comes from the diverting a slice of the income from every car park transaction and staff parking permit at the airport. And as part of this application, we have announced that further funding will come from extending that mechanism 
to also include our express set down revenue. By 2028, this new approach is expected to have generated over £12 million for investment in sustainable travel and support for public transport services and facilities. In addition, the separate ring fence fund for additional bus route support will see the current £1 million doubled by a further £1 million contribution. Road traffic features in many documents and comments. Despite our, our strong public transport penetration levels, for some, there is no convenient alternative to the car. And again, our transport assessment has been rigorously examined by experts, including Highways England, Essex County Council and Hertfordshire County Council. They have all concluded independently that Stansted can grow to 43 million passengers per annum without any detriment to the road network so long as certain improvements are made. Those improvements which we have committed to include an enhancement of Junction 8 on the M11, led by Highways England, and we have provided a further £800,000 to a local roads fund to fund improvements. We are also committed to supporting the tackling of fly parking issues to the recent creation of a task force that works in conjunctions with councils, police and trading standards. This will all be delivered and overseen by the very successful Transport Forum under the direction and control of local councils. Moving on to demand forecasts. Some speakers, uh, some recent speakers, have talked at length about aviation demand forecasts. They sought to argue that despite Stansted's growth from 17.4 million passengers per annum in February 2013 uh, to nearly 28 million uh, at the, uh, October 18, it would be premature for the committee to grant permission for the airport to handle more than 35 million passengers per annum, a figure we expect to reach by the early 2020s. They sought to bolster their argument by pointing to the government's aviation forecasts which they claimed showed that Stansted was unlikely to handle more than 35 million passengers a year until at least 2030. This, it was argued, meant that the committee should reject the application because it was premature. As the officer report explains in detail, it's clear as to why these arguments lack any substance. Firstly, in October 2017, in its UK aviation forecast document, the government itself recognised the shortcomings of its own forecasts and recommended the use of alternative forecasts in local planning decisions that take into account all drivers of demand. To appreciate this point fully, you just need to see how far adrift the DFT's 2018 current forecast for Stansted is from current actual traffic numbers. Just last year, the DFT forecast that Stansted would handle 23 million passengers in 2018. Not only is this less than what we handled in 2017, it will be circa 6 million short of the 29 million we will actually handle in our current financial year. With a significant difference of more than 20% in just one year, it's clear why the DFT does not recommend the use of their forecasts for individual airport-related considerations. But the committee will, of course, understand there's a much more fundamental reason why it set aside these arguments. And that is because the committee's focus will be on the key planning test, that the proposed development, when considered with the proposed mitigation, will not result in significant harm. In this context, the issue of demand forecast, while hotly debated, is not directly relevant to this question. 
Finally, I just want to spend a few minutes reminding councillors of the benefits that will flow from an approval of this application, starting with the impacts we have on our local community. There is no denying that the airport delivers substantial benefits to the Uttlesford, Essex and East of England economies. This comes in many forms, but most notably from the 12,000 jobs, including over 200,000 in Uttlesford alone, across the 200-plus employers that operate on site at Stansted Airport. With your permission, 5,000 more jobs will be created at the airport and a further £1 billion of gross value-add will be generated. But let me go behind those raw numbers, impressive as they are, uh, to the people themselves. What I hope the committee will have heard loud and clear from our colleagues last, year, last week was that for many, the airport offers them not simply a job, but a career and a way of life. Several speakers have worked at the airport for decades and others have seen that older and younger members of their families also work at the airport. For many, the airport offers more than the standard nine to five. It provides them with a flexibility to suit their lifestyles and contrary to some of the views you will have heard last week, for many, Stansted is a high-wage, high-skill environment. That is the experience of the pilots, engineers, designers, project managers, accountants, air traffic controllers, hotel managers and operational personnel that work at the airport. Stansted is notable for the variety of roles and careers we offer at a scale that is unmatched anywhere else in the region. Many younger staff chose to talk about how it was the presence of the airport that had led them to settle in Uttlesford and the surrounding districts and start a family here based on developing a career in aviation. Without the airport, they said they would either be commuting into London or living somewhere else entirely. We have heard how the airport offers a world within a world, is the spine of our local community, is a second family and offers our children's children a secure future full of potential. You will also have heard many examples of how those colleagues devote thousands of hours to get actively involved in local life through our volunteering and community programs. We have also heard a lot about the impact that the Aerozone and the Airport Academy are having on inspiring that next generation, opening their eyes to the opportunities that await, and we look forward with great pride at the prospect of having our first graduate from our new technical college. These are community assets. And these are assets that have been created since MAG acquired Stansted and are testament to our commitment to our local community. This community is part of our DNA. We take seriously our responsibilities to those who live around the airport. Your success is our success. We can help deliver your vision for the district and the wider region. We can help Uttlesford be a great place to live work and invest and we can help deliver the first class transport connections that all successful places need whether that be by air by train by coach or just to the next village by bus the committee will understand that both our application and our track record over the last six years demonstrates that we are committed to making the most of the social and economic opportunities of growth for local residents passengers, businesses and airline partners. That means doing everything we can to minimise the impacts of our operation whilst maximising the benefits. In conclusion, with Stansted expected to reach its current cap on passengers, 35 million passengers per annum by the early 2020s, it is crucial that we are granted the permission that will enable us to make best use of our runway 
and serve 43 million passengers per annum. We have listened to the community from the outset and the commitment we have made is to deliver these additional passengers without having to increase the number of permitted flights and within a smaller noise footprint than our existing permission allows. The independently reviewed environmental analysis is clear. It shows that with our proposed package of community transport and environmental mitigation, it can see us maximise the benefits of our growth with more jobs and positive economic impact while minimising the impact on local communities. Where there are marginal impacts, we will mitigate them with a strategy built on the success of previously agreed controls and partnerships. Where these still remain relevant, we will maintain them. Where they need updating, we will improve on them. And where new steps are required, we have introduced them. Through extensive engagement and consultation with people living around the airport, we have developed an application that strikes a positive balance between the benefits of growth and enhanced local controls for those local communities. And for this reason, and for the final time, I ask you to support the application. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. O'Toole. Okay, it's 12.30. I propose we reconvene at 1.15. At that time, I'll pass this over to the members. So I'll see you all at 1.15, no later. Thank you very much. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
If everybody can take their seats, that would be great. John, could you just shut the outside door if possible? Thanks. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry we're a little bit late reconvening. Um, The form for this afternoon, I've got sort of four or five major headings which I'm going to try and guide people through. Basically, it's now for an open discussion with the members. Um, I would remind everybody exactly what we've got in front of us. Um, An application for a RET and a RAT, return access, return exit, nine aircraft stands and the uplift of the passengers from 35 to 43 million. I'm going to start with um, environmental aspects and I'm going to ask, uh, I think, David or is it Catherine? Who's doing it? You're doing it. David to uh, actually take us through in a bit more detail the transport consequences. David, if that can include the scheme that's on the, you know, on the cards now, the the interim plus and interim extra plus in those sort of sequences and then pick up the other bits and pieces, okay? If I may, just as a matter of protocol, I've just been asked, I presume what we're going to do is, uh, you gentlemen and ladies are going to make a presentation, should it be necessary, then the members can ask questions. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm going to try and take it on a sort of subject-by-subject basis, and it allows you to actually directly quiz the experts that are there, okay, with any questions you've got. But it's just for you members now. Yes, Councillor Fairhurst. Yes, Mr Chairman, and thereafter then we'll have an open session where we can discuss ourselves and have a debate ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'm just trying to get some form to That's it fine. so that we sort of know where we are-ish. Uh, Mr Sprunt. Thank you. Okay, there's, there's two schemes that sort of be, uh, I'm going to go through. The first one is the scheme which Essex County Council put forward to deal with the existing problems and to deal with the local plan Uh, growth that's being proposed not just within the Uttlesford area but also uh, within East Hearts as well Uh, and it also deals with growth of the airport up to 35 million so that's what this junction is is modelled on with the work that um, we're due to start actually um, next financial year sort of late spring early summer time um, there will be work starting on site. You will have noticed there has been some site clearance for you, those of you who travel that way uh, to, to get some trees down and that sort of thing. So work has sort of started on, on site already on some, some of the work. I'll try and take you through um, the scheme as much as I can. I do realise that on the board it's maybe a little bit small for everybody, so you should have some, some plans distributed in front of you which might make it a little bit clearer. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll try and take you through it on, on here as well. Um, I've got a pointer, so hopefully you'll be able to see that as well. Although I won't get too far away from the microphone. <laughs> um, the scheme if essentially is in three parts. There's the southbound slip off the motorway over here, the northbound slip here, and then the A120 west uh, over the other side. So if I take it section by section, this, this section here we're looking at widening Um, the exit to five lanes. There would be some new gantry signs to make sure people get in the the right lane. Currently it's a bit difficult to know which lane you should go in, so we're trying to sort that out at the same time by putting in um, some additional signing as well to make that a lot easier. On this side here, we're looking at widening the slip for an extra lane and having a dedicated lane specifically 
um, for the purposes of the motorway service area. So taking that traffic out and then giving two full lanes to the A120 traffic that's, that's going to, to the west and there's still a lane for circulating traffic around towards Takeley and anybody who's missed the junction uh, towards the A120 uh, eastbound as well. The biggest piece of the work is to the west, as you can see. Um, that includes adding a third lane to both of the um, approaches of, to the Junction 8, uh, as far as the junction down towards Bishop Storford here. For those who don't know, this is the motorway service area here. Um, so it will provide a lot more capacity um, for traffic coming off um, the motorway, which currently backs up from, from that junction, and also makes it quicker for traffic to get onto uh, the uh, junction and away. Um, so that, that will have quite a big impact in terms of keeping traffic moving on and off the, the junction. Down here we have some widening works um, down towards um, Bishop Storford and the replacement of the existing roundabout which is here with a set of traffic lights. It's the best solution in terms of controlling um, the movements. The roundabout tends to prioritise the A120 significantly which is where the most traffic is but that said it needs to be shared around a bit, bit more equitably and this allows you to do that uh, within certain parameters which the, the signals themselves uh, being intelligent signals these days can monitor and move the, the timings around. So that will be um, quite a significant improvement there and obviously just some widening on this approach here for uh, traffic to merge and move out into the lanes on the approaches. Just down here, um, members of this committee will probably be aware that there's an approval for uh, a rear access to the motorway service area uh, and that is included in our um, scheme so that will time very nicely. They're expecting to start that in spring of this year um, so there will be work starting on, on that as well. We haven't had that confirmed yet but that's their aspirational date anyway to, to, to get that moving and that will, that will ease this uh, egress from here for those of you who know how, how difficult it can be at times to get out of the service area. So that's the interim scheme. That will take us up to 2033 with uh, conditions no worse than they are at the moment. So it will give capacity throughout the, the local plan period basically and, and deal with the growth in Bishop Storford, the growth in Uttlesford uh, and as I say Stansted up to 35 million. This is the interim um, uh, scheme proposed uh, by MAG. Uh, once again, it's a little bit difficult to see some of these on this, but once again, you have got um, drawings in your pack. Uh, they're proposing to extend the, um, one of the lanes here as well to give a bit more capacity um, for the left-hand lane, so for the additional traffic that will be coming from the Cambridge direction, turning left along towards the A120. Uh, there's some lane reassignments as you come around uh, this section here because the current lane assignments aren't necessarily that logical. They have, I know they've only just been repainted by Highways England, but there, there is some disagreement about what, what should actually be allocated to which lanes. And by changing those around, you can actually increase the capacity by, by making better use of, of the lanes you've got. They are looking as well to do a small widening just here, which is just before the slip which goes 
um, southbound towards London. At the moment, you probably realise there's two lanes right at the beginning and it quickly widens out to three. Um, but it's to give three lanes all the way through. So once again, you can get better alignment and, and capacity, certainly from uh, the A120 West here going across the bridge. Um, other improvements include some widening on this side of the um, service area to provide an additional uh, lane around here and again some reassignment of, of the lane designations as well. So effectively you will have uh, three lanes going down the slip road here once again to clear that because those of you who use Junction 8 will know that this regularly queues back and blocks this, this junction here. Um, so by doing, by doing that you increase your flow into and down the slip road and as part of that they've had to widen the slip road to obviously three lanes making use of the existing hard shoulder there uh, to accommodate that. The last little bit is they've, they've asked now to, to signal the exit from the Highways England depot which is just located in here. Um, so uh, that's, that's really it in a nutshell. It's not a, it's not a massive change to, uh, to the scheme that we're proposing. Um, but it does deal with the, the additional traffic from that 35 to, uh, to 43 million. So that's all I want to say on, on those. Oh, I think I've probably talked you through those anyway, so that's probably... This is the only other bit of their, their, their proposals, and the screen's again not the best place to look at this, but this is the Priory Wood Junction. Uh, and there's, there's a, there's a, as you come from the Junction 8 down here, there have been problems here in terms of um, collisions happening with people coming down here at speed um, and shooting straight out here. So this is trying to mitigate against that because obviously if you've got more traffic doing it, the likelihood is there's potential for, for increases in, in collisions there. So it's just effectively a minor signalling scheme to, to try and deal with, with that. So that's all the, the highway improvements that are, are proposed. And I'm happy to take some questions now or um, some later points. Uh, Councillor Freeman, then Councillor Fairhurst. Yes, thank you. Uh, two questions. How long, by which I mean how many years or decades will this work take? Because whenever you drive around the motorway network in Britain, uh, one rule about motorways is whatever, the, the only thing you can be sure of is they'll let you down. So if it's a four-hour journey, you might take six hours. It's the only rule you can apply. So how long, uh, how, over what sort of duration would this be spun out, and how much? How much is it going to cost? Um, the um, scheme's going to cost £10 million. It's funded from a various sources. Um, Essex put in some money to develop it. There's money from uh, the South East LEP. Uh, there's money from Cambridgeshire and Peterborough LEP. There is some money from... Uh, MAG as well um, so there's, there's money from a, a combination of sources to fund that, that 10 million uh, improvement in terms of time scale as I say it's due to start late spring summer next year we haven't got a contractor on board as yet so we haven't got a firm programme but our intention was that it, it, would, it wouldn't all be done in one, one hit whilst it would be let as one contract we would do slip one slip road, next slip road, and then uh, the, the bigger bit to the west. So we're looking at a contract period, I would suggest, somewhere around about 18 months to get that all complete. 
Just if I may, Chairman, does that mean that uh, MAG would be making no contributions to this? It seems to be fully funded already from elsewhere. Well, the, the interim scheme, they, they've, they've already used some of the funding um, that was allocated within the existing uh, permission to, to go towards this. There were some other schemes, some which hadn't ever come to fruition, some which w weren't considered either as important or uh, weren't, weren't required anymore, because it's obviously difficult when you, when you set these up a long, long time ago to know exactly what's going to happen in the future. So we've managed to move some monies around with their agreement and the agreement of the various parties, be that Hertfordshire and ourselves, to fund the improvement here and bring those monies together. Uh, Councillor Fairhurst. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, it looks very impressive. I know nothing about the dark arts of highway management, but it seems to me that the big issue here is the difference between the interim scheme and the interim plus scheme. Um, and I'm assuming your response to, to Councillor Freeman is the 10 million for the gazette for the whole for the, the, the interim plus scheme. Um, the so that's, question. That's just for the interim sorry, scheme. Yeah, oh, so it's interim, plus. not the plus scheme. So could I ask what, what extra is, is going to cost for the, extra, for the plus scheme? I haven't got a figure for the, for the, for the plus scheme because obviously that's some, we, we, we would generally ask for a lot of these schemes to be delivered by, by the third party. So on that basis, they deliver them at whatever cost that is, be that 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, whatever the price is at the time. I'd just say on that, in terms of that scheme, um, we would want that scheme to be delivered on the ground by um, 39 million passengers per annum. There is, um, so that would be delivered with no cost to anyone else apart from the airport. Um, uh, there is coming, we all know that there's major infrastructure needed later down the line, and so um, um, uh, Highways England are seeking funding and it's in their RIS2 scheme. If it comes to the point where the RIS2 scheme is looking very close and on the cards, then it wouldn't be worth putting this scheme in and this, that scheme would be costed at the time That's rather than now mm. and that funding would be put into um, fund that. So whichever way the funding will go one way or the other in the most appropriate way, which is Highway, although we're talking about it now, it's Highways England's call. Thank you. The, 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 because the, the words you used, you said it's a, very, it's a small addition. It's, a, it's not a huge addition um, between interim and, and interim plus. And, and to the layman, my only question is, if it's such a small scheme, why wouldn't we make the whole thing mm. to increase our capacity by 20% and thereby reduce our, our congestion from the very beginning? It, it, it all ultimately comes down to timing. We, we, we've got a delivery programme for the scheme that we've got. Uh, the funding stream for that finishes in 2020, so we have to have the scheme on the ground and, and delivered by 2020. Obviously, um, the MAG improvement is, is, is only one that would be subject of agreement here. So once again, we just can't keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And there would obviously be probably another two-year wait by the time you've got that design incorporated and agreed and everything else. So it was better felt to, to get that, the works done now and, and out the way. Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. I think it may have been answered because I was going to say, I know some of the monies uh, is coming from the old permission, um, but is some of this dependent on uh, the decision today, uh, you know, for the scheme, if it's refused, say, will that money still be forthcoming? No, that that no. money's already been secured. 
<coughs> okay, anybody else on transport issues? We can't let him off that lightly. <laughs> Councillor Gerard. So, Mr Chairman, just want to clarify, are we going to be discussing the Jacobs report in detail? Are we going to have an opportunity to do that, or is this the opportunity? Now. Okay. Um, all right. Um, thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, first of all, you know, I just want to make a point is that you know, this is a very complicated uh, application and there's an awful lot of documentation that we've had to study. Um, I have done that, and I, I have questions on the Jacobs report um, that need to be clarified because based upon those clarifications or not, it knocks on to other things that have an impact for me in further issues. So I don't know who's going to answer the question, but um, my first question is specific in the report that I've, I've read, and I've read the officer's report on the Jacobs report. Um, there seems to be an issue on, on sensitivity um, and the assumptions of the sensitivity analysis um, there is, in the report, Jacobs have put in um, a 10% uplift. And I'd just like to clarity, uh, because there's been allegations from different parties that it should be or it shouldn't be, and I, I don't know what the truth is. I'm here to find out what the, evidence, what the true evidence is. So can someone clarify why there is a 10% blanket uplift? Thank you. Uh, right, I'll, I'll go through that. I think... Um in terms of where we are with the, um, the Jacobs report, I'll just say a bit about how we got to this, this stage. Um, the application came in with, the, um, uh, with, with using the growth um, without any local plan growth. And that um, is because of the position of the local plan, which has been ag agreed. That's, that's not my area. But so that it has that growth in it. Ourselves and um, Highways England were concerned that we wanted to see what it would look like with that local plan growth for the forthcoming local plan, so not the existing one, but the one that's not yet been approved. Therefore, we said we would do some sensitivity tests because we had the model that Jacobs hold to do David's scheme, and that included all the East Hearts growth and the UDC proposed growth in it. Um, so we said we'd do that as a sensitivity test. So that's what this, this modelling is, as opposed to the modelling in the um, transport assessment, which has tempo growth in it. Um, so that in itself was undertaken, and it was also taken up to 2033, rather than the 2028, which is the date that the um, per, uh, 43 million is met. So this is on top of that, more years growth on top of that to allow for the local plan. We also wanted to see what would happen if there was a sensitivity in terms of there's a, um, a number of assumptions that this um, report is based on um, in terms of modal share and um, um, uh, distribution so um, that's why we asked for this 10% to be put on the reason it was 10% not 12% or 8% was really because we we looked at what um, what the variables were and it did seem that this was a justifiable number I Hand on heart, I can't say that we went, that would be 2%, that would be 15%, that would be da-da-da-da-da. But it was 
knowing that we were adding this extra growth which didn't need to be added, knowing that we were adding the years that we didn't need to be adding and this extra bit then um, made sense to us that it would show what would happen at that point. Yeah. So, please, Mr. Chairman, may I? Yes, use the mic. Thank you. Um, on that point, in terms of your distribution sensitivity test that you just mentioned, mm. um, from what I have read in the officer's report and in the, um, in the Jacobs report, it seems that that test has been based upon the applicant's child support assessment. Is that correct? Um, yes, yeah. It hasn't been based on an independent transport assessment. It's been based on the applicant's transport assessment. The test, the 10% test. The, yes, the distribution sensitivity test. So the distribution sensitivity test was where. Do you know a little bit more about that because you asked for it? Can, can we just ensure everybody use the microphones? I know it's awkward putting them on and off, but some people in the back can't hear. The um, sensitivity test modelling used the uh, Essex Highways VISIM um, micro simulation model. So it was able to incorporate all the, all the connecting junctions as opposed to looking at all the junctions separately. Um, the model itself, that, the inputs for that model came from our wider strategic VISUM model. So that took account of background traffic. And the background traffic included the local plan growth to 2033 for all the, all the adjacent districts. So our test in terms of background traffic included all the local plan growth. On top of that, we then used the applicant's traffic figures for the airport itself. So the modelling included background growth and the applicant's airport traffic. And it was the airport traffic that was then gross for the 10% sensitivity test and then also the distribution was, test, was amended on their, um, their own traffic. Mr Chairman, I do apologise, but um, I do need to probe a bit more on this because it is, for me, quite an important issue. Um, and the devil, I think, is in the de detail. Um, could I ask, in, in terms of, the, they're also in the report, there's issues to do with also sub, other assumptions regarding how much more traffic was going to be generated from the A120, how much more from, less from the M11, northbound or southbound. And in the report, there are certain percentages applied. Um, there's a, it assumes, the report assumes that there's a 5% more traffic from the A120 west, 2% um, less from the M11 north, and 3% less from M11 south. I just need clarity as to why those percentages have been used, please. Thank you. That was based on looking at first principles and local districts' populations. And um, I, I did a sort of a, a professional judgment as to where the traffic in relation to population centres, which part of the network they would use. And it was a slight variation on the applicant's distribution. So we used that as a sensitivity to see if, if there were changes particularly towards the west, the east, south or, or north, what the impact of that would be on the junction. So that was, that was assigning, manually assigning employees trips and then passenger trips and then combining the two and coming up with the variation which resulted in the sensitivity test. Mr Chairman, um, are we able to discuss the um, 
average queue assumptions made in the report, please? <coughs> You're able to discuss anything today. Um, there's a, 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 a section in the report about average queues in 2033 based upon the 43 million passenger per annum. Um, and it, it compares it to the 35 current planning commission million passengers per annum, which is included in this Junction 8 work. Um, and it goes into detail about AM and PM peaks and it, in that 5% and 10% uplift that you were talking about. So just to, can you clarify again, please? Um, my understanding is that it shows with a 10% uplift, the AM peak, uh, the traffic queue is 362 metres, which is an additional 4%. Um, the PM peak is a 461 metre queue, which is a 25% increase. That's applying a 10% uplift. When you only use the 5% uplift, the numbers obviously change. The AM peak is 380 metre queue of 10% increase, and the PM peak, 4041 metres, 20% increase. So, just to clarify if those numbers are indeed correct, because it, 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 it certainly implies to me that those are quite considerable increases in queue lengths. A lot of that's down to how sensitive the junction is and where the traffic's actually coming from, because you can imagine if you're taking traffic from, I'll give, try and give you an example, say from the M11 North going towards the A120 uh, East, that actually only traverses a very small part of the junction, whereas if you reallocate it, as, as Mary said, to the west, um, obviously it then traverses several arms of the junction, so the effects can be quite significant on, on the junction. So it's very, very sensitive to where the traffic's actually coming from, and that was one of the purposes of doing the sensitivity test, because we know that how far you go round a junction like that makes a big difference to the um, impacts that you have on it. Sorry, does it include any, any um, analysis of any potential increase in traffic from the extra homes that we have planned yes. between now and 2033? So, all, so this, this whole um, sensitivity test is based on having all those extra homes in, in East Hearts and, and um, Uttlesford. Um, what um, we have to remember is that the... Um, without the 10% on, but with all the extra homes, um, and uh, that the interim plus scheme with the airport growth to 43 shows that it, it, it mitigates that scheme completely so that though it, you actually have more capacity than without the airport and without the scheme. And that's the bit that we have to focus on although the sensitivity tests, they show us what we knew already, that we need this large risk scheme from um, government, and that needs to come forward, and, in, and that helps us put pressure, and, and HE put pressure. But we, so Jacob's concluded that the um, scheme um, mitigates the airport growth and brings it back down to without the, um, the extra 8 million on top of the 35 million um, and also HE and ACOM have looked at it and, made, and drawn those same conclusions which is why HE after 
looking at this and weighing everything out and doing the DMRB checks on the scheme and having the safety audit for the scheme, which is why um, the, the, the thing that puzzled David, I think, about the lights coming out, that's gone in there now because of that's what HE. So although we're here talking about it, it's HE, it's HE scheme and they are clear and we are clear that in terms of this development, um, from 35 to 43, this scheme does consume that, consumes its own smoke, if you like. Mr Chairman, that's all I have for now. I, I, things may crop up that might ask, I, I may have to ask more questions later, but that's all I have for now. Thank Everybody's you. here for the day, okay? Councillor Fairhurst. Mr Chairman, I promised I wouldn't give you a hard time, so I'll keep it brief, but I have a problem because, as I understand, this looks very impressive, by the way. This is very impressive, and I know nothing as I say about roads, but this is impressive because there's a lot of work that's gone into it. I'm assuming many years of effort and, and, and research. And that's good because it means our, our traffic will improve. Um, my concern, that, what I've heard now, and, I, and I'm saying this is, a, is, is, is an amateur, but we've got to make a decision here today, is that if we have discovered this already, and it has taken into account, as we've been told, the local plan, which hasn't been approved, in fact we've been told we only have minimal waiting, um, then it's fairly ambitious. If we've then said it's a sensitivity test, now you've got me worried, because for me, in sensitivity testing, it's a very fine-tuned thing. It's scientific. Now, I've got a scientist next to me, so I don't pretend to know any about this. But you mix 1% here and a percent there, and you can change the whole creature. And we're dealing with queues, we're dealing with cars, we're dealing with congestion and traffic. So when I hear that it's a best-guessed professional assessment, tied with an applicant's process, tied with we're going to assume a certain cost for the local plan, which hasn't been adopted yet, I'm no longer comfortable with this beautiful scheme, if you don't mind. Um, so... When the reason we're calling it a sensitivity test is because the applicant has put in their um, testing of the junction and using the local, uh, not using the local plan growth, using forecast growth, tempro growth, um, and taking it to 2028, and then they did an extra one. Again, just using that growth, not local plan growth, but the, the forecast growth, to 2033. That also showed that this scheme consumed the extra, uh, the extra traffic from the development. So we, um, what we're really saying is that we've maybe stress tested it would be a better thing to say because what we've done is added the extra stuff in there um, to see whether it would still work. And it works up to a point. It works with the extra stuff and then you add extra 10% on and, and, it, and it doesn't work so well. So that's, that's what I mean. So I think that I understand what you're saying about being concerned, but what, what they've got is, is what um, they have to do for the development, and then we've, we've checked it, and it still works with what they don't have to cover for the development. Does that and, make sense? And when, when we're doing major road schemes, this is standard practice, we have to try and predict where we're going to be in the future, so we have to make sort of a best educated guess. I'll try to do that. Say that again, David, please. I'll just try and say that it's standard practice with, with major road schemes when you're doing them to try and assess what's going to happen in the future. And yes, the local plan isn't approved yet, but we are where we are in terms of the funding streams, so we have to make a, a best judgment that we can in order to take those schemes through. So we assume they're going ahead. We're probably going to assume it's probably not going to be any worse than what's included in the local plan. So we are actually designing probably at the moment for sort of the worst case scenario for 2033. Um, 
So I think it's, it's a fairly robust scheme, I would suggest. Councillor Lemon. Thank you, Chair. Um, I, I might, this might not be the time to raise this, but um, I'm concerned about Junction 7A. Um, I don't know whether you've looked at Junction 7A in conjunction with the increased traffic to the airport, particularly on the villages south of the airport, and I'm talking about the B183 and the 1060. Um, I attended the consultations on Junction 7A, and we were informed, or I was informed, that it was they did not think that there would be any increase in traffic on those roads due to Junction 7. Now, the villages there are a rat run to the airport, and we do have people coming that way, and it's increasing. Now, the motorway people said very little increase in traffic. Well, we then, there was then a scheme to put traffic calming measures on the the junction of the 183 and the 1060 because we thought, fine, you know, that's what we need. But the County Council Highways people said, no, they turned it down because they said there's going to be a huge increase in traffic on those roads. Now, you know, who's right? Because I feel that people will come off at Junction 7 and will come through those south villages to get to the airport. Now, have we looked at that effect in our environmental survey? Good. David? Yeah. As part of the the Junction 7A work, we did do some very extensive modelling, and actually the impact on those villages was actually positive in terms of traffic, because at the moment, exactly as you say, people try and get into the back end of Harlow or likewise come back in the other direction. But because you have effectively the free-flow movements southbound at Junction 8... Uh, in both directions, the impact of having Junction 7A means you can get into that northern part of Harlow much easier than you can at present because you have to go all the way down to 7 and come back on yourselves. So it did actually show a redistribution of traffic from those, those back roads onto, keeping onto the main road network, the A120, M11 and Junction 7A. So it was a positive story there and I suspect there, there, there may be an opportunity once that junction's in and traffic has settled down, maybe to revisit that, that junction, I don't know. Yeah, I'd just like to come back, it's just a query. I agree, I agreed when I went to the consultation, I accepted that it would be positive, particularly for... Hatfield Heath and, and Hatfield Broad Oak. Um, but then I was, why I was shocked was when highways at, at the County Council said, oh, you're going to get a lot more traffic through. We can't have anything to slow the traffic down or slow the flow down. So who's right? Uh, the, was the first consultation right? Or is this other one right saying we can't do anything to stop the traffic or slow the traffic down because you're going to get a huge increase in traffic? Can I, yeah, we will take that and just confirm that because we're all under the impression that the traffic will, will get better due to 7A on the local roads. What I do want to say, though, is in terms of the local roads, that um, they, there is a fund um, 
been put aside of 800,000 for local roads um, and, that, um, and also to accompany that because of part, partly what you've just said in a way demonstrates it is that we're looking from 35 to 43 million um, and we want to make sure that we do the right things at the, for the local road network so there is a monitoring um, scheme that will be um, approved by Essex County Council um, being put forward by um, the airport to monitor the local roads in the area um, and also um, the, the um, network that belongs to the airport. Um, so that monitoring will be in place um, for the, the lifetime of the growth of the airport and, and beyond and um, that then we'll be able, the fund of money will be able to be spent on, on anything that is needed. And that pot of money was, was put together by looking at what could be needed that we think now, but then when we look in, uh, when it gets to 35 and, and that kicks in, that we will be able to use it effectively. Just a quick one to come back on that. Is, um, but I hope you will look at Hatfield Heath. We have a traffic build-up from quarter to eight till half past nine and in the evenings from 4.30 till mm, 6.30, quarter to seven. And it's all associated, a lot of that will be associated with airport, people going there and coming back to work. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Fairhurst. Thank you, let me come back to you again. So really what we're saying is we don't know, we're going to do our best. We really don't know because we're doing 26 million at the moment per head. We hear that the congestion is still high. We try to aim and we're doing this wonderful program to get to 35 mil, and we're saying to ourselves, let's extrapolate from where we are. We build this into 35, and that'll get us to 2028. Um, but if we go to 43, then we're going to try something else, and we're going to keep on forecasting this in a bit of... I'm not going to say ignorance, because clearly it's professional, very impressive, but it's, we don't know. It's a gamble, isn't it? And we gamble with congestion. I do use this road quite a lot. I love driving. And it's never free today, and that's at 26 million. So we're in the dark from 26 to 35, and based on that assumption, we're going to build from, 20, from 35 to 43. It's not scientific, but it's professional. You're talking about, you're talking about Junction 8, the whole forecast. I mean, the forecast is based on the way we forecast traffic um, and the way we um, forecast for, for every scheme. Um, and it's the best way that we've got of doing it. Um, it's a way that's used in planning developments all the time, so we're always making decisions based on those um, forecasts. What we can do is try to mitigate what we think is going to happen. Um, we think that for this we've got a flexible plan in place that means that we're not saying um, we are going to do, ex well we are saying we're going to do that, but Highways England will be there um, when it comes to that point, making sure it's exactly the right thing. So we, we're using the tools we've got, and, that, and, that's what, and we're trying to do it in the best way we can. Okay. Uh, anybody else with anything specifically on transport? I, I'm aware that we're sort of not picking up um, perhaps some of the other trusts and fly parking and bits, but I think we'll come back to that later. We are going to come back to that later, or I can ask the questions now. I think let's take them now, um, you know, while we're in this sort of general subject Thanks. heading. So anything linked yeah. to transport, okay. cars, can... parking, let's take it now. Thank you, Chairman. 
Um, okay, so um, going to the transport assessment issue on parking, but if we come back actually to, to in terms of your other assumptions, in terms of the kiss and fly, that there's, there's an assumption that the kiss and fly will be reduced in the report by 30%. Um, can I just clarify that is correct? Uh, so, cut, um, hang on, I'll put it on here. No, 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 that's fine, that's fine here. Um, I just got to open up my computer. So, currently, we're at the point where kiss and fly is 20%. Sorry, it's 20%. Um, and um, with, there are targets within the section 106, or that will be within the section 106, um, to take that, to maintain that at 20%, um, um, and then reduce it by the time we get to 43 um, million passengers per annum to 12%. So we're at 20% in 2016. Yeah. I think for the point of clarity, I think we're at 22% kiss and fly oh, at the moment. 20, I think the target is to reach 20% 20, by 30, 39 million and for 12% by 43 million. That's what I think is in the report, Catherine. Right, okay. And I've also got here that 31%, they were at 31% at 2014. So they've reduced from 31% um, and then it's down to, um, and they down to 22 now then 20% um, at 39 million, and then 12% at 43 million. Can I just ask, uh, in terms of um, some other considerations in the report, um, the way I read it, I didn't see any consideration for the peak traffic times, Friday afternoons and summer peak times. Could you clarify whether those, were, those peak issues of traffic were included in the report? I couldn't see them and I wonder why. Specifically relating to what? Related to whether they're included, whether Friday afternoon peak rush hour and, and summer so time, traffic. summertime bank holidays when everyone's going okay. on holiday and there's queues along the M25 and the M11, etc. Are they included? I couldn't see them. No, they're, they're not included. We, they, it's an average traffic in October, which is still within the, the higher level of traffic through the uh, year. But it's, we have not done... It's not standard practice to take the worst-case scenario. In fact, we avoid times like Christmas... Um, when there's, there's high traffic. Uh, also, the peak for the airport might not necessarily be the peak for the um, traffic uh, on the network in that, for example, we wouldn't accept traffic surveys generally done in the summertime because there's generally less traffic. We avoid school holidays. So there are certain um, months of the year and times when um, they're called neutral months and they are, um, <coughs> the DFT tell us what they are and, that, and that's what we use for looking at traffic, general traffic flows on, on applications.
Thank you very much. Uh, Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you, <coughs> thank you, Chairman. You said transport. I mean, transport isn't just Junction 8 and cars. It's uh, railways and things. Are we dealing with that now, or does that come later? Uh, you can go where you like. Be gracious. <laughs> There's a temptation. Um, <laughs> sir, uh, one of the things that deeply concerns me about this application is the impact on the rail system, because railways are very difficult to expand. It's, it's, it, roads are hard, but railways, I think, are very much harder. And the line from Cambridge through Bishop Stortford down to London is very heavily used already. There are estimates of up to about a billion pounds, I think, to actually increase its capacity. I used to think with railways it was a question of just stuffing a few more trains on, but obviously there's limitations in terms of signalling, lengths of platforms, how many carriages you can use, and the mitigations appear to be using trains which are more like cattle trucks. In other words, they're trains that you don't really sit down on, you don't expect to sit down on them because they don't have many seats. Uh, you stand on them all the way. And so people from Bishop Stortford or the airport could stand all the way to London Liverpool Street because that's the sort of carriage that you've got. They do use these, Chairman, uh, on things like the Docklands Light Railway, which have a few seats, but they're designed not really to sit down on. And it works quite well because you don't go very far on the thing. You, know? uh, you get out, it's got frequent stops. But I don't see that that's an adequate mitigation for this. And the other point is that the airport will poach capacity from the Bishop Stortford to Cambridge line. In other words, Bishop Stortford to Cambridge will turn into a branch line with the odd train now and again, and it won't have the full capacity for the commuter traffic. Already the commuter traffic has serious problems. Now, it wouldn't be such a problem if it were not for the fact that we plan to build North Uttersford Garden Community, or whatever we call it now. Uh, that is 4,000 houses uh, at a place which I greatly support because it's got a railway station called Great Chestersford. You know, great. Uh, but actually, it would seem that's going to be turned into a branch line by these proposals, and that's not acceptable. The capacity just wouldn't be able. It would have less trains, probably, than it does now. It's not a question of scheduling. It's a question of capacity, getting them from Bishop Stortford down into London. So what are the solutions there? The figure is about a, million, a billion pounds at the moment, and that's not money that's going to come from the airport, I'm sure. Are you able to take this, Jeremy, in terms of... I, I think Jeremy's better placed, yeah. perhaps. It's not yours, Catherine, it's all right. Yeah, thank you, Chairman. Um, I think the thing to, to bear in mind is that there's a new franchise on the line being operated by Greater Anglia, and they're committed to um, new rolling stock throughout, the, throughout their, their network, and that will include longer trains on the Stansted to Liverpool Street routes. Um, currently there are, as you know, four Stansted Express trains an hour running both ways. And also there is a, there's, well, there will be a train running from Norwich through to uh, Cambridge and Stansted when the new bi-mode trains are introduced. And then there's the existing cross-country train running from Birmingham to Stansted Airport. Um, this plan the application doesn't include any increase in, in, in the frequency of trains on the, on, on the Stansted Airport route. It just includes the increase in the, in the length of the trains when the new franchise is, is in operation. Um, and that, according to Network Rail, who have looked at the confidential loading data, is sufficient to cater for airport-related demand. So I don't think it's right to say that the Bishop Stortford line will be 
pinched or, or whatever, because that will also be benefiting from new trains as part of the new rail franchise. Thank you, Chairman. If I, if I may, Chairman, just uh, challenge that. Um, the point is that this proposal seems to be to turn Stansted Airport into something really quite similar to Gatwick Airport. The Gatwick Airport has a very decent railway, I've used it a lot, on a proper railway line. Uh, it's actually embedded in the, sta- in, in the airport, the station's embedded in the airport, it's an excellent system. And London Gatwick runs 194 trains a day, that's 11 trains per hour. Uh, and at the moment, Stansted to London Liverpool Street runs 76 trains a day, uh, which is only 40%, 40-40% of the usage to get trains from Gatwick to London. So if we're going to turn Stansted Airport into a Gatwick Airport, and we're going to use public transport a lot, all of which are very laudable, then we need an awful lot more trains. And just putting longer trains on won't do it. Of course, you're limited by platform length. We had that when the, um, uh, what is it called, Whittlesford Parkway was extended. You couldn't put longer trains on there until they put a longer platform on it. Uh, The maximum length of trains is 12 carriages, and the higher capacity is achieved, as I say, by taking seats out and making people stand. And on this sort of route, taking seats out and making people stand and charging them probably £5,000 a year for the privilege for a season ticket simply persuades them to get in a car or to car share, which is a good thing, but it's not, getting, uh, it's not making full use of public transport. I just don't see that the models stack up on this. I'm not sure that they've been properly investigated, Chairman. Um. I sort of see where you're going with it, but it's not for this application to fund uh, the two-line system coming to a four-line system. I wish it was within our gift and that Mag held their hand up and said, we'll do it. You know, we're talking about an enormous investment that will have to come forward. But I think partly it will have to come forward as a result of the expansion of whether it's Cambridge, Stansted and everything else that's happening. It's Harlow North. Uh, if you like, if that's going to come, and all of those will eventually contribute to infrastructure. I'd love to say that we've got all of it in place at the start, but maybe we won't have. I I take your point completely. I'm aware that um, the train company has looked at lengthening 8 to 12 carriages, and they've looked at that and said that that will meet the demand at present. Um, uh, I have Councillor Fairhurst, I believe. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, our job is not to, to, to require um, Stansted Airport to rebuild the tracks or to, to rebuild the roads, in fact. But we are here to determine sustainability. And my own experience, as you know, I was very fortunate to be at Stansted Airport on my own yesterday. Um, it's a tremendous visit, and I had to get back from Stansted Airport by a train. And I had the tremendous honour of jumping on the train. I think we ought to explain to everybody that you, you, weren't, <laughs> yes, allowed, you weren't allowed to do the site visit <laughs> because you yeah, messed up your passport. <laughs> Um, Just so that we know. So I, I leapt on a train which was full at, at the airport at around half past two, I guess. I don't know what the time was. Um, it was full and I got to Audley and rather promptly. But that's at 26 million passengers per year. You've got to talk really here. We're not talking about 35, though. we're talking 26. So at 26, that train was full. So if we add another four coaches, we increase the capacity by 50%. Now the train is more than full, now it's taking those four coaches, and we haven't got to 42%. We're here to discuss the sustainability of 43 million a year. I mean, what I'm trying to say is anecdotal. I'm not good at models or science. I've got to see what I see. Yesterday wasn't a fancy day. It wasn't a high, 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 high day. It wasn't Friday afternoon. It worked for me. Councillor Lemon. 
Thank you. Just a point from myself. Um, we're talking about a number of passengers per year. Um, should I look at the figure that MAG give me for when we reach 35 million passengers a year, or should I take notice of the Department of Trade's figure? Which one are we working on? Thank you. Are you asking me? Okay. <coughs> Councillor Gerard, I'll we come can't up. work on both figures, yeah, can I'll, we? We've I'll, either got to work on. I've either got to think okay. that that is the figure I'm working on, or it isn't. So I would like to know: should I work on MAG figures for the Department of? Um, I'm going to. You heard two versions of this. You heard the version this morning and, and the version that has been presented by SSE, in all fairness. And you've also heard the, uh, the interpretation by Ken O'Toole basically saying, well, this is where we were, this is where we are now. And if you do a pro rata projection of that, it doesn't take much to actually work out perhaps where it's likely to be. Um, that doesn't mean that it didn't dip before 10, year, you know, 10 years ago when it just went completely the other way. And obviously that's a risk that MAG will take if they make this investment, if they're given this permission. But um, I can't help you with a specific because like a lot of these things, it has to be a best projection of what we know based on what information is in front of us today. Um, I'll let you draw your own conclusions of which figure you think is nearer. Let's use that word, okay? Uh, Councillor Gerrard and then Councillor Freeman. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, just, uh, Councillor Lemon, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, there's, there's so many things here that rely upon us having to consider whether or not this uh, application has the potential to turn the Stansted Airport potentially into something the size of Gatwick. And we're being asked to debate this and make considerations based upon conflicting information. And I, I, I think there's a whole topic here on this in itself, which of course I think we need to clarify because we don't, we're being told conflicting information. On the one hand, the applicant is arguing, and it's their right to argue as the applicant, that that is not true. Um, and on the other hand, we have information that we've been given that makes reference to various Department for Transport forecasts, and I appreciate that forecasts are forecasts, but there are elements of um, evidence there that I feel that we need to consider and clarify. Um, so I think this is an important point, and I think we need, it's very hard for us to go forward until we clarify this point. Are we going to be looking at a Gatwick-type airport, or aren't we? Um, I think once we get past this, I think we can move on, but this is a critical issue. Okay, there's, sorry, can I go back on that? Yeah. Um, right, with regard to forecasts, um, the forecasts predicted that MAG would be, the DFT forecasts predicted that MAG would be operating at 4 million passengers lower than they actually were. So the DFT forecasts are not in line with reality. So draw you know you can give that what weight you wish to in your determination of this application um but the fact that the dft forecasts are under predicting the um passenger throughput at stansted in comparison with reality um sort of does give some credence to the fact that perhaps mag do know what they're talking about and the forecasts um 
you know, they say they're, they're there as guidance, but local factors, local airports, they have better knowledge of what they're doing. The DFT forecasts are just a broad brush approach. Um, but we are determining an application to increase passenger numbers by 8 million passengers per annum. We're not talking about this airport becoming a second Gatwick. It is an increase in 8 million passengers per annum. Officer Karen, thank you very much. I must actually question that, state, that statement, if I may, because fundamental policy in, and policy that's quoted by the applicant refers to beyond the horizons, June 2018, the issue of best use. And this is a, it's a crucial, crucial bit of policy that the applicant is relying upon. And if we don't get past this issue of what is best use and how we define best use, then actually I find it very hard to move forward. So if I may, just on this point, we were distributed yesterday, I think it was, with, um, and again, I need clarity on this because I need to weigh up information that I've got from all different parties here. We were distributed with a, um, a briefing note by SSE called Making Best Use of Existing Runways. And in there, they, uh, if you go to page two of that document, there's a paragraph called Comparison with Gatwick. And they, I'll read it because it's actually quite important. It says, uh, relating to SSC's current judicial review application, the government legal department, this is the government legal department, under disclosure obligations, provided SSE with DFT information comparing the capacity of Stansted with the proposed new infrastructure uh, to the capacity of Gatwick. The following is an extract from the Department for Transport Ministerial Briefing Note, and this is from the Government Legal Department. Whilst we have not been able to independently validate the increase in maximum runway capacity to 55 hourly movements, the figure is consistent with comparable pieces of infrastructure such, such as Gatwick Airport runway, and therefore we have a reasonable degree of confidence in it. Now, I read that as, you know, I, 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 I raise my eyebrows because I read that as quite an important piece of evidence that we've just discovered. So I need someone, please, to help me understand who to believe. Uh, Anthony, can I have a copy of that, please? Uh, we've got that already. Uh, Elizabeth's going to read some extracts, I think, from the same policy. Paragraph 1.4 of Chapter 1 of Beyond the Horizons states as follows, and I quote, On the 24th of October 2017, the Department for Transport released its latest aviation forecasts. These are the first DFT forecasts since 2013. The updated forecasts reflect the accelerated growth experienced in recent years and the demand was 9% higher in London in 2016 than the Airports Commission forecast. This has put pressure on existing infrastructure despite significant financial investment by airports over the past decade and highlights that the government has a clear issue to address. Now, in this document, there are references to the 
earlier 2013 framework document. Sorry, sorry, they, sorry, my apologies. They refer to a further document, and I quote from this document, UK Aviation Forecasts uh, produced by the Department for Transport, paragraph 1.3 of chapter 1, and this states, again, I quote, the purpose of these forecasts is primarily in informing longer-term strategic policy rather than in providing detailed forecasts at each individual airport in the short term. The uncertainty reflected by future demand growth scenarios at the national level is compounded at the level of the individual airport. At the airport level, the department's forecast may also differ from local airport forecasts. The latter may be produced for different purposes and may be informed by specific commercial and local information, and such information is particularly relevant in the short term. Furthermore, the government document then goes on to stay at paragraph 1.4, the forecast should not be considered a cap on the development of individual airports. In some circumstances, more recent airport-specific data and forecasts might be used in conjunction with additional relevant information to inform local planning decisions. I hope that will assist you in your deliberations. Anthony. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I apologise, and Mrs. Smith, thank you very much for that but it doesn't actually help me at all because my, the question I'm trying to ask is can I rely upon the statement from the government uh, from, the, from something that I have, has been given to me that says that the government legal department and this is, I mean, this is who we ultimately report to this is the government um, which, which basically says that they, they have a, a, a degree of confidence in the fact that Stansted Airport is comparable to Gatwick, potentially. Now, we need to, get, we need to understand this because all we're talking about, all the assumptions are being made upon the issue of, and this is a planning issue, a planning issue of best use. And the issue of best use is a crucial thing for me in my deliberations, and I need to understand this issue of there's, you know, the background to this in terms of the original proposal by MAG uh, two years ago showed a higher number. There's been printed information distributed and, and, and given out uh, that, uh, by, by SSE in their, in their presentation last week. I had a clip from a note from an officers in their discussions where it says, uh, you know, below 10 million because otherwise it would be a national significant project. There are, there are lots of things here that make me ask the question because it's significant, and the word significant, I, I use it properly, to my deliberations weighing up the pros and the cons, and I need to know this. Does Stansted Airport have the capacity to grow to the figures as forecast by the DFT to the point where as Gatwick for by 2023, 52 million, and by 2033 at um, uh, 2033, sorry, at uh, 57 million. So what I'm trying to ask you is that MAG is saying 
that current, uh, 35 million is going to be full in five years. That's what they're telling me. They're saying, by 2023, we're full. That's five years' time. It sounds a long way away, but it's five years' time. What, the, what they're saying is they'll have reached the, you know, the limit of their permission. That's, right. that's what they're telling me, so I'm, yes. I, I, I log that. It's a then, fact. The, the, then a DFT document then says that 35 million will be full in 15 years, in 2033. And another document from DFT tells me that in, in 25 years, um, it'll be full in 25 years with Heathrow Terminal Runway 3. Now, I don't know which to believe. And we, we, we as a committee need to get to the bottom of this, otherwise we're going to struggle. Okay. Um, Elizabeth, do you want to respond? But I'll sum this up afterwards, okay? Thank you, Mr Chairman. The thing is, Councillor Gerard, that the two sets of figures are produced for two different purposes and therefore they do not conflict. Right now, the arrivals hall at Stansted is, as I understand it, too small to take the throughput. Ultimately, they're talking about there is already, I believe, planning permission in place for a new terminal building, arrivals building that's not yet built out. Basically, the figures are provided for a different purposes, and anything that is provided by the government legal service is going to be extremely case-specific and provided and compiled for the purposes of one case. It is not general information upon which anyone else can rely. It's case-specific. Mr Smith, thank you very much for that. But can you understand how it casts doubt in my mind about what figures to believe? I am still struggling. Um, let's... let's Try, I'll try and sum up where I think we are with this. Um, if we look at the numbers that there were at 2014 when MAG took over, and we look at the number we've got now, yeah, and, and we just simply divide by years and we project whatever, then it would seem fairly logical that we are going to hit that 35 million within four to five years. Yeah, would, would you sort of agree? If it's, if it's prorated on it, on a line. I, that, that seems like common sense to me, all right? So I, I agree we can all bandy figures around and where we're going on targets, and I take Elizabeth's point that sometimes they're used for different reasons, but just if we have to apply our common sense, because none of us are experts. So based on that, we've got a trajectory through to 35, and we've got an application in front of us to move that 35 to 43. I, I completely take your point. Comparisons to Gatwick... Well, it's, a, it's about numbers, so we will be at 35. Can we handle 43? By the time we're at 43, Gatwick might be at 61, which is the application they've recently made, as you know, for using the reserve runway. So all of these feasts are moving. And if one thing we have learned in planning recently, because a lot of us are new to this, is that the goalposts keep moving a little bit. And therefore, it's really difficult to pin things like this down. So coming back to your, your first point, which was best use, how do you clarify that? Yeah, I completely get it. And you read from Beyond the Horizon, which is a document you yourself quoted. Therefore, the government is supportive of airports beyond Heathrow, making best use of their existing runways. That was their statement, and, and that's what we've got to determine if they are doing that. And that's, I'm trying to sum it up to move us to a point where you feel a little bit happier. I'll take Councillor Fairhurst and then Councillor Lemon. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I think there is a difference here, and I think, it's a, it, I think that, that, that the legal officer in fact hit the nail on the head, and we need to explain that. There are two forecasted figures here. The one is based on a national view. When you're in DFT, you look at Stansted, and you look at Gatwick, and you look at Heathrow, and you look at the different traffics around London, and you apportion traffic based on a trend. When you're Stansted, you say, look, I've got an opportunity here. I've got Ryanair. I've got brilliant, uh, brilliant business processes, and I can really escalate the process. So in theory, if we say, yes, B Stansted have the fastest growth, we were told, in England on airports, then the national forecast from the DFT becomes less significant than the local forecast who's doing a different thing in terms of business. So there are two different figures here. But I'd like to come back to what I initially said. These are forecasts. They're best guesses. They're attempts to define. You say it's common sense that if they've done it in the last five years, it's going to the next five years. No, no, that isn't common sense. And it's common sense for today. And that's, that's 2020 vision. The next five years, things could change. I'm told there's a Brexit issue going on, which might affect things. There is an aviation strategy. There's a whole issue of, of, of air pollution that may change things. So we really don't know. It's difficult to forecast these things. The problem is we're sitting here now not discussing forecasts. We're, still, we're actually discussing real things. We're going to use forecast magic to interpret something to come to a concrete result. And I don't blame Councillor Jira for being a bit awkward about this, because yes, we're not specialists at this issue, but when we walk out today, we have to have a definitive which will make a difference to those forecasts when they become reality. So they're forecasts, they're not real. It's like the roads. I'll take Councillor Lemon. Sorry, Jim. If the uh, Department of Transport's um, figures might not be in line with reality, um, I would like to get our MP to question the Department of Trade and get them to give us more reliable figures that are in line with reality so that we have, and hopefully, they may be the same as MAGs, and if they are, fine. But are they going to be the same as MAGs? Should, at the moment, we're just relying on MAG's figures, and I don't think that's good enough for me to really come to a decision. Uh, uh, you know, I, uh, perhaps our MP could help and get more reliable figures for us. Uh, Mr Brown. Can I just clarify, just to bring this back into you, you know, we're not, this is not an application for an unrestricted best use at Stans Airport. It's an application to increase the numbers beyond the consensitive amount of 35 million to 43 million. I know that doesn't sound like that's a pretty major thing I've just said, but that's trying to bring it back to the debate that we're talking about. Secondly, what Councillor Fair has said is quite right. The, the government will have a look at a look, you know, try to make the best forecast across the whole of the airport. And also the date of that particular document was 2014, if I, if I pick that up correctly. The best people to know about the forecast from their own airport are the airports, and the DFT have actually conceded that in their documents. So we do have to accept the forecast going forward. What you've just said about Brexit and uncertainties is a fact. But that's, we have to talk about forecasting going forward. And a lot of the mitigation has got flexibilities based upon figures. Those, they, we're now talking about actual you know, passenger numbers we're talking about as being triggers or dates as a backstop. We're not relying upon dates simply to add those flexibilities. It's things like get to this level and if the situation is like this, you will do this. If it's, if it's not like this, you will do this. 
but you'll do this anyway. And that's written through all the mitigation processes. Because unfortunately, we are talking. We're not talking five years ahead. We're talking 10, 15, 20, however many ahead. And unfortunately, that's the way we need to work in terms of forecasts. And however uncomfortable that is, it's the nature of forecastings and checking those issues. And that's on everything in terms of traffic, in terms of airport numbers, all those type of things. And it's, 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 and it's just an element of trust moving forward based upon forecasts. Councillor Freeman. Yes, very briefly, Chairman, thank you. Um, you said earlier that when it comes to um, infrastructure, we're, we're not going to expect the airport to pay for a new railway line into, uh, into London, and I get that. But may I refer you to the letter uh, to Councillor Lodge from the Right Honourable Chris Grayling, the Secretary of State for Transport, dated the 7th of August this year. And in the third paragraph, it says, I can confirm that current government policy in relation to airport planning applications is that developers should pay the cost of upgrading or enhancing road, rail, or other transport networks or services where there is a need to cope with additional passengers travelling to or from expanded or growing airports. Uh, this will apply in the case of Stansted's planning application. It's there in black and white from the Secretary of State, sir. So when it comes to payment, at the moment, Stansted Airport, MAG, has got away with nothing in the sense I'm told that the uprating of Junction 8 is already paid for, or at least not the Junction 8 plus, but the Junction 8 is paid for already out of existing funds. That's wonderful. Okay. Shall we add the last line of the statement? The, la the last, the last line, line, governments would only contribute to surface yes. access costs where they were not needed purely for airport expansion and they benefited non-airport users. In other words, what it's saying is that contributions proportionate would be expected. They're not going to fund everything, but, but obviously there's other costs and other users for these uh, infrastructure projects. So how much then is going to be paid to upgrade the rail network in relation to the extra amount of money? Network Jeremy or, or well, Karen, sorry. Network Rail has confirmed that there is sufficient capacity within the franchise improvements and the existing network and therefore no other mitigation is required. Network Rail has given us that response. Councillor Gerard. Mr Chairman, thank you very much. I just have one more question on, on rail, um, just while we're on the subject. And if I can uh, bring it down to, to the issue of capacity, which we just talked about, um, it just triggered something that I, I made a note of earlier. Um, passenger standing capacity, um, again, in the report, uh, the Jacobs report, um, I think it was, um, it assumes that capacity will be 65% higher, 65% higher, than seating capacity. Standing capacity will be 65% higher than seating capacity. And that's in the report. That's an assumption in the report. And I'm told by um, sources, I think, I think it was SSC, I'm not sure, I think it was, that that is contrary to uh, government policy, uh, DFT PIXC guidance. Now, apologies, guidance. Um, I don't know when guidance becomes policy, but there is a guidance note on what is correct standing. Now, regardless of policy, to have 65% more people standing on a train than sitting on a train, today I find it quite um, painful to think about having, having stood on the train from Liverpool Street many times. 
but I can't even think about how it's going to be next year, the year after, the year after that. So, again, I'm all about evidence. I mean, apologies, but I'm a chartered surveyor and I deal with evidence. I've got the whole table here. I I need clarity on this. Is Is the assumption contrary to DFT PIXC guidance, please? Mr. Brown. Well, I know. That's probably better for further on the table. But what I wanted to point out was that in terms of the evidence, Councillor Gerrard, your independent advisers are in front of you, not behind you. Um, there's quite a lot of stuff being fed to you by, well, being fed both by from MAG and from the, from the SSE. Your independent advisers are in front of you. You're looking at advice that's been given to you by SSE with some sort of tinge. And I'm not criticising for them. That's what they would do. But that's evidence in context as opposed to pure evidence. Yeah, I just, I just want to just Please, clarify that. I, that's why I'm here, and that's why I'm asking these questions, because that's my job. Uh, absolutely agree, okay? Uh, Mr Pine, Jeremy, could you clarify exactly where we are with train capacity standing, sitting? Chairman, all I can really do is tell you what Network Rail have told us. Um, They've reviewed the transport assessment as part of the planning application. Um, they asked a number of questions about the transport assessment, and this was directly to Greater Anglia. Uh, these questions were in relation to the impact of increased passenger numbers on crowding of services in the peak hours leaving London, the impact of a higher rail mode share of 35%, and how this growth would impact on Tottenham Hale Station. Um, as a result of these queries, the airport and their consultants undertook further assessments and provided a technical note to Network Rail. And I understand there was also some um, confidential loading information provided to Network Rail by Greater Anglia that we and consultants and Essex did not see. All I can say is that Network Rail is satisfied with these findings and accepts the consultant's conclusion that higher capacity rolling stock on the London services can accommodate passenger growth from the airport in the timetable assessed, so in the timescale assessed. They don't object to the planning application, but note that increased rail passengers resulting from increased air passengers would mean that longer-term rail capacity schemes on the West Anglian main line are likely to be needed sooner. But the point is, that's a longer term. They don't object to this planning application. Is there anyone here who wrote the Jacobs report that I can ask this question to? Because I, I'm, I'm still struggling, I'm sorry. Um, concerning rail, I don't think there is. Catherine? I, I mean, could, J- Jacobs didn't write the report on rail. They, they wrote the report on the uh, M11 junction. So could I ask who, who wrote the report on rail with the assumption of 65% higher? I just want to clarify if that, if, that's, if that is what it is. Where are you reading it from exactly? Apologies. I have read that there is an, there is an assumption about standing capacity, uh, standing capacity, and I just want clarity on this because it, does, it seems that if that assumption has been made, I, I, think it's, I think it's outrageous, and I just want clarity on that, please. Uh, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to park that one and hang on, Elizabeth. We believe that this information was in the environmental statement, but in order to progress matters, perhaps it would be easiest to ask the applicant's agent to confirm. Is the applicant's agent able to confirm if that's in there? 
environmental statement? The, the transport assessment um, for the rail um, covered a whole host of, uh, of data, standing and seating capacity, um, and um, it calculated uh, that capacity based on um, what is confidential uh, data supplied to us, uh, all applicants, when requested by the train companies. It's confidential because it's, uh, it's commercially sensitive. Um, and that is revealed to, uh, to Network Rail in the assessment in full. Um, and yes, there is an assessment of, of all capacity on the, uh, uh, in the carriages, um, all the 12 car carriages uh, were plugged into that assessment going forward to 2028 as well. I do not believe that probably answers your question. Uh, <coughs> uh, what what Councillor Jarrows is saying is, was there, was there an assumption, if you like, that 75, or 65% so if there's 165 people on the train, 65 of them are standing, if I'm reading this correctly. My question is, the, the report, the environmental report in terms of, of, of rail travel makes an assumption that capacity will be 65% higher. I'm talking about passenger standing capacity will be 65% higher than seating capacity. Is that correct or not correct? Chairman, and apparently that is contrary to DFT guidance, P PIX, PIXC guidance. So I need clarity on that. <coughs> I, I appreciate you weren't prepped for the question, but do you know the answer? Um, it's, quite, it's quite a detailed question. If you would have to give me a little bit of time, I can... Uh, yeah, I, can... I think what I'll do is I'll give you a bit of time and we'll come back to it, if that's all right, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, only because it's, you know, it's reasonably complex and I'd like a sort of fairly specific answer, if that's okay. Thank you very much. Excuse me, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Can I just ask... Um, I mean, there's no reference to that in my report, so I'm not quite sure where you got it from, but the table on page 37... Karen, nearer the microphone. Yeah, sorry. The table on page 37, at the, um, the bottom table... You've got line loading, total capacity, including standing, so not just standing, but total capacity, including standing. You've got 62% in there. That's the nearest I can find to any reference to 65% in my report. So I'm not quite sure what you've seen or where you've got it from, but that's the nearest I could possibly find. Well, maybe I will also look for my, my reference. Uh, I, I, they're going to take it away and we'll see where we go from there. Um, right. Give me a minute. Any other questions on transport where we go forward? Hmm. Right. I'm going to I'm going to move it on and I'm going to come back to that point. Okay. Um, I'd like to look at, if we've got nothing else necessarily relating to uh, surface access transport, then I'd like to move on to um, noise as such. Okay. Uh, 
questions relating to noise. Are we getting a presentation on noise first? Or? Um, we weren't necessarily going to do a presentation. Uh, I would think it would be a reiteration of perhaps what you heard this morning. So I think we'll just take it as questions and, and as it comes, if that's okay. Uh, Councillor Riles to start, followed by Councillor Gerrard. Thank you, Chairman. Um, I've got a sort of an interesting question, hopefully. Um, I'm looking at, I, I, I would like to know if the uh, noise levels and also the uh, air quality has deteriorated or the, the noise levels have got uh, higher um, between the 2006 permission, which was given in 2000, was, uh, the, the appeal was upheld in 2008. Um, in, and in proportion to the amount of um, air passenger transport movements. So, for example, if um, in 2006, these are very rough figures, there was 100,000 um, traffic movements, and in 2016, say 17, there's 150,000, that's an increase of 50%, yeah? Got it? Now, can you tell me, can anybody tell me, if the noise levels have gone up by the same proportion over that period, or, uh, and likewise, um, air quality has deteriorated with the same sort of proportion, or has gone, got worse by that proportion. The reason why I ask that is because there's an awful lot of detail in here, and I'd like to be able to understand and, and project basically for myself, because we have got some numbers now, what it's going to be like in 2028. Uh, okay, well, it's two separate questions to a certain extent. So if, if I give it to Peter Henson for the, for the noise... Peter, basically what? Um, I have to say, I haven't seen, I haven't got to hand with me now the figures for 2006. What I did hear in the presentation this morning, however, and um, anyone can correct me if I've heard this wrong, but my understanding is that the contour area, the 57 dB contour area, um, in 2007 um, exceeded what it is in, certainly in, the, in the baseline and indeed now in, in, in 2017. So it was broadly, I believe, as I said, I only heard this fact this morning, so if anyone knows different, please feel free to correct me, but um, it suggested it was exceeded. In other words, what this development, what this proposal is asking for ultimately is a contour limit through condition that will, uh, as you know, it's got a permission at the moment for 33.9 30, mm. kilometre square contour. Um, a condition will constrain it to 28.7 in, in 2028. Can you speak close to the mic, please, because yeah, we're losing sorry. you. Sorry. Um, and I think I heard a fact this morning that it was exceeded in 2007. This 28.7 was exceeded in 2007 there and thereabouts. Um, so in other words, noise levels were higher but have got lower, presumably because of the modernisation that's occurred over time. Um, so, as I said, I'm not, I, could, I couldn't give you chapter and verse about the past because I haven't got it in front of me, but certainly going forward, um, the airport currently has permission to produce 
noise up to a contour of 33.9, so the 57 dB contour. Um, and the baseline was 24. In 2017, it was 26.1. And it's going to rise up to something like 32 over the next few years because of the lack of modernization. But then as the modernization occurs, as I say, that, that, will, that will lower down. So, so in other words, with this development, the, the overall noise effects will be no worse than what the airport is allowed to produce now. Um, and indeed, the general finding of the environmental statement is that the changes in noise are are very, very low, less, certainly no more than 1 dB between the do-nothing and, 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 and the do and the development case. So you're saying that even though there are going to be more air traffic movements, more passengers, bigger planes um, carrying more, more passengers, the noise levels over this period, you believe, your projections say, they will actually reduce because of that contouring. Or am I, is that right? They'll, they'll reduce... They'll reduce in, in terms of turning it all into a contour area, and they will reduce over and above what was permitted in the 25-plus application. So they will reduce compared to what the airport permitted to ultimately create now, so to speak. If you compare it on a year-by-year -year case of do, what's in the environmental statement is called do minimum against the development case then it's going to vary over time. In 2023, 2024, they're broadly the same because there's been no modernization, numbers are similar. Then as the numbers increase, then the effect of the noise of the greater number of aircraft movements is to some extent offset by the modernization. But they will be, obviously, if you've got more aircraft movements, you'll get a very slight increase in noise level. But the, the increase, as I say, is of a very low magnitude. Okay, but uh, as I understand it, what, um, what can the airport do to uh, persuade the users of the airport, these, these, these carriers, to go for modernised aircraft to reduce the noise? Is there some influence they can have? Or is, are they in the hands of technology and the business, pl <sighs> yeah, business so plan of those it's particular carriers? It's, it's a good question. Um, and it's a question I do try and put myself when I'm involved in these projects to, 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 to um, airports and airlines. I think essentially the, um, the airports do apply pressure as best they can to the airlines to modernize their fleet. There's, a given airport has a, a limited power to do that, of course, because if you take an airline like Ryanair, it's, it's got fleets that operate all around the world and, and certainly around Europe and um, one airport, it's difficult for them to apply particular pressure. Sometimes, it, sometimes one could, for example, um, as an airport operator, say, well, we will charge you a lower landing fee in the event that you use a quieter aircraft. And in fact, that could be a, a structure that an, that an airport operates. So if they bring in, for example, if they change their 737-800 to a 737-MAX and it's probably 3 or 4 dB quieter on, on, on departure or 5 dB quieter on departure, it might 
mean that the airline will only get charged X number of pounds instead of 3X number of pounds. And that, that's an incentive being applied by the airport to the airline. Um, I know in practice some airports have difficulty applying that because of the contracts they have in place already with airlines, but that, that is the sort of thing that an, an airport can apply. Do you, do you know if those uh, measures have been put in the mitigation? Because I've had a look through and I couldn't see anything in a suggestion by MAG that they would um, charge less for quieter planes. Um, or is that, am I being silly here? No, no, you're not or, being silly. Or, or naive. I mean, I think... Can, can you both talk closer to the mix? Even I'm struggling. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Right, it's, it's very simple. Yeah. I think in terms of in terms of what airports airports tend to try to introduce incentive schemes. Um, even I mean even the night quota count to some extent is an incentive scheme to operate quieter aircraft. So um, airports do this, this this generally as best they can with with penalty violations, etc. So um, stands that do have penalty violations for aircraft that are too noisy, they get penalised. Um, so, in, in, in terms of fleet modernisation, I think in general terms for the Ryanair fleet, for example, that's going to happen irrespective of what stands to do per se. But I think the important thing is, is that that modernisation will bring about uh, noise benefits and it's who benefits from those noise benefits. And it's, it's government policy that the benefits that arise as a result of fleet modernization should be shared between the airline industry and the local community, or the community affected by noise. And, and I think when you look at this particular application, that is precisely what's happening in this particular case. Because we have in, in, in the... Um, basically, we have the government policy saying we should make best use of, of runway, existing runways, which we've been discussing, which... MAG are seeking to do, they're seeking to do that by increasing movements from 35 to 43. That, when you look at the contour areas, are essentially going to shrink over what they're permitted now, which is 33.9. It's going to shrink down over time to 28.7. Now, in 2028, you can look at the do-nothing case or the do-minimum case. You can look at the development case and you will see a slight increase in noise. So for the community, you can say, well, actually, things are going to get a little bit worse for us. Maybe very marginal, maybe 1 dB. We may not notice it. We may notice it. We'll see more planes. Some of us might notice it. But that is, get, that is a worsening for you. There's no doubt about that. But had the modernization not occurred, you'd have been experiencing more noise than that. So the airline industry is saying, well, please, can we benefit a little bit from this? And, and that's really what this, in my mind, the application is doing. It's very much following what government policy actually is. Okay, thank you. And the... Um, uh, well, I'll come back on the, noise, on the air quality. All right, I'm going to split this into two. Um, and I'm just going to get Mr Brown to explain what policy is there, then I'll come yeah. to the councillors that have got <coughs> their hand up. I'm happy to be elbowed from the right on this one. But I think in terms of picking up Councillor Riles' comment in terms of what's in, what, what, how we're making this happen, um, the I think the two bits you should be looking at is condition, pay, 
page 45, uh, in terms of the report, and also suggested condition 7, um, which is actually showing a level of noise that is clearly shown an improvement. Um, from, you know, I, I, I don't confess to know what uh, kilometre squares mean, but in terms of figures, only that it is quite smaller than the number the quieted is, is what we're aiming for. Condition 7 actually puts in a time span in terms of where we're actually needing to be, with a snapshot in time at 35 million, which is a consenting amount, or by the 21st of December. That's what I was saying earlier about we're not rely we're still forecasting forward, but you've got to have dates and you've got to have numbers as well. And that's a commitment to actually show by that date it has to be at a certain level. And if it's not, they're in breach of the conditions and they can't operate. So no business is going to continue knowing that they're going to hit a wall at some particular point. That also gives a snapshot of time whereby they need to start programming how they're going to reduce it to even lower by the time they get to the 43. And that's shown in Condition 7. And Condition 7 has very, very clear teeth to prevent them from continuing with a, with a guidance in terms of how you're going. And that is actually shows it on page 45 in terms of going from your baseline to the do minimum development case and then all the way through. So that's where the controls be. And the incentives to actually make sure they make that is quieter aircraft and then you know, people managing stock going forward. So those are the ways forward in terms of doing it, but the teeth is in terms of the condition seven in terms of the mitigation to make that happen. Councillor Wells. Um, yes, back on the noise. Um, I understand that noise is quite subjective. Some people are more affected by it. Some places are more affected by it. But I'd like to better understand the contours that are on the map for noise because um, I live in a village, as do a lot of the residents, just on the edge of that. and We're told that we're not affected, and yet I can sit in my garden in the summer, as can they, and flights go over every 80 seconds. Um, so I'd like to understand how they are mapped out and also understand whether they are static, whether they're going to change. If we're, well, we are increasing flights. I know we're not increasing flights on this permission, but flights will increase, obviously, but I would, and, and bigger craft. So are those swathes going to alter? <coughs> Peter. Okay. Close to the mic. Um, yeah, noise contours. Um, I think in the environmental statement there are different types of noise contours, but I presume you're probably talking about the what are listed as LAEQ contours, are they? Yep, the LAEQ contours, because that's a standard index if you use, if you like, used or recommended by the government for for rating the community <coughs> effects. And I think I think the first thing to say about about the contours on the map. There, in the environmental statement, there are, the, there are labels for uh, um, observed adverse effects. There's one called a Lowell, which is a lowest observed adverse effect, and there's a Sol, which is a significant observed adverse effect. Now, the contours that you're talking about, I'll come back how they're, how they're created shortly, but the lowest one that's shown on your maps is 51 dB. Um, LAEQ 60 now for the daytime. So I, I, I guess what you're saying is you live in a village just outside that particular contour and the environmental statement talks about well observed, lowest observed adverse effects occur at this contour line and they get worse as you go in 
towards the airport. But there's also an, uh, a further index which is also described in the environmental statement called no observed adverse effects. And that's not defined as a, as a level as such, but it's, it's lower than 51. And it's recognized that whereas 51 dB, and this is now sort of government guidance, certainly following the airspace change consultation, 51 dB is considered the low, in other words, the lowest level at which there's an observed adverse effect. What you're saying is, well, actually, I'm observing the planes and they affect me and I, in an adverse way, and I live outside this 51 dB contour. Everybody accepts that people have different sensitivities and there are going to be some people who are outside that contour, but there's, there's some further boundary, which isn't shown as a contour, but there's a boundary called a no-observed adverse effect. So that's the point, which I say is not really defined, um, partly because it's quite hard to define because people have different sensitivities, where there's, no one would be adversely affected by aircraft noise. Um, but the environmental statement, the purpose of the environmental statement, is to determine adverse effects and significant adverse effects, particularly significant adverse effects, because that's what determines whether the application is acceptable or not. So, but that doesn't mean people like yourself who are on the boundary of these adverse effects should be ignored. And indeed, the government advice is that from the lowest adverse effect up to the, the significant observed, people aren't necessarily significantly adversely affected, but they are affected, and there should be mitigation applied to assist people who are in, the, in, in that boundary. So from your perspective, I can understand what you're saying. You're really saying, well, actually, I'm... I'm OK, I'm not as bad as some dwellings who are very close to the airport, but I hear the planes, they affect me, they affect me adversely, and therefore, how am I going to be helped? Well, I think in, in your case, the airport um, are seeking to refine their operational procedures in order to minimize the effects of aircraft noise as, as they fly out from Stansted. And by that, I mean looking at flight tracks, seeing where people live. Can they, um, can they move the flight tracks slightly? That type of... That type of analysis is, is up to 4,000 feet is generally the airport's, airport's um, responsibility. Um, beyond that, and certainly beyond 7,000 feet, it becomes the Civil Aviation Authority's responsibility. But close into the airport, it is the airport's responsibility to look to see whether or not certain operating procedures can be applied to help reduce noise effects on people like yourself. As far as the contour is concerned and how it's calculated, it's, it's, a, it's, it's fairly complex, but the thing I will say, it's, it's a function of the number of aircraft and also how noisy each aircraft is. So it takes account of how many flights operate in a, in a typical summer day and looking at the mix of aircraft, how noisy each particular aircraft type is. So all that's taken into account in calculating an average noise exposure level, it's called, um, which is then plotted on a map and a contour is plotted on a map like a, like a ground level, if you like, um, but it's actually a noise level on the ground. And then you draw a contour along, joining up all the <coughs> 
51 values to get your 51 dB contour, which is probably close to where you, you actually live. Yeah, if, I, if I could also just ask then how large aircraft will affect that. I, I would point out, I'm not talking about myself specifically, I'm talking about the villages that I represent. I mean, where previously they were within the contour, but now for some reason they're not because it's changed very slightly because of the different routes that are taken. But um, that said, the planes still come right overhead. But So how will larger aircraft, because obviously presumably they will be bigger and noisier, even with better engines? I think I can understand that fear, but I think the environmental statement makes it very clear that the noisiness of the aircraft is not actually going to increase because um, the, the aircraft types operating are going to continue to operate um, but as an average they'll decrease because of, of modernization of the fleet so the bigger aircraft you're talking about they will still fly over but they won't be any noisier than the ones that fly over now um, you're, you're going you're to get more you're going to get you're going to get more aircraft but the average noisiness of the aircraft is actually going to be a little bit less. So if that makes sense. So in other words... Does, if you, that, does yeah. that answer the question, Leslie? Ish. Now, I, I, members of the audience, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've got uh, Councillor Fairhurst, Councillor Gerard, Councillor Freeman, Councillor Lemon. And then I'm going to take a short break. So let's try and wrap up this area. I'll be brief, Mr Chairman. I am now completely at a loss because science has proved all our observations wrong. Big aeroplanes are going to be cheaper, going to be lighter, going to be faster, and going to be less noisy. And I'm afraid I don't buy this. I'd love to, but I can't. They're bigger engines. I fly a lot in these creatures. They power up and they take off. They're marvelous machines, but they are bigger engines carrying more weight. I'm not a scientist. As I say, I'm going to ask Richard because he's going to solve that for me. But that's asking too much. And with all due respect, I mean, I understand averages. So if I've got 55 aeroplanes flying with gaps of half a second between each and I average them out, it's not 51 for one, it's a whole lot more divided by the, the absence of one in the middle. So the chaps sitting living under the path are being hammered regularly, more frequently, and oh what? It's less noise. Now you've got me. Okay, I'll clarify. I didn't... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, really, I, I'm trying to get through this, okay? I, I, I understand your position, but uh, if I you think could be as quick and succinct as possible, Peter. Yeah. The noisiness of an aircraft, the, the, the noise contours, and whether something is getting noisier per se is a function of the noisiness of the aircraft and the number of aircraft movements. So what I was saying is the average noisiness of the aircraft going forward will reduce... Because, yeah, because the aircraft, because of modernisation, because of modernisation, that's why. So the average noise of the aircraft fleet that are flying, the big aircraft will remain as noisy as, noisy as they are today because they're the same aircraft. But you'll get a lot of additional aircraft coming in that are quieter, but there'll be, but there'll be more of them. So, no, 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 sorry. The, 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 yes, the overall noise will get slightly higher. I said slightly higher by about 1 dB. The, the, the overall noise exposure will increase. I, I said that. But we're talking, the question was about the noise of individual aircraft. 
individual aircraft will not get noisier. And just, just, just to take your point, I think you were making the point that big aircraft, big engines, I accept that, but you're the same age as me. Do you remember the small aircraft, the small engines, that used to take off from the Queen's building, Boeing 727s, and you'd hear them crackle and take off and be significantly much louder than the aircraft today? Pull microphone. Sorry, but let's not kid ourselves. There is more noise. Let's not talk about LEQ contours and all the wonderful science. There is more noise. More airplanes means more noise. We've got to, get, we've got to try and avoid the science here okay. because it's confusing people. Mr. Brown, just yeah. briefly. This isn't science at all, right? So I think, but 3.3 of the officer's report clearly states what the proposal is. The application does not, that's English, that's not science, that's not proposed to increase the number of aircraft movements from 274,000. So there will not be an increase of flights. So the word, word more of this and more of this and more of this is not the case. It's more passengers, not more flights. And that cap will still be there. I think Karen yeah. can clarify. The, 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 con the airport already has planning permission for 274,000 flights per annum. So this application is seeking to increase the number of passengers within that flight cap. So yes, there will be more flights, but it will be within an existing cap that they already have planning permission for. Thank you, Karen. That was very well put. There will be uh, more flights and there will be more noise. The, the issue I was trying to get to is this. But the noise contour will reduce. Yes, I'm not going to believe in that. But okay. the, the issue is this, though. We have in this room today some kind of reverence for what happened in 2006 and 2008. We use this as a benchmark and saying they've got permissions for that and we can get less than that. And I'd like to just leave, because we're going on leave and I can't wait for a cup of tea. But here's the problem. And Mr. Chairman, I mean this sincerely. We are living in a better world. We're living in a world where the, where the House of Commons said we must re reduce our levels of noise. We were told by one of our speakers, and this is part of our evidence, that noise is a plague of the future. We are told, and I spoke to my daughter, who's a professor of neuroscience, that there's a real correlation between noise, not 51 decibels or LEQs, that noise makes a real difference to cognitive development of young children. I don't care about lowest assessed or most, most significantly assessed issue. They haven't been assessed. They're being assessed in Munich. So let's stop kidding each other and face the facts and then make a decision based on the facts. Thank you. <coughs> Councillor Jarrod. Sorry, can I just come back on that? All right, go on. They have consent for 35 million passengers per annum and they have consent for um, 274,000 flights. So the growth up to 30, sorry, 35 million passengers per annum will actually see the noise contour grow. That is consented and we can do nothing about that. What we have to consider in the determination of this planning application is what happens between 35 million and 43 million and that shows that the noise contours will reduce. So yes, there will be impacts up to 35 million. Unfortunately, that's already got planning permission and we can do you know, we, we're not considering that element of growth today. We are considering the growth from 35 million to 43 million, and that shows when the noise contour would then reduce. <coughs> Councillor Gerard. Thank you, Mr Chairman. I almost forgot what I was going to ask, but I'm 
reminded now, uh, Karen, thank you very much for clarifying that. Uh, summing up, if, I've got a few points here, I'll come to keep them brief, but to try, try and help us all here. There's an issue of modernization and there's an issue of then the noise contours. And the, and the, the short version is modern planes reduce our contours because they're more efficient, blah, blah, blah. So, can I just then clarify a few things? The reason why the contours show that is because there are assumptions made in the reports. MAG has made an assumption that 57% of the aircrafts will be new aircrafts, what are they called, MAX-NEO aircrafts, by 2028. So that's a, that's a kind of a, a fundamental assumption. And that assumption I don't think has been scrutinized, it's been taken as fact. 57% of aircrafts will be MAX-NEOs. Um, at the same time, we know that Ryanair is the main airline at Stansted Airport. We know, as a matter of fact, and I did check it, uh, because last night at 11 o'clock we had another letter come in from the applicant trying to explain things, and I tried to get my head around it again, so I checked. Ryanair accounts for 82% of Stansted Airport passengers. That's fact. Ryanair accounts for 78% of all Stansted Airport aircraft movements. Fact. So we have 78% of the planes in the sky are Ryan airplanes. Can we all agree on that? Now, because I'm so anal, I checked the Ryan Air order book to find out what planes they use. And, and they're all using these Boeing planes, okay? And the, the Boeing planes have different ages. Now, the fact is, is that the order book um, in terms of, I'll go back to the order book in this moment, but the order book show, doesn't show 57% would be Max Neos. It actually shows something else. It, it's because of their order book, when you analyse it, and I did, the order book actually shows that only 30 to 35% would be Max Neos. So something didn't, something's not quite right. MAG is saying 57% by 2028 will be these new aircrafts. Ryanair are saying 30 to 35 have been ordered and those won't come, come in until that date. So I'm trying to understand that discrepancy. So bear with me because I've got a bit of logic here. <sighs> apparently, these new aircrafts are quieter and apparently they're 40 to 50% quieter. So it, it does explain your issue with new planes and... Uh, so they are quieter, but we are now on an assumption in the, in the report, the assumption is, is that there will be 57% of these quieter aircrafts. But actually, Ryanair, the main plane in the sky, are saying that that's not true. And when you analyse their... And then, and then you look at, at the order book and you look at the, at the age of the planes and when they're ordering the planes and you start to analyse the average age of the planes because this is all about... That assumption. The assumption is the, is the golden thread of all assumptions here. It's this issue of modern planes, quieter, tick, don't worry about noise. So we look at, we analyse the Ryanair fleet and there are how many of these planes? 459 planes as of the 31st of October, Ryanair planes. 
various ages ranging from brand spanking new, still with the, with, 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 with the stickers on, um, up to 16 years old, of which there's only three. Now, there's an average age of planes in this range, and you do the numbers, you add up the planes, 459, you add up all the different ages and how many are there, and there's an average age of 2947 divided by 459, average age of 6.42 average age. You work out, you look at that, you look at the order book, and you look at when they have to order these planes, assuming that they don't order new planes to replace planes they just bought, no one does that. Even if you replace a plane that's still got five years left, but you, there's no way that they can get the planes in time. So I want to ask the question, am I right or am I wrong? Has the assumption been made with proper scrutiny that 57% of these new aircrafts will be available? The homework I did at midnight, and I, I had better things to do, but I did it, tells me that I've got, there's a problem here. <clears throat> okay, uh, it's, a, it's a very good point. It's been raised, I know, by SSE in their, in their um, recent briefing note. It's a question I first asked um, MAG when I first came on board about the extent of modernization they were assuming in their, in their ES, and they explained to me that information had been provided to them by their forecasting engineers, I think called ICF, um, and that by 2028 they were estimating about 50% modernization um, of the narrow-bodied jets and 2024 20, a bit less than 20%. Um, you're quite right, there's information out there that describes how the Ryanair are going to modernize their fleet going forward and what they've ordered at the moment and what they've got further to order. And, it, um, and people can look it up on the, it's on the Boeing website actually. And it, it suggests that, I mean I can read it out to you here if you like, but in, in, in very broad terms, it said they've got a fleet of 400 Boeing 737 aircraft with orders for 115 new Boeing 737s and 110 of the 737 MAXs, which are the, are the modern ones, um, uh, but with options for 100 more, and that the fleet will grow to about 585 by 2024. Now, when you look at those figures, that suggests, and it's difficult to say exactly how they'll do it, but it suggests they could have a modernization fleet of about 30-odd percent by 2024. The ES assumes less than 20%. As far as 2028 is concerned and the 50%, that is a figure that's been advised by these aviation forecasters. I'm not a specialist in it, but what I can tell you is based on my knowledge of other airports that are going through a similar procedure now looking at forecasting ahead to these sort of years, it is a standard assumption that it's about 50% modernization by 2028. So, all I can tell you is, as an independent consultant, that makes sense and is what other airports are doing and is, seems to be in line with the Ryanair fleet modernisation programme. I, I 
I'm going to just interject a little bit in as much as I suppose if you get our permission today then all of a sudden you've got an order book and you'll order some planes and therefore that might be the logic of where it goes or where it ends up. I, I'm, you know, I'm just presupposing that that's probably what happens. Uh, if you've got a limited capacity then you don't go there. So you know, I think that's where it is. Um, I've got uh, Councillor Freeman. And then I'm going to take a short break. I think a short break right. sounds an excellent idea, Chairman. I'll try and be as brief as possible. Um, it seems a scenario similar to boiling the frog. What we're saying is we're going to boil the frog, but we're going to use slightly cooler water, so that's okay. It'll be fine. Uh, the frog won't notice it. Um, what I do know, Chairman, is that aircraft are intrinsically noisy, and I once organised a lecture for one of the... Cambridge Societies, of which I'm a member, called the Silent Aircraft Initiative. And the Silent Aircraft Initiative is paid for by Rolls-Royce Air Engines and takes place in the engineering department of the University of Cambridge and elsewhere. And the simple message is that the current design of aircraft cannot be made silent. If you want a quiet aircraft, you can make them very quiet. It has to be something entirely different, a thing called a flying wing. They look very strange and nobody would want to fly in them. So these aircraft, there's a touching a really touching belief in technology here. We'll put a new engine and it'll be better. You know, um, we'll, it'll use less fuel. And there's this assumption that eventually you get to a point where you use almost no fuel. But a heavier air machine always uses fuel just to stay in the air. It's the basic physics of it. So don't be blinded by the fact that there's another piece of machinery coming down the line. It will be quieter, it will be more efficient, but it's asymptotic. It's approaching a point where there's no very great improvements. Uh, with the current design of aircraft. And that's, that I think we have to realise. Um, and when it comes to aircraft noise, they will always be noisy. And the fact is, Boeing produces aircraft at the rate of, this particular type of aircraft, at the rate of about one and a half a month, it would seem. Uh, is it one and a half a month or one and a half a week? Help me, Anthony. Well, the Boeing production rate for these aircraft in is per week, one half per week, week. and they're increasing it to two per week mm. in the foreseeable future, which actually isn't very many considering that they're going all over the world. So the rate at which they can be replaced, I think, is optimistic in these estimates. And the other thing is that MAG don't own any aircraft. They don't do aircraft. Actually, what they do is airports. And really, they're more of a business park than they are an airport. It happens to be a business park that's got a retail park in it and, lots of, and a runway, you know, and all the controls to make it an airport. Uh, so if, for example, Ryanair decided to move its operation somewhere else and take its latest aircraft with it, it would still continue to be an aircraft, an airport, but you wouldn't have necessarily any influence at all over the sort of aircraft flying in and out of there. Uh, so the predictions, I think... Uh, it's not to say that they're optimistic necessarily, but they're hard to make. Of course, they're commercial predictions made on, on what is a very variable playing field, I think. Councillor Lemon. Thank you, Chair. Um, larger and quieter aircraft are going to be good for us all. There's no question about that. I think that the case has been made. But um, how do we make sure that the operators of the present aircraft will go out and purchase quieter planes as soon as possible? Or will they make their planes last till the end, right till the end of their life? Or, or will MAG give incentives to make it worthwhile 
the operators to purchase these planes, larger and quieter planes almost as soon as possible so that it helps everybody. Uh, will MAG be, be able, or will the operator of airports be able to say to the um, people like Ryanair, if you don't uh, go for these quieter planes, then we will stop your noisier ones flying? That's part of what the conditions are about. Um, the, whilst we can't do anything regarding up to 35 million, um, because that's already consented around a noise contour of 33.9 square kilometres, um, but that's why condition 7, which sets out both a time frame um, and a um, passenger number uh, target uh, trigger, um, that's based on the applicant's assumptions that they are going to have these quieter aircraft. And based on those assumptions that they're going to have the quieter aircraft, they have said that their noise contour will reduce. So we're saying, okay, you've said that, we're going to tie you to it. And so we have said, based on your projections as set out in your ES, you will meet that commitment that you're making as set out in your ES. If the quieter aircraft don't come in, they can't have the growth because they can only fly the aircraft which meet the noise contour as is set. So if Ryanair say, sorry, we've only got our noisy aircraft, we're not going to have quieter aircraft, then the airport operator essentially, in very simplistic terms, has the right to say, sorry, Mr O'Leary, Take your, take your aircraft somewhere else because you can't fly here or go and get a quieter aircraft. So that's how the condition, in simplistic terms, that's how the condition ties in. On that, I agree with that. I'm glad that you have said that. So the airport operator will be able to say to the, uh, uh, the aircraft operators, you can't fly that aircraft because you haven't met our assumptions. The other thing I would say is I wish we all could stop using the word assumptions because I don't really know what it means. Right, hang on. I'm going to do Councillor Lachlan, sorry, Councillor Gerard, and then Councillor Lachlan. You have had your hand up, okay? And then we'll have a break. Okay? Right, thank you. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, Councillor Lemon, I hear what you say. The reason I use the word assumptions is because they are repeated a thousand times in the documents. There are, we're be asked, being asked to make a decision today based upon assumptions, and I can't use any other word because that, that's the word that's being used. So that's the word that we have to use. And, you know, I, you know I'm, I am str I'm struggling with this because Mrs. Denmark is basically trying to tell us that, you know, you make a decision the condition is not fulfilled and therefore the airline is going to get a slap on the wrist by, by MAG, but we will have already made the decision. So it's after the event. Uh, I'm going to just ask Mr Brown to clarify exactly how that slap on the wrist can operate. Slap on the wrist is you cannot operate at that level. It's you can't implement the permission. It's literally... It's, it's, and we've put some checks into place. Now, no airline... Like, taking, taking Karen's simplistic scenario there... Ryanair are not going to say, oh, carry on, do your worst. They will have to think about this because Stansted is not alone in terms of operating on that basis. And Stansted wouldn't go, oh, that's just hope. 
that Ryanair buy all the right planes by the time we get there. They're going to be thinking ahead. But if they don't, if we, we're overestimating what they're doing, then at the end of the day, they can't implement this permission. That is what that condition is doing. The condition is getting to the point where once you get to the 35 million, which we've already got, which they've already got consent for, they can't go beyond that because that's what these noise contours do. That's not assuming anything. That's actually, well, it is assuming something. It's taking an assumption which is that there's going to be a reduced noise contours in that particular position, and that's where it's going to be once they get to 35 million. If we're wrong, then then they can't go beyond that anyway. We're assuming a very strict reduction in noise contours at that particular point, and both the airlines and the airport know. So that's not an assumption, that's put in the control, and it's not a slap on the wrist. It is, you cannot implement this increase in numbers. That's what that says. Very interesting, please. With respect, it's a terrible thing to say, but with respect, who will enforce the conditions? And I'm a councillor, and I'm a UDC councillor, and I, you know, conditions of all types in any planning permission have to be enforced. Now, we have trouble enforcing builders sweeping the street after the truck leaves in Newport Road. How are you going to, I mean, I, I, with, with respect, I'd like to know how that will be enforced, because it, it seems a pretty big condition to enforce. Fair question. Well, I'm not going to go on mopping the roads, because that is not a planning issue anyway. This is dealing with a proper issue, a proper planning, breach of planning control, and the issue is they are in breach of that planning control. And if necessary, we can have injunctions attached to that to prevent them from carrying on doing that. And it's as simple as that. Stop. That's what it is. Chair, just one very quick one. I think we, we all ought to realise that the purchase of these new quarter planes, which we all want, rely entirely on the um, aircraft operators having the money to buy them. Right. Councillor Lachlan, and then I'm taking a break at half past. You might need one after how I say. Um, I want to be in on that conversation when Mag says to Michael O'Leary, look here, Michael, you can't fly your planes. Let, let me know when you're doing that, please. I definitely want to be there. And going back to enforcement, money talks. Ryanair is a very successful operator and the biggest operator that Stansted Airport uses. I cannot believe, and I may be cynical, that somebody's going to come along and actually say, you can't do this anymore because you haven't fulfilled this. And I'm sorry, I don't believe that for one moment. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a five-minute break. So everybody back here, say at 25-2. Just five minutes.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry, that was a bit longer than we planned, but I think everybody needed it. Um, I'm going to pick up two points. Uh, I'm just going to go back on Councillor Gerald's point on the train standing and ask if uh, Alice has got the information there. Uh, if, if Actually, you can take one of the mics from where the speakers are and we'll leave it in front of you. If you'd like to pick up that point, and then I'm going to come back on another point as well, just before we start. Chair, Chair so as I, uh, as I understand it, unless the councillor can point exactly to where the, the 65% uh, reference is, I don't know whether, whether he can, um, I, I really just want to refer back to the... the, the yes, sorry. Oh, you have, right. Mr Chairman, I did find it. It was, it was in the, the presentation that was given to us last week by SSE. Uh, it was in their presentation and it's entitled Impact on Rail Services Further Justification for Refusal. And so it sparked me, I, I, I want, need clarity. So, and just to, so that's the page I'm referring to and it, it says passenger standing capacity on trains has been wrongly calculated giving assumed capacity 65% higher than seating capacity. This assumption is contrary to DFT PICC guidance, C11, um, wholly unrealistic and may well be physically incapable of being achieved. And, and the reference it gives is PIXE, passengers in excess of capacity, the standard DFT measurement for train overcrowding. Right. Okay. Does that help you? No. You pro you're not prepared for that comment really, are you? <coughs> um, the, the, what, what, I'm careful and conscious, Chair, not to introduce new, new material to you at this point, which I don't think um, is, is the purpose of today. What, what, I, what I would say is that the line loadings are clearly set out in the officer's report based on how we have calculated them with network rails advice and guidance and with data supplied from the train operating companies. The... Um, test that the councillor has just mentioned there is guidance for a wholly different purpose. If we were asked to have been carried out that uh, assessment by the network rail or by Anglia or, or indeed uh, in, by any other party uh, responsible for the rail, rail network, it would have been carried out. We have carried out the guidance as advised and just refer back to the officer's report. And uh, the loadings as identified there show that there is spare capacity on the network with the 12 car trains, as your officers have already pointed out. Uh, thank you for that. May, Mr Chairman, just to clarify, just for a point of reference, I mean, I did try to find the answer from MAG's information. I want to make it very clear that I'm not relying upon SOC information, clearly as only as a counterbalance. And in fact, I did make reference to a letter that they circulated on the 9th of November, in which they actually made a reference to rail, and I was hoping that they would clarify the matter for me. Uh, when I look at it again, I think in that, in, on the question of that, they simply said Network Rail have no objections. Um, so but I just want to make a point. I, ha I am trying to work with the MAG information. I appreciate that, Councillor Jarrett. Okay. Um, I'm going to come to Mr Brown now because we left the last session. Um, uh, no, I'm, I'll come back to you in a second, Mr Fairhurst. Councillor Fairhurst, sorry downgraded you again um, uh, or upgraded you yeah. um, Mr Brown we, we were discussing how to perhaps have a little bit more teeth to the um, holding feet to the fire on aircraft movements perhaps you could uh, come up with a proposal one suggestion which I've bounced off mag but we haven't gone into detail yet so there's no 
um, as part of the mitigation, Condition 7 um, is a clear one. It does do what I said it was going to do. And I think in, in response to Councillor Gerrard's comments was what enforcement action would be taken and would we have the stomach for it, etc., etc., all that stuff. What you could do, and it is not practice to duplicate planning conditions in Section 106s just to add weight to them, but what you could do is expand that Condition 7 in or Section 106 as part of the mitigation as an undertaking um, for which, if this was approved, MAG would be a signatory to the 106, with also stress tests with it. So it's an undertaking by um, MAG to do that, as well as some other checks and balances within that to make sure that they are online. So we're not just sitting there waiting for them to get to that particular situation to make sure. And that could cover things like routings and stuff like that as well. So therefore there can be community stuff. So it could add a little bit more to it to actually achieve that, rather than just hoping and praying that we're going to get to the situation at 35 and suddenly the noise contours are shrunk and or they're beginning to shrink and then off we go. We have confidence that Condition 7 won't be breached in terms of what we've got going forward, but I think an undertaking within the Section 106 with necessary stress levels, with necessary other actions such as routings and stuff like that, would give it a lot more teeth. And because MAG would be a signature to the 106 and to that undertaking, they've agreed to do it. So all of a sudden, if you're in breach of the 106, is a clear absolutely clear injunction with penalties as well. So I think that will give you the more, t more, it should give members a little bit more comfort than what you would have had it just as a condition. Councillor Fairhurst. Yes, Mr Chairman, you know we're not going to let it go. We asked a question of standing room only. Now it matters. It matters because it's in the evidence. If we had access to this, so did they. And we've gone through this, we've, been, we've, been hand, we've got evidence last night and we read it and we went through it, because that's our job here. And the same applies to the applicant. If we have a situation which is a questionable one, about 65% higher standing capacity, it matters because we have vulnerable people who've got to carry trains. If it's in, it's in contravention of some policy, it's a big issue. And it's not good enough saying we haven't read our homework. Okay. Uh, point noted. Councillor Freeman. Yes, yeah, yes, thank you. In support of that, apparently, I can't give you the original here, but Network Wales, was, Network Wales response explicitly states, quote, that increased rail passengers resulting from increased air passengers would mean that longer-term rail capacity schemes on the West Anglia main line are likely to be needed sooner, which is fine, but there are no such schemes at the moment for short-term or medium-term or long-term improvements. There are no schemes for improvement, apparently. I'll bring you back to my earlier statement. It would be lovely if we could solve all the infrastructure problems that we've got with this one application, but we have to consider this in balance as to what it's going to cost us as such. Sorry, Mr. Fairhurst. Chairman, I, I really didn't mean to get her goals, but this is an issue. Sustainability means it works. And every time we get to a point that worries, we say we can't discuss it anymore. I, we cannot agree to a system here today that hasn't been gone through thoroughly. The question, it was stated in the press and all over the place that we were not up to the task, and I disagree. We are up to the task as long as we make sure we answer all the questions and solve all the problems. This is a bigger problem. It's not a minor problem. It's substantial to the issue of whether it's sustainable or not. So I'm not letting it go. <coughs> Well, we have a contradiction, haven't we? We have a contradiction where SSE have made one statement and MAG have based theirs. No, they've made a statement as such. So whether that can be verified or how we progress that, it would have to be done. Um, 
MAG have based their assumptions on what they were asked to do to actually as a requirement for the application as such. And they've had a statement from Network Rail. I'd, I'd love to be able to say, look, we're going to four-track the line in five years' time or something. And I, I absolutely understand that's probably what it's going to need. But we're not today going to be able to resolve that issue. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but we're not trying to gloss over the fact. Sorry, I didn't believe that at all. It's not our job. It's the job of the office to clarify the process. And there, seems to be an, and there seems to be a lack of evidence here for us. We're trying to make a decision and we're relying on very hard-working people here who are, trying, who are tussling with all the issues. And Mag's got a view. This is a view which is in the evidence and we can't find a solution to that problem. It's not your problem. It's not my problem. It's a problem the officers have to solve. Mr. Brown. Yeah, I think... Sorry, Roger. Chairman, um, if you look at paragraph 9.142 of the officers' report, that sets out... Uh, the definitive position in terms of the scale of this, this particular issue. Hourly data presented to Network Rail, which Jeremy Pine referred to, not including the application due to sensitivity of the data, show that demand may exceed seating availability on four Stansted Express services heading northbound during the PM peak, should airport passenger rail mode share rise to 35% by 2028 with the growth of the airport to 43 million passengers per annum. Whilst this would impact on seating availability, there would be sufficient standing capacity to accommodate the passenger numbers. So that is the assessment of the impact of going to 43 MPPA. So on four services leaving the Bull Street in the PM peak, uh, there may not be sufficient seats for everybody to sit down. Now, Network Rail have taken a view that that degree of impact is acceptable in the context of the proposals. My case rests, my lud. We were told it isn't sufficient. We were told it breaks policy rules. And we all know that, that vulnerable and old people standing on rails for more than 20 minutes is a risk. It's a hazard and it's simply wrong. Chairman, Network Rail are well aware of the Pixie guidelines and have taken those into account, no doubt, in responding to the planning application. Okay, moving on. We've sort of dealt or talked with noise assessment. I'd like to talk about air quality now. So I'm sure some of you have some questions. I am going to try and move things on as much as possible. Councillor Gerard. Thank you, Chairman. Um, yes, um, again, I think that the, there is a follow-on from noise. Um, as a, as a quite a nice link, obviously, which obviously connects the issue of the new fleet assumptions. And we, we went through that issue of the new fleet assumptions, and th those lovely, quieter, wonderful planes, which apparently are also more, um, are better for our environment. So I just want to make a point out that the issue of air quality is based upon the assumptions also on new fleet. There, there is a connection there. Um, now, I want to just move on to the issue of emissions, um, which is obviously a big issue, and it is a health issue, it's an environmental issue. Um, the modelling that's, that's quoted in the report um, apparently considers um, measurement modelling up to 1,500 feet. And it's been brought to my attention, and I've looked for it, information to clarify in, in the MAG uh, EIA reports and all the other reports, that 
there is a recommendation by the, um, uh, by the, the ICAO um, that it should be at 3,000 feet, not 1,500, at double the height. Now, I just want clarity, please, from somebody as to um, if that's correct and why the modelling only considers 1,500 feet. Nigel. No, Nigel down there. (laughs) (laughs) He just likes the spotlight. Um, so we've, uh, we were made aware of this uh, yes, yesterday and we've had a look, a look at this. Um, basically, the, the, the difference in the height is, is fairly um, arbitrary because as you, as you look at the emissions going for a higher amount, a higher level, then you're actually looking at a wider um, set of emissions as well because as you go higher you're also going out further so um, we've had a look and the, the effect would be negligible in terms of the actual where, where you draw that line so, so there's, not, there's not a significant difference between looking at the different methodology Sorry Mr Chairman I'm not sure how you've come to that conclusion because my simple question is if the ICAO recommends 3,000 feet, why aren't we using 3,000 feet? We've looked at the assessment that's been done. We were looking at it in context of local um, pollutant levels, not... We must really be very careful here because we're looking at the effect on local levels of nitrogen dioxide, um, not airborne levels of nitrogen dioxide. Um, and, but we are looking at carbon dioxide in, in a global sense. So when we, when we looked at the effect of the aircraft emissions on local levels, which is very, 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 very minimal, um, th- this, this level that you pick is... is, is, is it is nothing, it's 0.000 effect because the effect on local air quality, so we're talking about nitrogen dioxide, is very, very low as, as the planes have, have, have gone. So, so actually, like I say, you can, you can take a level and, and you actually, you're balancing two different things, you're at height as well as area. Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you. Um, we have a panel of independent experts here who presumably are being paid, I hope they are, uh, and uh, paid by somebody anyway, uh, but they don't seem to be providing very much in the way of answers. And when I served on independent panels and I was asked a question, I gave an answer, as good as I could give, so I'm a bit disappointed at the moment. I'm disappointed with that one, because that says, look, if it's... There may be a world standard here or a best practice standard, but if it's not convenient, we're not going to use it. We use another one. That's not an answer. I'm sorry. It really isn't. If there's a world standard or a best practice standard or an industry standard, that's the standard you use. Now, the whole of this application is full of cherry-picking of the right standards to fit the argument. It's a question of this is the answer we want. Let's choose the standards that give it. And the noise profile levels are very much the subject of that, or how long you measure them for, or whether you average them, or whether you take a peak. It's a very complicated matter, Chairman, and that is the basis upon which I have been a scientist all my life. I wouldn't want to get my brain around this lot. 
because it would take years to do it properly. It really would. Um, it's a very, very technical subject. And so we're very dependent on the quality of our advice, obviously, and that is the merit of the Secretary of State dealing with this, because presumably they have access to the best advice, I would hope so. You know? But we're just a, a department with ten councillors and a collection of officers who are very competent and very hard working. There's no question about that. But this is a very highly technical area, and that's one of them. Now, turning, the point I wanted to ask was not about that. As I say, I'm disappointed in that answer, and if you hire experts, you expect them to give answers, not to actually just give more confusion to the subject. But that's, that's just my personal opinion based on serving in this sort of business for the last 30 years. Um, the... Air quality management area, if, if I turn to page 99 of the officer's report, uh, uh, paragraph 10.30, start with air quality, and we've got the infamous Hockerville Junction, which is not in, uh, it's not in Uttersford, fortunately, uh, but it's very close to the airport. But in Saffron Ward, my own uh, uh, town where I'm uh, an elected member, uh, there is the only actual, I think it's the only air quality management area in Uttersford. Uh, and further on down this page 99, uh, paragraph 10.33 uh, starts with mitigation measures. Um, uh, says about two-thirds way down that paragraph, the continuation of air quality measures will be secured by way of a section 106 legal obligation. Well, I'd like to know what section 106 legal obligation there is to improve the air quality, because it's a very hard thing to do. We've got an air quality management area in Saffron Warden, the junction of Thaxted Road and Badwinter Road. It's an air quality management area. It's designated as such, and actually nobody's done anything about making it better, because in order to make it better, you either have to say to the cars and the traffic, you're not going that way, we'll find another road for you. And Mr. Sprunt and us have rest with this for years. We really have. And, and Mr. Spunt is quite close to trying to persuade us to adopt another uh, one of his schemes, which actually is just outside this office here, which involves lots of one-way streets and things. But hey, you know, it's very hard. The message is it's very hard to deal with. I don't see how Section 106 agreements can possibly solve this matter. It's imaginary. You say, oh, it's going to be a Section 106 agreement. That's one of these non-answers. Of course, you can't fix it with state. Well, you can. Please explain to me how. Because I've wrestled with this for years in my own town without success. Elizabeth. Thank you, Mr Chairman. The wording of the report does not say that a Section 106 agreement could make the quality of the air better. It says the continuation of air quality measures would be secured by way of section 106 legal obligation we will continue to do the best we can that is not the same thing as saying we will make it better we will implement measures that we hope in the basis of the knowledge at the present moment will improve the situation we, a section 106 cannot cure it can only put in place measures that may on the basis of knowledge available at the time help in that case chairman if i may just come back on that that's uh, an unfortunate use of english because what it says is actually we're not going to fix it but we're going to look at it we're going to watch it and the same the same argument chairman is applied to hatfield forest which is extremely sensitive to nitrogen oxides 
and we'll say, oh, we'll fit, we'll, what we'll do is we'll monitor them. It's fine, we'll just monitor it. It'll be okay. That's not an answer. If you can't fix it, mitigation is what's required when it comes to sustainability. You have the balance of this as an unquestionable economic advantage, unquestionable employment advantage to Stansted Airport expanding and profiting. I'm very much in favour of that. Full employment, very important. High technology, very important. Close to Cambridge, as one of the speakers this morning pointed out. It's the nearest airport to Cambridge, much better than driving around the M25. All this is absolutely true. But if you cannot mitigate to an adequate extent, then you cannot go ahead. And that's it. And we've just established, well, all we're going to do is the measure. And that's the end of it. That's not good enough, Chairman. Karen. Yeah, right. Um, with regards to the Section 106 around the air quality and um, AQMA, um, so the measures in there are the sustainable transport levy, where funds are raised from the parking transactions at the airport, and that goes into the funds which are overseen by the transport working for, uh, tran bleh, I'm getting myself in the money, the transport forum and its associated working groups. And that can include um, funding for schemes such as um, off-site charging points, um, introduction of, uh, of providing funding for electric buses and things like that. So things that can reduce carbon emissions within the air quality area. Um, with, sorry, sorry, NOx emissions, sorry. Um, with regards to um, Hatfield Forest, it's not just a case of we'll monitor it. it. The requirement in the Section 106 is to continue monitoring as requested by Natural England and if impacts are identified, an appropriate mitigation scheme must be drawn up, approved by Natural England and implemented. So it goes further than that. I'd like to know what that scheme is, Chairman, because I don't believe it's technically possible. But we don't know yet because the monitoring is happening. It's only just... MAG has had nearly a year-long battle to get the monitoring equipment actually installed in Hatfield Forest from Natural England because they got the planning permission for it, had to get consent from Natural England to actually install it in there, and it took them nearly a year to actually come back and say, yes, it's fine, despite the fact that we've granted planning permission. So once the equipment is in there, the monitoring can carry on. That, had to be, that was part of the 25 to 35 MPPA mitigation, was that they had to install the monitoring equipment. So we're taking that one step further now. Say, right, okay, you'll get the equipment installed. We will monitor it. You know, you, it will be monitored over that 10-year period for the previous consent. If if harm is identified over that period, then you will have to look at a mitigation scheme and implement it when you get to 35. Councillor Fairhurst and Councillor Gerard. Sorry, then will we switch off the aeroplanes? I'm sorry, but I'm... I'm and I, I will just differ slightly with my, my scientists next to me. I think the chaps in front of us are doing a really hard job. Really, they are. We're all in new territory here and we're trying the best we can. But we're going to be vigilant about it because it's an important decision to make. I want to read two things which matter to me. I hope they matter to other people as well. From the, from the Prime Minister herself, if she still is, um, on the 25-year environment plan, it says, our natural environment is our most precious alliance, um, inheritance. And the fall from the Secretary of State, in terms of a clean air strategy, says, 
Air pollution is a top environmental risk to human health in the UK and the fourth greatest threat to public health and, and after cancer, heart disease and obesity. So this is not a minor detail, this is a very big detail. Now, I, I love being told that we're going to monitor things. We should have been monitoring for the last 20 years. We don't start monitoring because someone's going to pass an application. But whether we monitor or not, if we don't have something in place that says this is what we're going to do if things start to fail, then we lose forests and we destroy air. We make a decision today which isn't a maybe or conditional. It's a go ahead, buy your planes, fly your planes, have a wonderful time. And if it all goes wrong in 10 years' time, we'll, we'll think of something. That's not going to work for me, thank you. <clears throat> If I can just help on this matter. So the, it, it relates to biodiversity because obviously nitrogen will, um, will, will, will effectively make the forests imbalanced, um, uh, you know, which then means that certain species will be, um, will, will be less attractive or, or ability to, to flourish. Um, there are management measures. So we're talking about actually chopping down bits of the vegetation to allow to, you know, to bring in that biodiversity. So there are a set of management measures, and that's different for every single different woodland or grassland. I mean, grassland, you, you, you chop the grass back, and then the, the, the non-cows, you know, the, the, the plants that, that don't want too much grass and the animals will, will get in. So, so for each different uh, biodiversity, there is, a, there is a management measure, and that is, that's what Natural England would be looking to, to, to adjust it by to maintain the biodiversity. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Now, can we please put it on a piece of paper so we've got something to make a plan against? Because that's what we need. That's the information we need. We can't make decisions in the air, chaps. Best endeavours will do our very best. That's what we need. Information. So, for example, Hatfield, Hatfield Forest is a big issue for us. There's another one, apparently, as well. They're all dying. And if we, do so, if we have plans to say, if this happens, we do that, as Nigel Mann says, then I feel a little bit more comfortable in this decision. Okay. Councillor Gerard. Um, Mr Chairman, thank you very much. I assume we also talk the same goes for Elson and Forest too. Yes, exactly. I mean, Natural England will have a slightly different plan for it, but there, there will be a management measure that they would be seeking to, to implement. Thank you. Um, can I move on now to the issue of um, cumulative road impact um, and to do with air quality? Um, what I want clarity on um, is how, sorry, have we adequately assessed the cumulative impact of the proposal combined with the additional 15,000 houses? Yes, I, I believe that, that it has on the basis of the discussions we've had this morning from transport because effectively when the transport model is, is approved, those are the numbers that go into the air quality modelling. So the, the, if the transport people are, are basically happy with the numbers being, uh, representing the, um, the, the cumulative assessment, so in the same way that we heard about the, the, the process this morning, that goes for air quality because it's exactly the same numbers that are used. If I may carry on, um, can I move on to uh, the issue of the broader issue of carbon emissions and climate change? Again, um, this was something that I've read in the environmental statement. I've um, had done research, and briefing notes were sent to us by uh, 
SSC as well. Um, again, I need some clarity so we can know what the effect is. Um, first of all, um, I know, you know we, we're here, we're Uttlesford District Council, we're the District Council trying to make a decision here, but there are, there are bigger impacts on us that do affect our decision, and I don't believe we're supposed to ignore them, but I appreciate we can't fix them. Um, but they do have a bearing, so bear with me if, if you can. Um, so, the big one, the Climate Change Act. Um, my understanding, and again, Mrs Smith, please tell me if I'm wrong, but the UK is a statute, has a statutory duty on the Act, and that duty is to reduce emissions by 80% by 2050. Um, and I understand that um, all sectors of the UK economy have to contribute to that task, um, including the aviation sector. So um, now it seems that the aviation sector bit of that, which is why we're here, is uh, the, the numbers, and I need clarity again, on the, on the, uh, are to keep the CO2 levels below 37.5 million tonnes, I think it's million tonnes, million tonnes by 2050. So that's the target. Now, the way I read it, um, the Department for Transport, when it talks about this issue, um, makes a planning assumption. And again, I'll need some clarity on the definition of what the planning assumption means for us. But the planning assumption for Stansted Airport is that uh, for carbon dioxide, uh, is that that target uh, it should be 1.3 million, sorry, 1.37 million tonnes by 2028, uh, which rises to 1.64 million tonnes in 2050. Now that is a planning assumption for Stansford by the Department for Transport, as I read it. Um, MAG, in the documents that we've read um, and in their submission, um, they're projecting CO2 of 2.5 million tonnes by 2028 compared to the 1.37 that it's supposed to be. So their own projections for CO2 are 1.3 million tonnes more than the Department for Transport guidelines. So what I'm asking is, is that it seems logical that if their own projections are 80% more than the Department of Transport guidelines, there's something wrong. Um, why haven't we scrutinised that? Why, aren't we, why hasn't isn't it been brought up as a, in, in big flashing lights? And so what I'm trying to say is that if you look at, and that's just the 2020, but if you look at the, the cumulative, which is the, our statutory duty, the UK is a statu has a statutory duty to 2050, the cumulative impact is actually 28 something, nearly 29 million tonnes. Now, the question I want to ask, please, is, is this a material consideration for us to uh, consider? And if it's not, why not? I do believe it is a material consideration. It, 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 it is, we've, we've checked, that, checked through the numbers, but the numbers are um, as predicted. It's, however, it is also, a, like you say, it's a global and a, a national um, situation that is, is the same with, with, with obviously many developments and that's not trying to excuse it but it, yes I do believe it is material consideration uh, Mr Harborough 
Yes, I agree it's a material consideration, but members need to have regard to beyond the horizon, which is the government's uh, policy uh, framework on, on these matters, which makes it very clear that the government believes that uh, best use of uh, runway capacity um, can be permitted locally without attaching any weight to carbon emissions and that's because the government believes that at a national level it can um, the cumulative impacts of those best use proposals uh, in combination with uh, the, the, uh, the third runway at, at Heathrow will, are compatible with its um, obligations in, in respect of the um, Climate Change Act. So that it's, a, it's a matter of government policy that you do not need to attach any weight to it in taking a decision on this particular planning application. Mr Chairman, we're being told not to, not to give any weight to climate change. Basically, I mean, what, what I'm trying to say is that on the one hand, we're being asked to make a decision locally. We are told by the MPPF that we must consider all environmental impacts. We must consider national policy, which I assume includes international statutory duties. And now you're being, we're being told not to give weight to an international statutory duty. I can't I'm, I'm actually go that. any further without clarity. No, I'm uh, not saying that. I'm saying that the government is satisfied that it can meet its international and national commitments in respect of carbon emissions without planning authorities, when they're determining proposals for best use, to attach any weight to the carbon emissions associated from those best use proposals. So we come back to best use. I mean, what you're saying is, is that actually it comes back to the point that was skipped through a little bit earlier on, which is the issue of best use, which is therefore at the, it's the crux of this whole thing then. No, it isn't. Because government's policy is expressed in general terms. It doesn't talk specifically about additional capacity at Stansted Airport. It talks about best use at um, airports in the UK other than London Heathrow. Um, so what we don't have before us today an application for best use of Stansted Airport. We have an application, as Mr Brown has said, we have an application to, um, to permit an increase in the passenger numbers without any increase in air transport movements. Sorry, Mr Chairman, Mr Harbour has just said we don't have an application for best use, in which case it's contravening beyond the horizons which says that it will look at, at applications for best use. No, it's you not. You just said we don't have best use. No, it's Therefore, not. Therefore, I'm confused. Please clarify. So the, the application is consistent with government policy about proposals to, to make best use of existing runway capacity. It doesn't say you have to apply for best use of the runway capacity. May I quote from, from, the, from what is, we're told, Considerable weight is to be afforded to this document beyond the horizon, which, by the way, apparently we're waiting a green paper update any day, like next week, and then the white paper comes out in the new year. But we're here today, so let's, let's look at this beyond the horizon, which is, at, by the officer's own report, policy. This is policy. We have to work to policy. And it says, and I'll go to paragraph... Uh, 
paragraph 1.5. And the heading of this section is called Making Best Use of Existing Runways. So it says, and I'll read it in full, just so I'm not accused of picking things out, the aviation strategy call for evidence set out the government agrees with the airport's commission's recommendation and was minded to be supportive of all airports who wish to make best use of their existing runways, including those in the southeast, subject to environmental issues being addressed. And then it says the position is different for Heathrow. Therefore, if they're supporting best use, and it, this document is entitled, and it's the front cover, Making Best Use of Existing Runways, I'm confused. On the one hand, we're being told, follow this as policy, give it substantial weight, making best use beyond the horizon. On the other hand, we're being told, this application is not best use. I'm confused. Um, I understand why you're confused. I'm going to ask, I think, I'm going to think about how I'm saying this. Um, <clears throat> Thank you, Councillor Chambers. I completely understand where you're coming from with this, okay? Um, in some reiterations of what we're doing, we've used the best case or best use of the airport as a criteria for reasons why we should be doing things. And in this instance, we've got the government saying that uh, it isn't necessarily relevant to the application of this particular element, if you like. No, no, I, I, I've got it, or I did have it. <coughs> um, what we've got before us, again, I'm going to bring it back to what we've got before us. We've got that 274,000 cap, which isn't going to change. Yep. We've got the rats and the rats, and we've got the parking bays as such. Um, does the RET and the RAT actually make best use of the airport? It certainly improves it, which is something that's developed from where the RETs and RATs were approved before. Um, does the parking improve the use of the airport? Yes, it does. It's making better use. I'll use the word better use. Okay. Better. I'm going to use... Chairman, apologies, but the policy is not better use, it's better. I, I know what it says in the document. I'm saying the application before you is making better use than what it had before which is what I said, yeah? I can't square this circle in as much as it's, it's you know, it, it's a statement that's in a document as such. So, I'm going to move on if we haven't got a clarification of this. Then, then let's give us a specific question and we'll take a specific answer. I may. I do think we need to come back to that issue. It's, it's kind of a crucial issue, but if, if in the meantime someone could be looking into this, perhaps legal. Um, but um, let's uh, just on this issue of, of air quality, it's a big issue. Um, you know, we have a duty of care to look after people, well-being, health, you know, environmental health. I'm on the 
on the Committee of Environmental Health, it's important to me and other members of the committee. So the NPPF, our National Bible, as it were, Planning Bible, um, is very clear on this um, in terms of sustainability. NPPF paragraph 8, I think it is, um, which deals with environmental objectives and climate change. So paragraph 8C, very clear, environmental objective to contribute to protecting the enhancing our natural built and historic environment and minimising waste and pollution and mitigating and adopting, and adopting to climate change, including moving to a low carbon economy. Now this obviously was just, just came out. This is the new one I'm quoting from not the old one, which was slightly different. This one actually reinforces climate change. So that's kind of important, I think. Um, and that's, that's called the environmental objective. It's one of the things that we have to consider, quite a big one. Paragraph uh, 148 of the NPPF, um, which is entitled, paragraph 14, uh, meeting the challenge of climate change, flooding and coastal change. Uh, the word climate change is used again. Um, and it says, uh, basically, to support the transition to a low-carbon future in a changing climate and contribute to radical reductions in greenhouse gas emissions and support renewable and low-carbon energy associated infrastructure. And, and finally, of course, there's paragraph 150, planning for climate change, which says, uh, new development should be planned to avoid uh, planned to, to, to the two things, uh, to avoid increased vulnerability to the range of impacts arising from climate change and to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So I do think we have some very serious issues here, um, not being able to answer the question that I raised as to why it is that um, the uh, MAG projections are 82% above in terms of how many million tonnes they are more than DFT guidelines and contravenes international UK obligations. Right, let's take that specific question. So in relation to the NPPF guidance on um, responding to climate change challenges, the NPPF sets out quite clearly uh, the areas in which it expects planning um, the planning system to, to, to intervene. So that's around the energy efficiency of buildings. It's around minimising the need to travel uh, so you don't get so many carbon emissions from, from transport movements. Um, what it doesn't include, quite specifically, because you're more up-to-date government policy on uh, aviation uh, development says so, it doesn't include seeking to minimise the emissions from aircraft uh, when they're moving around the airport or in flight. Councillor Gerard. So, so when the, in the officer's report, in the conclusion, in paragraph 10.4 of the officer's report, um, and I'll just get to it if you bear with me a second. 10.40. Uh, 10.40. Um, conclusion. There we are. The conclusion basically says um, it, it is considered unlikely to materially. Uh, 
materially impact the UK's ability to meet its um, 2050 national aviation targets. Um, I'd like to know who considered that. Um, and I think that that consideration, unlikely to materially impact, bearing in mind we've been told it's a material consideration, the Climate Change Act, um, I believe that that is contrary to the NPPF. So I, that's a conclusion that I don't understand. Karen or Roger? I do take your point here. The um, order government guidelines, either the airport um, aviation policy framework and um, <clears throat> the other documents say that ABA, um, carbon emissions from aviation will be dealt with at a government level. So that is why we are looking, essentially that ch chapter is looking at the emissions um, and um, in, in that context, um, just looking through those documents there. Hold on a second. Chairman, I, I feel I'm being put in a bit of a corner here and I'm not sure how to get out of this corner because I feel like we've we're in a corner here, and I'm struggling to go forwards without... Let's, um, let's see if we can throw some clarity on it. I'll take Councillor Fairhurst in the meanwhile, and I'll come back to you. Thank you, Mr Chairman. It's been a long day, um, and we've discussed a lot of things, a lot of science, I'm told, and a lot of assumptions, a lot of detail, and we've learnt all about amazing things, like, like uh, rats and rats and lek, LEC, what are they called? LEQs. LEQs. It's very impressive stuff. I do think we've got to start talking common sense now. It's getting late. Policy is important. That's our job. But I want to put it into real words. I want to use words instead of abbreviations and letters. We want to talk about real things. We're actually not scientists or specialists in this. We're trying to do a proper job here. We take it quite seriously. As you can see, we read a lot. I'm going to use two words that are English words that I, I love, and they talk about, they're very important here. The first word is congestion, from the Latin. It's always from the Latin, congestion, from con, together, and gerera, to heap up, to load up together, to heap together, to congest. The other word is refuge, refugit, fugere, to flee back. These are two important words that we're going to talk about here because congestion talks about a lot of things. We all know what congestion means. We talk about congested traffic, congested lungs when you've got, when you've got a lung disease or you've got asthma, congested air, noise congestion, too much noise in a place. And that's what this is all about. It's congestion of noise and air and cars and planes. And I think we've got to start. We've got to come to a point here. You see, congestion is a strange thing. I lived in Hong Kong for a year and a half. I think uh, um, Councillor Jerry was also there for a while. And Hong Kong defines congestion. You used to fly into the centre of the town between skyscrapers. Mm. And they loved it. Because that wasn't congested for them. In an area space four times the size of Atlasford, they had five and a half million people. And that wasn't congested for them. They were doing business. And it worked for them. Great business. Business can work in congestion. It's fine. Far more congested than London was. 
London is congested. They even have a tariff. You, you pay money to go into London because they decided, you know what, enough is enough. We're going to draw a red line. When you drive in here, you're going to pay money because it is congested. Now, of course, comparing London to Hong Kong is like comparing, well, Uttlesford to London. It's different. It's a different set of circumstances. We're talking about Uttlesford here because you know what? We decided we're going to handle this at a local level, not a national level. That's why we have DFT figures opposed to our local figures. We've already agreed on that. And we've got to, we've got to say to ourselves, do we have red lines for Uttlesford? Do we have red lines of congestion where we have to say, stop, it's enough? Because that's what you're talking about here. Now, it's very hypocritical for me to say I don't like airports because I rather do. I like aeroplanes, I like cars, I like music. I like aeroplanes. When I was five, I'm going back to the violence. At five, my dad took me to the airport and I watched these marvelous aeroplanes. And I'm talking about old aeroplanes. They were Viscounts. I even saw a constellation once. These were real aeroplanes. And you watch them flying over and they sort of hang in the air. And it's the most amazing thing for a boy. It was brilliant. I've never flown in a constellation. So who might talk about airports? They've got nice new aeroplanes. And apparently cheaper to fly too. It's about congestion. You don't fly into Lapcock Airport now in Lantau. They moved that out because it was a red line in Hong Kong as well. But I also love music. I love noise. And when I was five, I'm doing a lot when I'm five, I went to a symphony concert and I sat right in front so I could hear all the bells. Symphony Fantastique, there was a bell that goes. Or, or 1812 Overture, there's a cannon that goes. And the louder the better. Definitely. Forget about decibels. That was brilliant. But then I'd go home. I'd go home to quiet. That was my refuge. I flee back to my refuge. People go to London today. I have friends who live in London, believe it or not, on purpose. And they say London isn't what it used to be. Ain't what it used to be. It's congested. It's different. And they're lucky because they can flee back to a refuge in the country. An airport in the country. They can flee back to Uttlesford, to the green. And you can keep on fleeing back because it's fun. The problem is, Sometimes sound isn't a good thing. And it's not about 51 decibels. I'm terribly sorry, I'm not a scientist. It's about the appropriate noise for a space. When you're walking a young baby of six months old who's coughing at 11 o'clock at night, and an aeroplane or even a dog in a distant box, that's too much noise. When you're standing watching a Viscount land, you never get too much noise. It's all relative. And we're discussing relative here. And I've got a problem with this place, to be honest. Because we've been discussing all that. It's about the degree, how much noise, how much congestion, how much traffic, how many cars, how many planes. I discovered a concept called stacking. One of our, and let's understand this is all evidence, one of our speakers told about the fact they live in Felsted, I think, I don't know where it was, I'm not going to go there. They talked about airplanes stacking. And stacking means pollution. And believe it or not, pollution is congestion. We're killing the planet with congestion. And we may be, in this committee, the last bastion to put that red line in Uttlesford, to hold on to it. And if we don't, where's our refuge then? The Hebrides? Where do we keep moving? At what, do, at what point do we say enough? I'm told, and I've said it already, that 2006 was a different year. We didn't really care then. We've woken up, I hope, and it's slightly different now. So yes, there's a permission, and we touched, we stuck it. I'd be the last guy to change that. We permitted 35 million people to fly into this refuge, and of course to fly out to Ibiza. Are we going to carry on? Just keep on winching it up. 
Because business is business, and that's great for everybody. It's great in Hong Kong, it's great in London, and we all benefit from that, no doubt we do. But unfortunately, here around this table, we're only batting for Uttlesford. That's in the Red Book, I had a check today. We're only batting for the residents and the environment of Uttlesford. We can't talk about Bishop Stortford, as bad as it may be, because you know what? It's not relevant. We're here to bat for our people. Now, I'm sorry, I know you didn't want me to jump the gun, but I'm minded, sorry, I'm proposing that we reject this out of hand. It's the red line. It's being crossed. There's not enough science, and, and, and I'm going to be against it. Thank you. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, please, really. Okay. Um, as we discussed before, I'll park that because I want to finish the debate, okay? But I'll take it when it comes. Councillor Gerard, did you want to speak? I was going to second the motion, but I'll wait. Yeah, if you can, please. Um, I want to move on and finish the other issues that we've got here. Um, does anybody else have anything else to say specifically related to climate? Chairman. Sorry, I'll, uh, take, I'll take Roger and then I'll come back to you, Councillor Gerard. So, um, looking in detail at what beyond the horizon the future of UK aviation, which is government's poli recent policy statement, says the implications of the UK's carbon commitments. As explained in the Aviation Strategy Next Stop Steps document, we have made significant steps in developing international measures for addressing aviation carbon dioxide emissions. As part of that approach, the government has looked at a carbon-capped scenario. This was developed to explore the case for expansion even in a future where aviation admissions were limited to the Committee on Climate Change's planning assumptions of 37.5 million tonnes of uh, CO2 in 2050. Under the DFT's carbon cap scenario, the cap is met using a combination of carbon pricing and specific measures. For the central demand case, we determined that the most appropriate specific measures to use based on cost effectiveness and practicality of implementation were more efficient aircraft ground movements using single engine taxiing and higher uptake of renewable fuels. And this is a key point. The more efficient ground movement policy involves government action to incentivise the use of single engine taxiing at UK airports. It's assumed that policy would lead to a 95% take up rate by 2030 and beyond, and it's estimated this measure would reduce fuel consumption by around 1% per flight on average. Um, and then it goes on to talk about the renewal renewable fuels policy that again involves government regulations. So the point that is being made is that the government has accepted in relation to um, emissions from aircraft that it needs to take the initiative to ensure that the carbon capped scenario could be met. It's not looking to councils in determining planning applications to uh, to contribute to that objective. Thank you. <coughs> Councillor Fairhurst. I would really, I'm, I, I hate reading in public. Beyond the horizon, page wherever it may be. Role of local planning, that's us. 
Most of the concerns raised can be addressed through our existing policies and so on and so on. And then the sentence says, and it's quite important, for the majority of environmental concerns, the government expects these to be taken into account as part of existing local planning application processes, airspace policy. It is right that decisions on elements which impact local individuals such as noise and air quality should be considered through the appropriate planning process and CA airspace processes. I'm sorry, that's my job. So I see nothing inconsistent with no. that well, then, what no. I've advised the committee about yeah. uh, government's role in respect of capping carbon emissions. Councillor Jarrod, did you want to come back? Um, yeah, it's just a, a couple of points just following on from that um, and it really leads on to the issue of public health which is kind of a big one I think. Um, there's one question I have to ask of the um, officers, um, I read that in terms of a quality of life assessment, and I'll let everyone get to the relevant section, but my understanding is there isn't one. I also read in the detailed submissions that were made by UDC, replied by MAG, and I've read UDC specifically asked MAG to supply us with a quality of life assessment. Now, I don't see one. So first of all, if I've missed it in the 12,000 pages, forgive me. Please let me know where it is. Um, and if I haven't missed it, please can you tell me, because I don't think it's possible, I don't actually think it's possible for me to weigh up, and I'm not sure if any of us can weigh up the harms and the benefits without that, because it is about quality of life. We're being asked to balance economics with health and social and environmental issues. So that would have been a really useful assessment to have in front of me. I don't see it. I'd love to see it, please. Roger. Chairman, the Council didn't ask for a quality of life assessment. The reason for that is that the mechanism for assessing the effects of a proposal of this nature is the environmental statement. So that, that is a comprehensive assessment and it brings together all the various strands. Mr. Chairman, sorry, sorry, I'm getting um, accusations from SSC that we did ask for this um, document. I would like to know, I would like them to give me the um, page and the place where we ask for that assessment. Apologies. Okay, let, let's not... Yeah. Chairman, I, I found it in... Um, you had a, um, a spreadsheet where you on the left, uh, MAG on the right, and SSC underneath in yellow, I think it was, and I think it was quite early on in, in, the, in the spreadsheet, page 10 or something, um, there was a direct question on the UDC site, please can you supply us with a quality of life assessment? And Mag goes to say, we don't need to do this because da 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 And nothing further came from that. So I'd just like to know, why not? Now, I have it in my bag out there. I can go and get it if you give me a minute, but I, hopefully you have that information to hand. <coughs> Karen, yep, you okay. Just bear with me a second. We'll try and find the relevant piece of paper.
to a certain extent, um, Mr Harborough has answered the point by saying that normally an application on this would be satisfied with a, an environmental statement as opposed to a quality of life assessment. I, I, I see sort of where you're going. It's whether it would have helped you in making this decision. So, Chairman, thank you. For, I'm, I'm just, I, in terms of, I need ammunition to make a decision, and I'm fine that I'm running out of ammunition at the moment. Uh, yeah, I think ammunition is the wrong word, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, we, I'm just going to take five minutes. I'm going to pause the room for five minutes because legal want to catch up with what's going on over there, and we'll try and find exactly where we are. Sorry? Uh, yes, if you're very quick with the microphone. Thank you. Um, I'm here because I, I want to help the community. That's why I, I became a councillor. And whatever has been said today, and it's been a long day for us all, I'm beginning to feel that, and I know, that pollution, noise and emissions are going to increase. As far as I'm concerned, that's what the main thing is about to me, the quality of life. And I, I, I just don't see how anything can be better than that. We've got to think of quality of life. And at the moment, I am edging towards um, voting against. I'm sorry. But okay. Uh, take five minutes, everybody, please. And it only will be five minutes.
Right, ladies and gentlemen, continuing. I'll try and make this the last session, definitely, without another break. Um, I'm going to go to Mrs. Denmark to clarify where we were, and uh, then I'm going to take Councillor Lachlan. Right, I'm just, I was just trying to get to another document, but I haven't actually got a chance to do it. Um, right, so quality of life, we didn't ask for a quality of life assessment. It gets mentioned briefly in the scoping. Um, the Gen 1 inspector actually felt that all the other environmental um, assessments carried out in the environmental statement actually cover all the aspects of quality of life adequately without a need for a separate quality of life assessment. Um, the only document that's an official submission from the applicant and relate, uh, is, is this one. Um, there is... Um, no, there is no reference to a request for a quality, for life, quality of life assessment. Um, so I've got no idea where that accusation has come from, that we have asked for one, but one's not been provided. Councillor Lachlan. Does Councillor want to come back? Did, are you? That's fine, thank oh, you. Okay, Councillor Lachlan. Right. Well, I've torn this up three times and started again. But I just want to say I've listened, I've read thousands of pages of documents, the environmental study and transport study and everything, and I have listened to everybody who's spoken today on both sides about the figures. But I'm not concentrating on that because <coughs> people that are cleverer than me have talked about them today and that is fine and the picture I don't know if it's clearer um, but we now know where we stand on that so I'm not going to bother with that bit and I've written it down because I'm not can't sort of think off the hoof um, but I've said about the figures but I mean I have many reasons to be pleased to have an airport so close and I and my family like many others and some here use it for holidays or business and as I'm married to an Irishman we use it to visit family and they use it to visit us. Long gone are the days when a trip to Galway took a whole day, a drive to Hollyhead with three squabbling young boys and a grumpy husband, a, a ferry crossing and a long drive from the east of Ireland to the west. Now it takes an hour or two. We had reason to be particularly grateful to have an airport and a low-cost airline close to us when a few years ago our eldest son died unexpectedly and family were able to be here the same day or the next at a time when we needed them most and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but I'm not here today to judge the, judge the application on how I feel about the airport, I have to make a balanced and unbiased decision on planning policy as defined in the Uppersford Local Plan. And for the purpose of this application, I will use the existing 2005 Local Plan. Although it's hoped that the planning inspectorate will find the emerging Local Plan sound, it cannot be taken for granted, uh, a lesson learned from the last Local Plan. First of all, I would like to mention the Localism Act. We don't hear much about it now, but it made a great deal of difference to local authorities. It devolved decisions previously made by government to local authorities. One of the paragraphs in the Act relating to planning states, and I am a planner, 
So that I will be concentrating on that. Um, and I quote, there are some significant flaws in the planning system. Planning did not give members of the public enough influence over decisions that make a big difference to their lives. Too often, power was exercised by people who were not directly affected by the decisions they were taking. This meant, understandably, that people often resented what they saw as decisions and plans foisted upon them. This is still true. Many parish councils and local residents are quite rightly concerned about the impact of this application, and I share some of their concerns. It's been mentioned this application is premature, and although the MPPF states that prematurity is not a reason to refuse, it is relevant. MAG's own calculations state that the present 35 million permission will not be reached until 2023, which differs from the Department of Transport's prediction. Paragraph 8.22 of the DFT 17 document regarding air quality states emissions of air pollutants are created by aircraft, airport operations and surface access. And these all have an impact on air quality at the local level. Oh, have an impact on air quality. At the local level, poor air quality has an adverse effect on health, quality of life and the functioning of ecosystems. Emissions and concentrations of air pollutants are also of concern nationally. And it goes on to say, paragraph 8.23, the av aviation forecasts are an import to the estimation of air quality impacts. Higher passenger growth results in a greater number of ATMs, higher fuel consumption and greater resulting emissions of air pollutants from aircraft, airport and surface access sources. Although this application doesn't seek to increase the ATMs, even with mitigation measures, the surface access sources are likely to remain high or may become worse. It would be wishful thinking to assume that all passengers or the workforce, many of whom come from outside the district, will use public transport or that all private cars, taxis, etc. will have conveniently placed electric charging recharging sources. Even assuming that people will want or choose to drive these vehicles, it will take some time to bring these changes about. Also, cars are expensive items, and not everyone has or will have the money for a futuristic vehicle. There may come a time when all vehicles will be pollution-free, but I suggest this won't be in the near future, certainly not by 2023 or even 2034. The officer's report tells us that Elson and Woods is already subject to nitrogen deposition that significantly exceeds the critical load for its SSSI woodland habitat. Although Stansted Airport have been advised to undertake any necessary measures to reduce oxides of nitrogen outputs and nitrogen depositions, and the aims of targets of an airport sustainable development plan may be laudable, the damage has already been done and is likely to increase. Monitoring is not a mitigation measure. It just tells a story. Given that Stansted Airport owns Elson and Woods, and I believe have a statutory duty to take care of it, judging by the amount of damage to the wood, it seems they haven't done a very good job so far. 
No mention has been made of the wildlife that depends on this and other woodlands for their survival. Extra access traffic generated by another 8 million passengers per annum, particularly on the M11 and A120, as well as local roads, will undoubtedly be affected by emissions from cars, buses and various other vehicles making their way to and from the airport. <coughs> Given that the Department for Transport are aware of and concerned about the effects of poor air quality on health and well-being, the application is, is contrary to policy EMV13, exposure to poor air quality. It reads, development that would involve users being exposed to an extended long-term basis on an extended long-term basis to poor air quality outdoors near ground level will not be permitted. A zone 100 metres on either side of the central reservation of the M11 and a zone 35 metres either side of the centre of the A120 have been identified as particular areas to which this policy applies. And I come on to noise. Can I just have a drink of water? Oh, noise. <laughs> UDC's Environmental Health Department states... The environmental study details some improvements to aircraft that are gradually coming online. Subjectively, these aircraft are likely, and I'll take that word, likely, to be quieter on departure, but this is not necessarily the case on arrivals. The dictionary definition of subjectively is existing in the mind, not objective, based on personal feeling. Aircraft noise, either, either in future or now, is not subjective. It is real to those affected by noise. Unless a guarantee that aircraft will be replaced in the life of this proposed application, which is unlikely, it remains an assumption. The government's pol publication, Beyond the Horizon, which relates to making best use of existing runways, paragraph 7.30, reducing noise, states that while there are benefits to living near airports, and I think I've mentioned some that I use myself, through employment and convenient access to an international gateway, aviation noise can have negative impacts on the quality of life of those living near airports and under flight paths in terms of annoyance, sleep disturbance and health issues. It is recognised that opposition to airport expansion and airspace changes is driven primarily by local concerns about noise and that continuing growth in air traffic will make this more challenging. It goes on to say that new generation aircraft have a smaller fit footprint on takeoff and landing than the aircraft they are replacing. Although this is good news, it does not say how far in the future some of these replacements are likely to take place. As with air quality, access traffic noise will be generated by an increase in passenger numbers along the M11 and the A120, which has a large amount of residential dwellings along its length. It will particularly affect those who live close to the airport. And as with air quality problems, the noise generated by the amount of extra traffic will have a detrimental effect on local villages and towns who are on the route to the airport. For all these reasons, the application is contrary to policy EMV 11, 
noise generation development will not be permitted if it would be liable to affect adversely the reasonable occupation of existing or proposed noise sensitive development nearby unless the need for the development outweighs the degree of noise generated. It has not been proved to me at this time that there is such a need. The MPPF states in paragraph 80A, mitigate and reduce to a minimum potential adverse impacts resulting from noise from new development and avoid noise giving rise to significant adverse effects, impacts on health and quality of life. Again, at this time, I don't believe this application's mitigation measures have been reduced to a minimum. The health and well-being of residents of this district and beyond must be paramount and I don't feel that the applicant has done enough or will in the near future be able to do enough to protect those whose lives will be blighted by this application in terms of noise, air quality and environmental issues. Nearly finished. Uh, for many years and it has been mentioned today, but I have been complaining that it is grossly unfair that only applicants have a right of appeal if an application is approved. The only avenue is the Ombudsman or the prohibitively expensive judicial review. It is therefore important that what we make today and beyond is what we feel is the right decision. And for all of the reasons that I've mentioned and the policies that I mentioned, I will be voting against this application. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. Um, does anybody else wish to speak before I try a sum up and then I'm going to take the motion that I've had before me? Councillor Freeman, very briefly, and then Councillor Chambers. A very brief, Councillor Freeman. Uh, I fully concur with Councillor Lachlan, the Vice Chair. She and I actually were the only two people on this committee who heard the last airport application in 2006 from members of the Development Control Committee then. I have to say it was a much easier decision. This is a hard one. Um, but I think that Councillor Lachlan has hit all the nails on the head. Well done. Councillor Chambers. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Mr Chairman, I'm, I'm, I've been a lifelong resident and hopefully still will be uh, of this area something that I feel passionately about. I think we all have a very difficult decision today. I think we've all realised that. And the information we've got, as you've heard, thousands of pages, is extremely difficult to take in. Because the more you read, the more tired your mind gets and then tends to get a little bit fuzzy. We are here to today to make a decision on the future, the medium-term future, of Stansted Airport. We have to look at real planning reasons. We're not here, not being disrespectful to everybody sitting here, most of whom are against the expansion of the airport, we are here to look at it on purely planning reasons. Now, we've been told that we should not succumb to business, and I agree with that altogether. We have to look at local people. But one thing which has really struck me, listening to 12 hours of people speaking for or against, 
is that we have an obligation to the next generation. Not just us. We've had, or a lot of us, not all of us, a lot of us have had most of our life. We have to think about the next generation. Now, I, I have been listening very carefully to what people have to say, and I know most of those people who were for the airport have some association with it, maybe have a business connection with it, or maybe work at the airport. But what has struck me is, is one of the things very important was what that young lady said this morning from the academy. I talked to a lot of people, young people as well, surprising as that may be, and all the young people I talked to say that the airport is something which is a good idea. Now, if you live under the flight path or you are close to where the aircraft take off and land, I can fully understand why you don't like it. But you've actually heard today with the airport that they have permission for 274,000 ATMs, of which they haven't used anywhere near what they can use, so therefore the number of flights will be limited to that 274,000. And presumably, if and when it gets to that, there would have to be another application to raise it. Am I right? Now, for yes, all these reasons, right. I feel very, very, very strongly about we have no reason to say from 35 to 43 is premature. Anybody sitting in this room tonight, if they've had anything to do with big business, and I mean big business, you have to plan for the future. You cannot be like politicians, and we're all the same. We only work to a four-yearly thing because each four years, somebody puts a cross on a piece of paper. And I'm not thinking about that now. I'm thinking about the future generations of Uttlesford. I'm thinking about where they're going to get their work from, where they're going to get their connections from, where they're going to live. And the airport has something to do with all those things. So for that reason, I urge you to go along with what the officers are saying and approve the application. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Okay, anybody else at this stage? No? Okay. Um, I'm, uh, I've got a motion in front of me for a refusal, and I have a seconder for that motion as such. So we're going to take a hang vote. On, hang on, hang on. Can, hang I, just, on, can I just be, do my usual boring stuff? This is what it gets back to. We do need a... Re we, yeah. yeah, I will. We do need a reason, uh, for, and what I will suggest as I think what we, we unite this whole room here today is, is this is a significant decision by members, and what I, would use, what I would suggest if members have a refusal reason and it is agreed that the matter, we check the robustness of that refusal reason and bring it back to a committee, a future committee, not next week I would suggest, 
but take it back to a future committee for members to ratify it. You need to be advised on the strength of the refusal reason before you actually formally refuse it. But I'm happy to take, if members are mindful to refuse it, to take that away as a resolution. Councillor Fairhurst. Thank you, Mr Chairman. I take very seriously what Councillor Chambers said about the youth and about the future. As you know, I'm the chap who brought in the Youth Council. They do matter. They are the future. And we have to consider the jobs they have. It's really important. We are very fortunate at the moment that we don't have unemployment in this area, but that's not, that doesn't, that's not permanent. And I have been involved in big business, very big business, for a long time, so I know how it works. I know about futures as well. But it's exactly that point that tips me over the edge. Because, to be quite honest... It's the future of our children and the future of our planet and the future of Adelsford that we're discussing today. We won't be here, certainly not at this table, in 15, 20 years' time when the impact of the air quality and the noise and the other, other harms that occur here will affect us. And the damage that we do to Elsinore Wood and the other areas will really be well along the line. And they'll turn back to us and say, they will say, thanks, Dad because we have broken it. Now, I'm speaking particularly because I think we're on the same wavelength here. Yeah? Yes, we have to consider. We have to weigh up the deal as far as business is concerned. We have to weigh up a real future. The things are going to change. I'm hoping, I really am hoping, as Councillor Lachlan said, that we'll have electric aeroplanes, we'll have, we'll have carbon-free transport. I really think it's not impossible if we put our minds to it. But until that time, what is absolutely certain about this process is we're heading headlong into damage. No one can question that. We have to be hopeful. We have to be optimistic. But as things stand now, based on this application, that's the certainty. So because of that youth, you know, I also thought, let me have three options here, chaps. We can say, we have to say, we can approve. There's nothing wrong with approving things. You do it a couple of times. Defer, prematurity. We don't have enough information, as I said to the chairman. There is a lot missing. Which probably, a lot of it can be filled in and give us a better chance, a better handle on where we're going. The only problem is this. What I do for a living, we talk about billable hours. The amount it costs each one of you guys. I must specifically thank Catherine and Mary and Peter, who sat here and took it all from us. They spend hours with this stuff. I'm going to thank SSE, because they've done hours, they've spent a lot of billable hours on themselves that, that helped us make some semblance of this process. I'm quite chuffed that we had today, because today we didn't sound completely amateurish. I hope you agree with that. We did a decent job of it. But now it comes to the bottom line. When you come to the wire, we mustn't flinch now. We don't take the easy way out now. We say, hold on a moment, let's look at the three. Objectively and frankly. First, are we absolutely sure, beyond a reasonable doubt, are we absolutely sure that saying yes to this process is what our children will thank us for? Because you are Mr. Health and Safety in this council. So you know what I'm talking about. Are you absolutely sure when you put your pen to paper that what we're doing is right? Because if you're not absolutely sure, you've got two other options, defer or refuse. And I must tell you, when I went through this documentation, as you can see, I'm surrounded by, by a, 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 what do you call himself? I would call him a numerate individual and, and, and a scientist. When I went through this process, I thought, crikey, I'm out of my depth. I'm good with paper. Me to go through 5,000 pages is what we do for a living. I was out of my depth battled with noise, our LEQs and things. 
had to establish what an ATM was. I thought it was a bank. And I worked at it. We all did. We applied our minds. I think all of us, I hope all of us put our effort in, and we tried hard. And it's conspicuous that we all made, all of us made an effort. And at the end of the day, where we are today, I don't think anyone here, I truly don't think anyone here, including you, Mr. Chairman, can put your hand on it and say, I know what I'm doing. You don't. You know maybe 80%. You may feel a preponderance of, 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 but you do not know. And that leaves you with defer or reject. Because if you say yes, beyond a reasonable doubt, you walk into this with confidence and say, go for it. Build your airport. And let's be honest, I agree with you. I love our little airport in the country. I use it more than you do. I pop over to Germany every now and again, and I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I'm not sure how to look in 35 million a year. But we're not asking about that. We're asking about where it goes from here. And I'm asking, I'm appealing to you to think about it, because I know where you are. Think about it. If you're absolutely sure, you sit there with your hand on heart, and I'm going to ask for a recorded photo so I know who you are, then vote for it. But if you're not absolutely sure, go for a deferral. I know you would like to go for it, because I know we can unravel. I'm certain you can unravel anything is solvable in life. As far as I'm concerned, it's billable hours. It's, it's the cost of all these fine people, and all of us, and all of those people, and you, to come here over and over again and read all the documents. And someone said, I think someone we respect here, who said, it's been nine months. I think people can be made in nine months. How much longer do you need? I had enough time to cover it all. As you can see, my, my learned friend, you had enough time to do it twice over. So I, 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 I appeal to you to think about this. This is a big decision. We've done the homework. We feel it. And of course we're fine. We've got Nigel. We'll be fine. He's helped us a lot. No, we do respect you. But the point is this. And I want to thank you, Karen, because it's a hard job. And I told you that already. We've done the work. Now step up and do the right thing. Thank you. Councillor Lockton, very briefly, and then... We'll come to it. Do you mean I have to be as brief as that? He's doing Hamlet next week, aren't you? Um, yeah, I just want to ask about the policies because I'm very firm in the policies that I want to use, um, which are our local plan policies, EMV 11 and EMV 13. Now, we're told that this is going to go away. Uh, I will not waver from those policies. And you're talking about going away and coming back to the committee a few time. Why do we need to do that? Do you think, can you not say now why, what policies we should use? I actually I, believe the I ones... Could, yeah, sorry, so I believe the ones that I've used are the ones that are relevant to this. If you tell me different, why can't you do that? Why do we have to come back? It's, it's not just... You've suggested EMV 11 and EMV 13, which are actually the two, two policies from picking up the debate which picks up over noise and air quality. I would move back from, from Gen 1 and Men 7. I would actually, those, those policies are picking up those. I do advise you that the evidence that we've got and what we feel 
justified us recommending the approval. You feel that you've not, but it's not just the policies, it's actually the wording of the policy. And we're putting hands in butts, it could be you haven't got enough evidence to demonstrate that it doesn't do this. So it's literally the wording of the condition rather than just throwing policies at it. And that's what I was suggested. And as an advisor, I do have to advise you that that is the best way forward for the council to, to, to try to put forward a, as robust case as we can put forward. That's all I can say. Okay. Councillor Gerard, I'm trying to wrap this up. Go on. I know you are, um, but I do feel that um, after all the debate and after all the questions, I do need to speak on this matter. Um, we haven't mentioned the elephant in the room of policy, which is our emerging local plan. And I'll come to that in a moment. But there are many grounds to reject this application. Uh, on balance, I believe it's the correct decision to reject on balance. Um, we have a duty, of, actually a duty of care, to make the right decision. I agree with my colleagues here. I agree with many people around the table. I love the airport. I use the airport. I use many airports. Um, and I think it's a wonderful thing. I also have been involved in big business, and I was involved in the Hong Kong airport uh, in the 90s. I was advising the Provisional Airport Authority. I understand about airports, and I understand the economic benefits that come from airports and big business. Um, the fact is, though, that we are responsible, and we have to look after the interests of our community, our wider community at large, which here happens to be Uttlesford. Um, if we were the Business Development uh, Committee of South East England, we'd be thinking about things differently and the economic benefits would be broader and we could consider them. But the economic benefits to Uttlesford that I can wear, that I've asked the numbers, I've asked for the numbers, I've asked for the actual numbers for the economic benefits, which is one third of our consideration, I don't believe that those economic benefits as prescribed in, the, in our Bible, the NPPF, as prescribed in paragraph 8, I don't believe that those outweigh the two other thirds, which are the social issues, and we have many people here who are social, and we've had 47 parish councils representing their social community. 47 parish councils have said this is wrong. And I believe that we have to consider that. Not one has said, you know what, on balance, actually it's going to give us more jobs, it's going to be good for us, we're going to be better, and we say yes. Not one has said that, and I have to consider that. The future is wonderful. I agree. You have to look at the future. I have a 16-year-old daughter. She's a, a councillor on this youth committee, and she's flying to Germany, to visit friends and go places, using Stansted Airport, it's wonderful. But that's not the issue. I mean, I wish Stansted Airport all the best. And I think that it's wonderful that Harlow's doing so well and support it, and East Hearts are doing so well and support it. But we are Uttlesford. It's been given to us. It's been put on our table. And if the decision wasn't put on our table, someone else would make the decision based upon what's important to them. But we're here. The book says... We are responsible to our electorate and the wider community of the district. So it's not just our wards, our voters, but it's all 80,000 residents of Uttlesford. So, 
cut to the chase. We cannot, we cannot approve this because, on balance, the harms, social and environmental, in my opinion, outweigh the economic benefits for Uttlesford. And therefore, the following policies apply. I agree with Councillor Lachlan. On, in terms of air quality, I agree. ENV 13 applies. I agree. ENV 11 applies on noise. I would argue that SP 11 is a material consideration which we could consider the weighting of. But I would just make a point to consider it, please. I think that we have an issue on, um, we have the NPPF which clearly uh, paragraph 8 and 148 and 150 on carbon emissions. On air quality, I would agree we have 175B. Um, on road traffic, we've, I think uh, we've met, Gen 1 is possibly a bit borderline, so I'm, I think it's worth considering, but perhaps that's maybe, not, I'm not sure, although I do believe that SP11, again, I believe, kicks in on that. On the rail traffic, uh, I think NPPF 104E and NPPF 109. Uh, on public health, I think there's a very strong case for Gen 2. And also, NPPF paragraphs 91, 204 and 205. Um, and then the final issue, I agree with Council Lachlan that Localism Act is something to consider too. So I will uh, conclude there and I'm happy to second the motion to reject this application. Okay. Um, Mr Brown, I just know, wants to clarify one thing then I'm going to ask Councillor Lachlan. Can I just, although we, we can't sit in our Uttlesford bubble here, I know you're here to represent Uttlesford, but the benefits need to go beyond Uttlesford need to be considered, just like you're considering the impacts beyond Uttlesford. So it's not just, it's because we're talking an airport, the impacts go beyond Uttlesford and the benefits go beyond Uttlesford. So you just, I just need to clarify that. And I just also need to clarify in terms of, is also the proposal from Councillor Fairhurst is that to mindful to refuse applications on basis of EMV 11, EMV 13, and for the formal form refusal reasons to be considered and to come back to you for further consideration. You're happy with that? Okay. Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, I've already mentioned the MPPF paragraph 80A, which I think is relevant, So, um, and I think um, Karen agrees with that. But I do not and won't agree to uh, SP11. Um, I was here when the last uh, public inquiry happened for the local plan, and the inspector left before we even got to the end, and he found it unsound. And I it can't be material because at the moment we don't know what the inspectorate will do and we'll go quoting policies that are hearsay. Uh, you know, people want it to go through but that doesn't necessarily mean it will and I don't think it's strong enough to quote that. Sorry, Mr Brown. This does get to the boring bit. Just to pick up Councillor Lockin, she's, she's spot on, apart from the fact it, it is material but with very little weight in terms of the local plan because of the status that it's got to. It still is material though. Um, we know where we are. Councillor Fairhouse is happy. Oh, 
clarification. Um, I'm just trying to understand what, what, what Nigel Brown said. SP11, at the moment, because the ALP, doesn't carry full weight. Is it possible in a condition like this to say SP11 is subject to it being approved? Because we're talking about the same window, aren't we? No, you can't. No? It does, we're still it asking does, Rig19 yeah, to go through. As today, on, oh, the, as on the 14th of November, we're considering an application when application... You are right, if we have a public inquiry following a refusal that's that set up in the summer, we could be in a different place, but that's where we are. So we have to consider it in the snapshot today. Okay, well, we know where we are. Um, I haven't said much today. Ah, Mr. Riles. Thank you, Chair. Before you uh, move towards the vote... Um, I've been sitting here, my mind is, uh, is uh, going round and round because I, I do appreciate all the concerns about the environmental side of things and noise. And, I do, I, and we've had to think about the wider things as far as the economy is concerned and, and, the, and the good that it will bring and jobs for the future, etc. Um, and I want to start to think about um, what our experts have said about um, improvements in uh, planes um, I start to think about, well, when they brought out uh, early trains, probably some time ago, um, they said if you went over a few uh, miles an hour, you were going to suffocate. And likewise, when, you know, when people used to, some people might remember, but there was cars with people waving flags in front, you know, to uh, make sure people didn't get knocked over. So whilst I appreciate, uh, and, and also just one more thing to put out, I am directly affected because I live in High Easter, and I get the planes coming in from 6.15 every 15 minutes. But <clears throat> I think we have to look wider than what our own needs are in this area. And I know my parish council, Takeley, um, are going to be very upset with me, but I, I do think we have to think wider. And I do think um, that, you know, I, I'm a great believer in technology and it will solve itself in the future. I think there's some demands within business that they have to make their planes more efficient, that the whole society is moving towards a greener environment. You know, we're all trying to do things greener and quieter, and we're having a bit more consideration for our common man. So I think those sort of things will happen in the future. Whether they will happen in time for 2023, I don't know. But what I do want to, I don't think that it's helpful, really, to put in a, a, a barrier here now um, on this planning application. Because if, uh, if, if Stansted Airport wanted to, you know, have more planes flying, they could do it. They've, they've already got the permissions back from 2008. So let's be sensible about this. Let's, let's look, about, look for the future. Let's, Robert, as Robert, as Councillor Chambers says, let's think about the future economic growth for our, for our, our people, for our, for our youngsters. And, and one thing, which I know it sounds a bit trite, but I think it was Star Trek, where somebody said the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And I think we should consider that. I'm not trying not to be too local. We are local. We have to decide on this. But let's, let's have a look at the bigger picture. That's all I've got to say. <clears throat> Anybody else? No? Right. Okay. Um, I didn't prepare a speech for this. I'm just going to wing this from what's been said today. Um, I did receive an email very late last night, about one o'clock in the morning, asking me to be courageous in whatever decision I choose to make, uh, and basically implying that uh, I would be a coward if I made a decision in favour of this application. Um, I know all of us have received a certain amount of bombardment of emails and there's been a certain amount of information 
uh, which may be questionable but may be correct and has therefore been tested today and that's been one of the issues in as much as we haven't been able to perhaps uh, get to the bottom of some things and I think that's put enough um, should we say doubt into people's minds as to exactly where we are so I'm going to try and simplify it for me um, I, I, I take the points about the railways but this application can't be expected to resolve every single infrastructure problem that we have in this country uh, what we have to judge is whether the mitigation that is being proposed is sufficient to cover the application that's in front of us and, and that's a judgment call for all of us. You know, are, are they giving enough back for what we're going to do? Um, is the application premature? Um, I take your point. I mean, Paul, I'm sure with your business, you know, if it's expanding, then you're going to employ more solicitors. You know, you, you basically plan in front. Um, I don't think with the existing trajectory that Stansted is going through, actually applying for this application now is premature at all. I think, if anything, they've, you know, they've got to get their work cut out because, depending on what happens today, if it goes to appeal, it's going to take 18 months to get to a decision or wherever it goes. Um, so prematurity. I noticed from our site visit the other day, um, they haven't as yet built Satellite 4 that I think was part of the 2008 permission. Uh, and they certainly haven't built uh, some of the stands that were also part of that 2008 application. So what's happened is that demand, basically, has driven what they've done. Uh, and the same thing would happen here. If the demand fell off, then, th then they're not going to do certain things. And basically, we're all quieter and everything for it. Um, I think we've got to look at, again, a bit like Councillor Riles, perhaps the broader picture. Um, this country voted on the 23rd of June 2016 to leave the EU. Uh, for me, it made a decision to stand on its own two feet. It made a decision that we are capable of standing on our own two feet. And I think with that, we have to be able to support that position, which means investing in the future, uh, investing in our young people. And I, I'm, like Councillor Rowe, going to look at this bigger, if you like. I know the impact on Uttlesford. I understand that. But I think we've also got a duty to everything else going forward. Uh, and that's how I'm coming at it. So um, having said enough, I'm going to go to the vote for a rejection as Councillor Fairhurst proposed and seconded by Councillor Gerald. All those in favour of a rejection, please show. And you wanted a named... So I will... Yes, but we put the names, uh, all the hands up together and then we'll record the vote there, OK? So all those in favour of rejection, please show. One, two, three, four, five. How did I know? Okay. <laughs> All those against that rejection, please show. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five. Sorry, Leslie, you're short. Okay, five. <laughs> okay. Um, in that case, uh, I have a casting vote and I'm going to vote against the rejection. So we go back to the substantive, and the substantive is for an approval. Or, or, that's... I'm going to propose we defer. 
We do need a reason. Can we have a reason so that we know why it's deferred? Because we're not ready. We have an aviation strategy coming in a month's time, which will help us a lot. We have Brexit coming in about three months' time, which will change things. We need to know where we are. I think, I think a deferral will make, allow us to fill in some of the holes that were definitely made, were discussed here. And I discussed with the chairman. He agreed there were holes. So if you felt so, then I think it's worthy to do. I strongly propose a deferment. Does that find a second? I second the deferment proposal. I have a proposal for a deferral now, and I have a seconder for a deferral. Okay? The reasons for that being the reasons you've just proposed. We'll go to the vote on that issue. All those in favour of a deferral, please show. Three. Okay. All those against a deferral, please show. One, two, three, four, five. Abstentions? One. Okay. So that item is rejected. I now go back to the substantive, which is a recommendation for approval. Does that find a proposer? I propose approval. Okay. I have a proposer. Does that find a seconder? Second in chairman. Okay. I have a proposer and a seconder for an acceptance. Please show that all those in favour of this application being approved, please show now. One, two, three, four, five. Sorry, Leslie. Same mistake again. I have five in favour. All of those against, please show. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. For the reasons I outlined earlier, this item is approved. Thank you very much. Sorry, just to clarify to everyone, the resolution today is to approve, but the Secretary of State has, has, suggest, has requested that we do not issue a decision to approve until they've made a judgment on the matter.